Elon, don't be pissed off at us <laughs> because <laughs> this is helped. just temporary until Twitter Spaces works, and then we'll go back to doing it on Twitter Spaces and streaming here. We'll be yep. streaming it likely on on um, on uh, Twitter Live as well, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Let Hopefully me well. get everything done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me when you're like ready. I'll start reading the uh, Twitter files to drop. So the drop seems to be extremely big. It's like a big deal. Uh, it shows, and here's an overview, a brief overview is how uh, Twitter was taking orders from the FBI and the DHS to suspend and ban people for jokes. Yeah. For jokes. Oh, bro, by the way, before we kick it off, I just want to say we're live on Twitter now. We, we work to make it work. So I thought we were on YouTube. Turns out we're on Twitter. So, so Elon, okay. we're still on your platform, my friend. So we're doing it here because, uh, yeah, because Spaces is not working. Um, so, uh, I'm gonna tweet it out and then we can kick it off. Yeah, I'll retweet it. How's that? Have you had a look at, have you, have you started reading through the drop? I have. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting stuff. Not, uh, not like the last one. Last one was a bit less exciting. Yeah. This one's very exciting. Um, and kind of funny at some points because, because of what's inside of it. Yeah. All right. Let me, uh, let me get another couple of speakers in. Sure. Um, Go for it. Before we kick it off. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me send the StreamYard link. Yeah, sure thing. I'm surprised you have Twitter Live. I don't. The option's not available to me. No, you do have it. It's really hard to access, though. So it's a bit. Is it? It's a bit. Uh, hmm. It's a bit glitchy. Weird. Um, so I'm going to send you the StreamYard link I sent you. You can send it to anyone else that you want to bring on as a speaker as we kick this off. Sure. Can do. Mm, we'll see if one or two people want to join. I don't know if they're at home right now. I've sent it to uh, Kim.com. I've sent it to Tara. Let me send it to Good a stuff. more. Yep, yep. Eight people in total, right? Uh, eight in total, yeah, but we don't know who's asleep, who's awake. Right, yeah, fair enough. I'll send it to Catherine, see if she wants to join. Yeah, I was going to send it to Catherine as well. I'm glad you did. So how many people do we have watching us just doing nothing uh, right now? It's about a, about a thousand already. Oh, God. <laughs> it's not bad, huh? For, for no, live, last all. minute live, despite spaces not there. So we don't have the, we don't have yeah. the 10, 20K spaces, but uh, yeah, we'll get maybe. a lot of people watching the replay. But for everyone listening, we, the drop just happened for the latest uh, Twitter files. And you said yep. something that's connected to the FBI? Is that what you said? Yeah, 100%. Before? It's all that that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's about the FBI. It's uh the I mean the uh, the title of it is The Twitter Files Part 6 Twitter, the FBI subsidiary. I mean, I'll start reading it off since people are watching here already, so Yeah, yeah I think uh, you should kick it off and, and okay, what, yeah. before you kick it off, what's fascinating though is that we were talking about how involved the FBI was earlier and there was like right. slight involvement and we said if the FBI is involved, this is more serious. Now this is Yes. So this is the governmental. Government. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Governmental so overreach. You're not supposed to be doing this. You know, this is like uh, an infringement of people's free speech. 
the First Amendment. And Elon just tweeted, he said, bug fix is almost done. Spaces will probably be back tonight. Okay. He was responding to Tara. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, all right, so I'll, I'll kick it off. Uh, the second tweet is the Twitter files are revealing more every day about the government, uh, what the go- how the government collects, analyzes, and flags your social media content. Uh, Twitter's contact with the FBI was constant and pervasive, as if it were a subsidiary. Between January 2020 and November 2022, there were over 150 emails between the FBI and former Trust and Safety Chief Yoel Roth. Some are mundane, like San Francisco agent Elvis Chan wishing Roth a happy new year, along with a reminder to attend our quarterly call uh, quarterly call next week, and others are requests for information into Twitter users related to active investigations. I mean, I mean that's understandable. They're supposed to be investigating crime, so it's no surprise. But, he says, but a surprisingly high number of uh, our requests by the FBI for Twitter to take action on election misinformation, even involving joke tweets, from low follower accounts. The FBI social media focused task force known as the FTIF uh, created in the wake of the 2016 election because you know, they're, they're pissed off that Trump won swelled to 80 agents. Yeah. 80 agents are working on this. So instead of catching actual criminals, they were busy uh, catching people for telling jokes online. Uh, these 80 agents uh, corresponded with Twitter to identify alleged foreign influence and election tampering of all kinds. Uh, federal intelligence and law enforcement reach into Twitter included the Department of Homeland Security, which partnered with security contractors and think tanks to pressure Twitter to moderate content. So they were working with third parties, with NGOs, uh, that would inform them, hey, ban this or ban that because that's bad or whatever. Uh, it's no secret that government analyzes bulk data of all sorts uh, for all sorts of purposes, from everything, uh, everything from tracking terror suspects to making economic forecasts. Uh, the Twitter files show something new. The agencies like the FBI and the DHS are regularly sending social media content to Twitter through multiple entry points pre-flagged for moderation. So they didn't even, uh, you know, say, hey, Twitter, look at this. It's more like, hey, just ban this, right? So what stands out is the sheer quantity of reports from the government, some of which are aggregated from public hotlines. Uh, and then he links to a screenshot that's uh, about, you know, hotlines of complaints. So, you know, if you're a, you're Karen and you want to complain about something that's election related, you can send a tip to, you know, tips.fbi.gov and they'll take action against it. Uh, and an, an unanswered question is, do agencies like the FBI and the DHS do in-house flagging work themselves or do, do they farm it out? Do they send it to an NGO or a think tank, whatever? Quote, and this is from somebody who uh, is a former intelligence officer who, who told Matt Taibbi and said, you have to prove to me that inside the fucking government, you can do any kind of massive data or AI search. So basically he's saying that the government doesn't have the capability to do this kind of searches. They literally have to have people look at it. Quote, hello, Twitter contacts, end quote. The master canine quality or mass, you know, like the dog owner quality of the FBI's relationship to the uh, Twitter comes through this in this uh, uh, tw- November 2022 email in which the FBI San Francisco is notifying you and it wants action on four accounts. And these accounts, uh, it says here, are Jonathan One Wade from MA, Madden Pistoff and Malt underscore Thomas. Best regards from Fred at the FBI at San Francisco. That was uh, That was about 20 minutes ago. Okay, so uh, Twitter personnel in uh, in that case went on to look for reasons to suspend all four accounts, including at from MA, which is uh, an active account, 
right now, uh, whose tweets are almost all jokes. And he pro- provides a sample of the jokes of his so-called civic misinformation on November 8th. And uh, so... Which, uh, uh, which number are we... Which number? Let me add the tweet for anyone that wants to read it. Number 14. Time. It's number 14, yeah. Or or number 14. 14 Let right me add now. it to the... I'm going to add it to the... Below this tweet. So as a thread, you can access it. Let me see yep. the drop. All right. So what, what have we seen so far? Just sum it up, sum it up for people that just joined. Okay, for the people who just joined, essentially this new Twitter drop is proof that uh, the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, and a bunch of other uh, agencies were working together with Twitter. When I say working together, more like giving orders to Twitter to tell them who to ban, what to ban, and why, right? Like that, or maybe not even a why in a lot of cases. They were just telling them to ban people for election misinformation. And in a lot of uh, these cases... The FBI wasn't necessarily responsible for uh, figuring out why they should ban it. It was more like they're working with a bunch of other think tanks and security agencies that are not necessarily governmental and just getting advice from them. So something like the ADL, for instance, or the SPLC or Media Matters of uh, MMFA, right? They might be contacting the FBI and saying, hey, ban all these accounts. And the FBI would forward all that information over to Twitter. It's pretty gross, right? And they're giving, so, are they giving reasons in those requests? No, no, they're not. They, they, they tell Twitter, hey, go, go ban these accounts, which is alarming to say the least because they're, you know, they're just saying, hey, it's election misinformation. Go do something about it. So it's up to Twitter to do its due diligence. And, uh, in most cases, it looks like they complied. Yeah. Maybe not in all cases, but. So let's, 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 let's see if we dig, let's see if they dig deep because there's 40 points to it, up to 14. Let's see how deep Twitter yeah. goes in terms of digging into the request and seeing if they're legitimate. So let's go up to 15. Okay, yeah. So let me read 14 first. Let me read the uh, the example that he provided of the civic misinformation thing. Uh, man, this thread is laggy as F because it's so big. Okay, so it's here. FBI folks, uh, thanks, Patrick. I've escalated uh, to GET for a first pass. It's from somebody at Twitter to FBI, right, to the FBI. Uh, it says, I've reviewed this already from the TD perspective and suspended three of the accounts for multi-account abuse and ban evasion violations. Rodrigo, could you please review at from MA for possible civic misinformation or direct the appropriate part to GET for their review? GET is, you know, one of the organizations and I wish people would stop messaging me. Good Lord. Um, thanks, Patrick. And, uh, okay, I'm, man. The page is unresponsive. This is amazing. Like Twitter is this page. This page is like super laggy as hell. So I'm. Oh, so like, I, I open. I opened the thread and it just shows all of it there. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's like lagging the hell out for me. I I literally need, need to restart my browser. <laughs> okay, I've sent you. I've sent you through the link. So I'm just gonna look at the reply now because I've got it open in front of me. So the reply there. Um. So the, the message there. I want to remind, so there's clowns to the left of me, the account. I want to remind Republicans to vote tomorrow, Wednesday, November 9th. So is that the tweet they removed? Uh, that was a tweet that they thought they were going to remove, but then that turns out to be a joke, right? It's not that big a deal. Yeah. And they requested for that one to be removed. Yeah, they requested for that to be removed, and it's clearly a joke. It's not a, you know, it's it's a terrible joke, but... But Twitter yeah. didn't remove it, obviously, because there's no point to remove it. Right, yeah, yeah, but they looked into it, right? But it just and shows that, how it just how shows sloppy. How, how sloppy the requests were uh, exactly. by the FBI. Extremely sloppy work from the FBI, uh, telling them to remove a bunch of stuff that's honestly just John, I'll, I'll read 15 for you until it's open. It's yeah, go ready for, it. for you. Yep. Just to show the FBI can be hyper intrusive in both directions. They also asked Twitter to review a blue leaning account for a different joke, except here it was even more obvious than Claire Foster. 
who kids a lot was kidding. All right, let's see. Yeah, I can hello, read Twitter contacts. Now. Yeah, you've got it. So it says, hello, Twitter contacts. FBI San Fran is notifying you of the below account activities, which may potentially constitute violations of Twitter's terms of service for any action or inaction deemed appropriate within Twitter policy. Thank you, Catherine. So the Twitter post says the following. It's the user is Byron, Byron underscore Wade. And the mm-hmm. name is Ultra Maga, um, stating the following: Americans vote today. Democrats, you vote Wednesday 9th. It was posted on Wednesday. Right? On, yeah, on it's a joke. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then another account, Claire Foster. Oh shit! What happened? Okay, Claire Foster. Uh, she claimed in her post that she's a ballot counter in her state, and an additional post states, "quote For every negative comment on this post." I'm adding another vote for the Democrats. <laughs> and quote, if you're not wearing a mask, I'm not counting your vote. It's clearly a um, joke. Yeah. So you got jokes here, and then the FBI requested for those uh, to be removed. We don't know if Twitter complied. Uh, I don't think they did, because if they did comply, it just shows very it's How a lot of laziness. How stupid they are, yeah. Yeah, so, the, okay, number what 16. What for you was, the, yeah, I'll let you go, because mine lagging now. Okay, yeah, uh, for a uh, quote, and this is uh, Claire Foster who Matt Taibbi interviewed, and she said, anyone who cannot discern obvious satire from reality has no place making decisions for others or working for the feds. Uh, that's what she said. Uh, so Matt goes on, he says, of the six accounts mentioned in the uh, previous two emails, all but two, Claire Foster and from MA were suspended. So everybody else got suspended. Um, wild. Uh, in an and what, wait, so email, the ones that got suspended, huh? do we know what they tweeted or not? Do we... they explain what the others... Yeah, he didn't post that, but I'm assuming they were either jokes or something, you know, it's just ridiculous. In an internal email from November 5, 2022, the FBI's National Election Command Post, which complies and sends uh, on complaints, uh, sent the FBI field office a long list of counts that may warrant additional action. Um, This is for ASAC Chan, Elvis Chan. ASAC is a special agent or whatever, right? So, um yeah, assistant special agent, something, 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 at Chan. Uh, the National Election Commission post, blah, blah, blah. And there's a bunch of, like a, like a ton, there's a 25. I'm not going to read all their names. It's just a bunch of random accounts. Uh, and they want them to, uh, they've identified them as, uh, as possibly, uh, you know, being responsible for, uh, further action by Twitter, right? They wanted them to be looked into for any possibilities. And Agent Chan passed this list on to the Twitter folks, right? Okay, and here's what he wrote to Twitter. He said, Twitter folks, uh, please see the below list of Twitter accounts which we believe are violating the terms of service by disseminating false information about the time, place, or manner of the upcoming elections. Let us know if you decide to take actions against these accounts based on our tipper to you. Uh, Also, uh, let us know if we need to issue a preservation letter as we intend to serve legal process for these accounts. Thank you for your consideration. So they were taking legal action, possibly, possible legal action against uh, these Twitter accounts for what could have been jokes. Maybe some of them are not jokes, but but some of them clearly were. And Twitter then replied with its list of actions that it took. Note uh, note that they showed some mercy uh, to the actor Billy Baldwin, who I guess uh, made a joke. Uh, It says here, hi, Elvis. Thank you for your patience as our team assessed the accounts that you flagged. We've compiled our review and taken the following actions on the some of the accounts permanently banned or permanently suspended for policy violations such as ban evasion, platform manipulation, and excessive misinformation strikes. And these are like a bunch of accounts. There's what? There's a bunch of Trump accounts, uh, you know, like fan accounts. 
temporarily suspended for spam behaviors, which is some guy, and then we bounce the following bounces, you know, suspended for like seven days or whatever, for civic policy uh, violations. In regards to your question about a preservation letter, it is a good way to ensure that the data has been purged from our systems before legal process, if filed and processed. Uh, externally, the contact for submitting those is the same. Patrick. Patrick Conlon at Twitter, right? Uh, and he sent that to an FBI agent, uh, Elvis Chan, and he CC'd Yol Roth and a ton of FBI emails, like FBI.gov, uh, FBI.gov, 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 just like six, probably six or seven FBI emails here, all in the email. All right, so Matt goes on. This is number 21 here. Many of the above accounts were satirical in nature, says Matt. Nearly all, with the exceptions of uh, Baldwin and at RSB Network, which is a... Uh, uh, right side uh, news, right? That's a that's a legitimate that's a legitimate news account. We're relatively low engagement. Some were suspended, most of a generic thanks Twitter letter. And so, looking at the examples that he has posted, it's all a bunch of suspended accounts. And a lot of the stuff that they were posting appear to be jokes. For instance, there's a joke here by some guy named Dr. Andrew Jackson where he says Democrats equate white women Republicans to roaches. Why is that? Why is that suspension worthy? That's you know he's making a he's expressing an opinion. That's not exactly something that you would consider election misinformation, right? Where can I where can I see it? Which number is that? Number twenty one. That's number twenty one. It's one of the tweets. It's like he took a, he took a gigantic collage of all these tweets that got people suspended, um, and that was one of the tweets. I, I don't want to read the rest because there's just like too many in there. I highly, yeah, I highly recommend. That. Which one did you you read the Billy 21. Baldwin one? Yeah. Yeah, the Billy Baldwin one. Yeah, his tweet is there. Yeah, which uh, the small I mean, ones are hard to see for you, or they because of they're hard to see. Yeah, they're, they're okay. There's another one here well. by Dr. Andrew Jackson. Democrats equate white Roman yeah, that's Republicans what I read. to roaches. Okay. Yeah, that's what I read. Yeah, the others are too small. So when told of the FBI flagging, Lexitola, which is another user who was flagged, said, "Told Matt Taibbi said my thoughts initially include that one. It seems like Freema Fassi a First Amendment violation. And holy cow, me an account with a reach of an amoeba. What else are they looking at? That's a good question, Lexitola. I mean, if they're looking at your tiny account for telling jokes, what else are they looking at? So twenty-three. Uh, I can't believe the FBI is policing jokes on Twitter. That's crazy, said Tiberius444, who is another user who was flagged for removal. Um, okay, in a letter uh, to former Deputy General Counsel and a former top FBI lawyer, Jim Baker, that, that's the guy who worked at Twitter, legal exec uh, Stacia Car- uh, Cardill uh, outlines results from her soon-to-be weekly meeting with the DHS, DOJ, FBI, and the office of the DNI, right, the Director of National Intelligence. And uh, there's a long email. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically it, uh, she's outlining. Uh, she works at um, – she's sending it to the FBI, and this is in, uh, September 16th, where they're talking about uh, the participation in a bunch of meetings and so on, right, which is very interesting. And this is 2022, by the way. Uh, the Twitter executive, that's uh, Stacy, uh, writes that she explicitly asked if there were impediments to sharing of classified information, quote, with industry. The answer is, quote, uh, FBI was adamant no impediments to sharing exist. So they can basically, uh, this passage underscores the unique one big happy family vibe between Twitter and the FBI. So they're working hand in glove with the FBI, right? Hand in glove with the FBI to provide them all the information that they asked for and, and vice versa. With, uh, quote, this is uh, from Matt Taibbi. He says, uh, what other firm would the FBI so blithely agree to no impediments to uh, classified information? That's that's crazy, right? So for all intents and purposes, the FBI was acting as an arm, uh, or rather, sorry, Twitter was acting as an arm of the FBI. 
At the bottom of the letter, she lists a series of escalations apparently raised at the meeting, which are all handled. Now, I'm sure you all remember the term handled. That means they banned somebody, right? So about one of these uh, cases that was handled, she writes, flagged a specific tweet on Illinois uh, use of modems, uh, modems yeah, to transmit election results in possible violation of civic integrity policy, except uh, they do use that technology in limited circumstances. Another internal letter uh, from January 2021 shows Twitter executives processing an FBI list of uh, possible violative content tweets. And it's just a bunch of random tweets. More stuff there. Number 30. Okay, so he says, in here too, uh, most tweets contain the same get out of here and vote Wednesday trope and low engagement. Like, it's just a dumb joke, right? I mean, election day is on November 8th. Yeah, so so what we're we're seeing so far, just before we get through them all very quickly, just to to explain for the audience, um, what we're seeing so far is just two things that I'm noticing. Number one is that Twitter is just complying with whatever the FBI requests without really doing the effort in terms of checking how legit those requests are and, and whether the accounts need to be suspended. And number two, when you go look yep. at those requests, most of them are just not most. I don't know how many are legitimate ones, but a lot of them at least are very silly ones. And a big bunch of them is mm-hmm. jokes. So it's like the FBI is not doing any work in checking because I'm guessing they've got like some sort of algorithm spotting those tweets and just dumping it on Twitter rather than going through them and checking which ones are legitimate, which ones are not. And then or they have really dumb people. They've got really dumb people. The, the, the FBI agent at the start said that he doesn't believe they have an algorithm or an AI or anything like that to make these determinations. I think they just had some low-level guy uh, forward it over to, to Twitter without even looking. Like, I mean, he's probably reading off a list of parameters that were given to him. Like, is this telling people to vote on a wrong day? Check. Is this person giving the wrong instructions on where to vote? Check. Right. And so you check those two boxes. Suddenly you have a problematic tweet that's flagged for removal. Right. So if I say uh, you should be voting on November 10 and go to your toilet to vote, you know, like that would be considered election misinformation because the idiot at the FBI doesn't recognize a joke from reality and they don't care. They're just, you know, doing their job, so to speak. But right? just I, I, I don't know. I, I think giving misinformation as far as dates go, I think that's something that should be I mean, I think Twitter should be concerned about that as far as going to your toilet to vote. I mean, that's obvious that it's a yeah. joke. So that's a little bit too far. And that's in my the issue, opinion. right? It's I think that it, there's a difference between when you say, oh, look, the election office is closed in, at this location. And that's a, clearly a lie, right? Like you don't want people to vote. So you're telling people, hey, it's going to close at, at two o'clock. So don't even bother going. Like that would be a lie, right? So I can I can see removing tweets like that. That's obviously for good reason. They should be removing that. But all the ones that were flagged here in these Twitter files were ones that were very clearly jokes. So it's like, hey, go vote on November 10th. You know, like no one's stupid enough to do that. I mean, no one. And, and these I don't know. I think there's some stupid people out there who. Well, like, they don't have yeah, a Ian, Ian, made that, Ian made that point about, oh, you're talking about the tweets being by stupid people. But yeah, no, well, well, just... well, I mean, like if somebody, if you see something that says go vote on November 10th, there are going to be people who. You know, having yeah, but that's not a big account. Though. I mean, like, oh, these are accounts of like election day. These are accounts of like ten people following or a hundred people following. I mean, they have no reach. They're clearly telling a joke, and the it's all done tongue in cheek, right? Or they're saying stuff like, uh, uh, "Democrats think uh, Republican women are, are 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 cockroaches." I mean, why is that flag for removal? That's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree on that one. Yeah. Uh, before we continue, guys, just I'll, I'll let you all just quickly tweet the link. Um, actually, just go to this. I'll send you the link. Ian, I just retweeted and, it. Yeah. Uh, 
Ah, oh, cool, cool. And you could just do it as a as a as a separate tweet just to get the reach yep. if you want. And for anyone listening, just because mm-hmm. we're not um, a space, so it doesn't get the yep. same reach as a space. So I've just sent it to you guys. And we do have. I'm I'm pretty surprised because usually lives don't get much reach in the algorithm. We have over a thousand two hundred people listening. Oh, but nice. Ed, have you before we get Ian? Ian's gone through it really well. Have you gone through the drop so far, Ed? Have you had a chance? I've gone through about half of them so far, and I've caught up oh, so some of up. it from uh, Ian we're, here. We're yeah, up to uh, yeah, we're up to twenty something. Stephen, how are you? A okay, a okay. Yeah, fascinating What's stuff. Uh, have you gone through? Have you gone through the drop so far? Yeah, I did, and it looks like it was uh, rapid fire delivery on this one, uh, as you mm-hmm. guys probably have observed too. I Thank think the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to sit here for ten hours. You know, I mean, that's just <laughs> absurd. I think. Sorry, guys, the... so... Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Steve. What are your thoughts so far before Ian goes through the rest of the tweets? Sure. I think one of the most notable things that uh, that I that I've uh, noticed so far for Twitter Drop Six is the fact that the FBI spent so much uh, time and resource going after these uh, low follower accounts for essentially just posting memes and anything that even ridiculed the election results and things of this nature. This seems I this seems extraordinarily petty, and uh, I can't judge if this is just. Because they didn't really know what they were doing, or uh, if if they were really just trying to um, install a climate of fear against people that were um, uh, questioning the elections. Has, has the quick question in? Has the thread shown any? Uh, is it mainly focusing on right wing tweets, or we don't know yet? The, the, uh, the, uh, it's both sides. Clarified. It's both sides. It's literally both sides. Hmm. Yeah, which doesn't, which doesn't, are... it doesn't move away from the point, it, it, the, the main issue, which is censorship. Obviously, leaning more to the right. Right, in government general. censorship doesn't matter who it's done to. It right? doesn't matter. Well, well so, so there are some t- some tweets and accounts that were not removed after the government sent them this data. Am I, am I correct? Oh, yes, you're correct. The yes. There are a few, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and where, those where appear to, to be left wing accounts, which is it kind of shows some bias on Twitter's part that the ones that were mm-hmm. kept alive were left-wing accounts, whereas the ones that were removed were right-wing accounts. Hmm. It'd be funny if hmm. I see your name there, Ed, uh, you and Brian, in, the, in that <laughs> list of, of accounts removed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, where are we up to? Let's go back. Let me go back to okay, the okay, Where are yeah. we up to? So 31, yeah. In a March, uh, March 2021 emailed an FBI liaison, thanks a senior Twitter executive for the chance to speak to you and the team, and then delivers a packet of products. Products is in quotes. Not really sure what that is. It's not clarified. Number thirty-two. The executive. What do you think? Circulates. What do you? What do you? What, what do you think it means? That's, uh, oh well, yeah, that's number thirty-two. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh, okay. The okay. executive <laughs> circulates the products, which are really DHS bulletins stressing the need for greater collaboration between law enforcement and private sector partners. That's really bad. So it basically means that hey, you guys are working for us now. You know. So here are the products that are listed right. in the uh, the drop here. Thirty-two. So, uh, so the. The the bulletin the the product is essential. Are you gonna go through it the next? Yeah, I'll, let you, I'll let you go through. I'll, yeah, I'll let you go through the points till you finish that particular point, and then we'll comment okay. on it because we don't we don't oh, know when it ends. Oh. You let us know. Yeah, so here's the points. Yeah, please see the products that the FBI of uh, Office of Public Sector just provided to us. Uh, please feel free uh, feel feel free to share it with your teams, and that's three of them. Number one, Russian malign influence use of permissive social media platforms. That's number one. So they think that Russians are influencing the elections or something, or rather influencing social media. Number two, heightened domestic violent terrorist uh, extremist threat to persist in 2021. So that's just, you know, that's domestic. And number three, 
Iranian influence efforts primarily use online tools to target U.S. audiences remain easily detectable for now. When I say products, they're basically articles, right? They're a bunch of like, you know, documents explaining, oh, here's how the Iranians do this. And and here's how those domestic extremists, uh, you know, do that, do that, you know, like that, that is that is what they're talking about when they're referring to products. Okay, understood. Yep. So number 33, uh, the ubiquity of the uh, 2016 Russian interference story as stated pretext for building out the censorship machine cannot be overstated. Now, if you're not familiar, the 2016 Russian interference story is basically just cooked up, right? It's uh, it's nonsense. Uh, it's an, uh, analogous uh, to the how 9-11 inspired the expansion of the security state. He's referring to, of course, the Patriot Act, right? That was... Uh, something that was done under the Republican uh, President George W. Bush used that to crack down on people's freedoms and destroy any semblance of privacy uh, in the United States, or even the whole world, really. So uh, this is from the Office of uh, Intelligence and Analysis and Intelligence in Brief. And here's the overview of the Russian malign influence on permissive social media platforms. So it says here in the assessment, we assess that Russian malign influencers uh, probably will increasingly use U.S. social media platforms to offer more permissive operating environments. We base this assessment on the reduced uh, effectiveness of Russian influence operations on established U.S. social media platforms. Got, and uh, Stephen, Russian do, you wanna, do you want to mute your mic? Stephen, you oh, mute my, your mic? my apologies. Yeah. I thought it was. Yep, yep. No. Our assessment is also based on the assumption that uh, Russian line influences see operational advantages in sites with less active effort to ban false information, offensive language, and inauthentic behavior. So that is their little assessment. Okay, okay so, so, so what, we, what we're seeing here, we're up to 34, yeah? Yeah, we are. No, next one, 35. So essentially what we're seeing is the FBI, just to make sure I understand it for the audience, the FBI was sharing files with Twitter employees guiding them on how to moderate content is that what the files yes are that is correct yeah that is how so the these these briefs are basically guidelines on how to detect uh, uh foreign influence operations or domestic terrorist operations so they'll be looking you know they'll be reading these documents they'll give this to their teams meaning the trust and safety team or the moderation team or whoever and then have them memorize it and then use that as a guideline for who to censor so they see some guy, you know, may, maybe posting memes that are uh, in line with, uh, you know, the little document that they read. They'll just take so action would against be, that person. Would be so. There's two points here. I'd love to get Stephen Ed's thoughts, but as two, it's two points, two things I would look at. Number one is how what's included in those files. How biased are they? How strict are they? Or how lazy were they written? Uh, and number two is the 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 touchy point here is that you've got a, a government governmental body leveraging social media to apply censorship and yep. where do you draw the line between you know protecting against foreign interference and obviously cyber attacks are always going to be the case i'm not mm -hmm. saying in this particular case in general and where does it become um biased or or for other for other reasons um I, like the only way to know, and I'd love to get Stephen Ed's thoughts on this, but the only way to know is obviously to go through the files. But it yeah. is pointing at least there is some bias either from the FBI side or Twitter side. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think it's evident. I think it's evident that Twitter had a bias. So, I mean, I don't think it, this falls into any categories of being illegal or anything, but the bias was definitely there. Uh, they, you know, I, I think we know that Twitter had most, most of their employees were, more liberal minded. But again, I don't think 
anything is illegal. I think it's just, you know, private company doing what they want, just like Truth Social can do what they want or any of the Facebook can do what they want as far as controlling what they want to do on their own platform. But then do you think it will cross the, crosses the line if the FBI's papers or their requests will buy us? I don't, rather I, don't than I think they have the ability to provide companies with information as long as they're not they saying do. you no, must I... delete this. And if they did say you must delete this, then Twitter could sue them and a court would decide what's right. Yeah, I, I would say if, so if the FBI requests them to remove content that's right-leaning and Twitter agrees with that request, Twitter would abide by a request They're like, shit, yeah, the FBI wants us to remove this. I don't like this and I have a reason to remove it now. Well, I, I mean, I think it falls in the same category as, as a subpoena does. You know, if you're a subpoena, you don't actually have to provide the information. But if you don't provide that information, the FBI can go to a court and say, you know, they're not providing this information. I'd like you to get a search warrant to do it. And then the court decides if they can actually go forward with a search. Ian, Steve? Um, Steve, you go first. Sure, sure. Well, firstly, what I find remarkably notable now is just how much we are still suffering the consequences and the re- and 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 the, res- the results of the Patriot Act. Uh, just a terrible, terrible piece of legislation that has just had devastating long-term consequences that we're feeling right now. Um, in part, why we are here right now. I I th- think it's also notable. Uh, to think when the Patriot Act was first proposed, there was only one U.S. senator that opposed it at that time. That was Democrat Russ Feingold, very principled man. And he stood up against a lot, a lot of flack that he took from the mainstream media um, and all of his fellow Democrats and certainly the Republican Party at the time, which was predominantly comprised of uh, neoconservatives and their agenda. This was, of course, during the Bush-Cheney years, et cetera. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's the first thing that pops out. To and me and is... for anyone, for, for the Patriot Act, just to give clarity for the audience, Patriot Act was enacted in '01 by Bush, and that's essentially it's like a terrorism act after the 9/11 events, uh, which allowed the FBI more powers to, you know, maybe Steve, you want to continue explaining it? What no, powers think, do they have? Yeah, it it basically it it, it what it did is it expanded those powers. Um, and at the cost of our privacy, right? So it really uh, enabled agencies like the FBI to see what we're seeing right now, going after uh, a 65-year-old uh, granny Trump supporters that are posting memes. I mean, this is this is a direct consequence of that legislation. Now, the the biggest problem with the leg- pieces of legislation like the Patriot Act is they they're not very clearly defined, and they're do- they are intentfully designed that way to give our government an uh, astronomical amounts of leeway to do what they please in the name of serving and protecting us at the cost to uh, everyday citizens' rights and privacy. We'll be crazy if we'll be crazy, Ian, we'll be crazy if we see uh, like a request in those papers where the FBI is asking for private messages between two individuals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jeez. Imagine we see that. that. Imagine we see that That'd tomorrow. Be It'll be fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, Ian, oh, and, and before what, we I, get back oh, into no. this, right? Before we get back into this, I want to tell everybody to go take a look at what uh, Eric Schmidt, he's the Attorney General for Missouri, has found. Right? He has released a bunch of uh, papers himself, and uh, that's the result of his state uh, 
suing Twitter, sorry, not Twitter, suing the Biden administration for its uh, collusion of social media companies uh, uh, regarding the uh, censorship of uh, of users, so particularly the doctors, the COVID doctors that were speaking out against lockdowns. So that is a, that's an interesting case. And we see the same name pop up again and again. That's Elvis Chan. That was the FBI's liaison to Twitter. And he shows up in these emails, the ones that were released today, uh, as a, as a, as a constant fixture there. Yeah. He's always talking to Yul Roth. It looks like they were pals. So that was that. Elvis Chan's a pretty cool name though. It is a cool name, yeah. I wonder what he looks like. I mean, maybe he's an Elvis impersonator, or he's just a schlubby looking dude, you know, like five foot two, it <laughs> balding, would be, it, you know. Yeah, that that would be uh that would Glasses. be most, That's probably the most probable scenario, and definitely more. I don't know. It would be more. I'm going to Google the guy. Okay, Elvis <laughs> Chan. If, if he was an good? Elvis impersonator, that would be pretty awesome, though. Yeah, I, I don't know. If he was like full on committed to it. Oh, there is a website. Okay, Elvis Chan Cybersecurity Summit, and there's no picture of him, so I have no idea what he looks like. Oh, oh right. I actually found a picture of him. Uh, I was right. He is a balding dude with glasses. Okay. okay. Wow. Well, go me. <laughs> he's not schlubby though he's just really skinny i guess yeah he's a skinny dude yeah, yeah. kind of a nice it looking guy it yeah. looking guy yeah, yeah yeah he's got like a bald head well balding head as well as a bald head i don't know what age he is probably 38 40 something i don't know it's probably my age or something i'm not 40 going, by the way uh, so where are we up to by the way you know i'm just going through them uh we gets, are at juicy by the way 34 we're at 34 right now yeah okay uh, I'll let so you continue, continue going through them. Yeah. Okay, so Matt Taibbi says, while the DHS in its products pans uh, permissive uh, social media for offering operational advantages to Russians, it also explains that the domestic violence extremist threat requires addressing information gaps. Now, what are those? Well, FBI in one case sent over many possible violative content reports. Uh, the Twitter uh, personnel congratulated each other in Slack for the monumental undertaking of reviewing them. So... There's a bunch of screen, a couple of screenshots here uh, saying, uh, "Hey, it's a monumental undertaking. Thanks for you know, thanks for going through these." Uh, there were multiple points of entry into Twitter for government-flagged reports. This letter from Agent Chan, Elvis Chan, to Yul Roth references Teleporter, a platform through which Twitter could receive reports directly from the FBI. So hold on, Teleporter is essentially just like a, an app that they use to communicate purely for sending reports through. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Okay. This is yeah. So if you guys don't know what teleporter is, well now you know. It's a uh, so way too. Reading, I'm reading. I'm reading the screenshot now. So Twitter. I'll read out one of them for you. For Ian. I, yep. uh, Twitter folks. I just got something hot off the presses today. Please be on the lookout for a teleporter message from me with two documents to download. Thanks, Elvis. Elvis Chan, supervisory special agent. So it just shows that they're using that teleporter. Yeah, okay. teleporter app. Yeah, it's a direct sending thing. It's encrypted, I believe. So yeah, makes sense. Because you you know you wouldn't want to put it on uh, uh, on Google Drive or something. Uh, reports came from different agencies. Here, an employee recommends bouncing content. Bouncing, if you don't know the terminology here, it means uh, suspending people, right? Temporarily suspending, like seven days or whatever, based on evidence from the DHS. Uh, and uh, see here, there's a blanked out names, and it says we're sharing as uh, we're sharing this as it doesn't look like they were actioned yesterday. Given the evidence we received from the DHS, etc., uh, I'd lean towards badding the uh, uh, URL and bouncing the videos. To be honest, 
given the accusations, but relatively low visibility. So they wanted to, to shadow ban this uh, piece of content. Mm-hmm. The state governments also flagged content. Twitter, for instance, received reports through the Partner Support Portal, an outlet created by the uh, CIS, uh, which is the Center for Internet Security, a partner organization to the DHS. So it is a government organization. In large uh, text, why was no action taken? Below, Twitter executives receiving an alert from California officials, by the way of our partner support portal, debate on how to act on a Trump tweet. Wow. So there's like a big-ass complaint, which is citing a bunch of laws and stuff, elections code, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, the Twitter replies. I'll read it. I'll, I'll, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, I want to read the Trump. Can I read the Trump tweet that yeah, they're go referring for it. to? I'm going to read the Trump tweet. California hired a pure sleepy Joe Democrat firm to count and harvest, quote unquote, harvest votes. No way Republicans get a fair shake. Lawyers get started. At GOP leader, California is in big trouble. Vote Trump and watch the greatest comeback of them all. Also, New York and Illinois, go for it. I don't see how that's uh, even. Yeah, yeah, I I don't see what's wrong about it. Ed, you'd be perfect to criticize this. Do you, th- do you see anything wrong with this tweet, this, uh, considering your uh, opinions about Trump? I, I think probably the the idea that this Democratic firm is harvesting votes, and at that time, I don't think there was any evidence that that was taking place. I'm not sure. You know, I don't remember exactly back then, but that's what my guess is. So, yeah, what do you think about this? Actually, fair point here. So when, when Donald says um, – uh, so Joe Democratic firm. So the f- Democratic firm is harvesting votes. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, let's just go with the fact. Let's just go with the with the with with the story that it's untrue, just for the point of making it into an interesting discussion. Because if sure. it's true, then then it makes it. If it's yeah, true it's and moot. it's proven to be true, then obviously censoring it makes zero sense. So let's say it's untrue, just yeah. to make it into a discussion. So if this is untrue, is that enough grounds to censor? I don't think it is. I mean. It's his opinion, right, that they're harvesting votes and how he defines har- vote harvesting. I mean, depending on that, who that's you the ask, thing. How do you define it? Right. Like, yeah, there are is, different definitions of vote harvesting. Exactly. Yeah. Like some people will say that simply going house to house is a form of ballot harvesting. You know, when you ask and, you know, ask to pick up their votes and do it for them. And there are ways. And I mean, this is just I, I, I'm not referring to anything specific here, but there are ways to ballot harvest, which, you know, you would go to a tenement, like a really poor place, you know, with like lots of immigrants or old people and then just get their votes there. Right. Like just have them help them fill out the papers, their voting forms and then do it for them. Right. That that is a thing that some people have done you know in the united states that's a crime but it's not technically a crime if you do it in the legal sort of way like it's 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 really dirty it's like a way of playing dirty and in my opinion i mean if the democrats are doing it in some places they are like there's proof they do this in uh, minneapolis right and in uh, las vegas and parts of california well the republicans should do it too i mean if it's legal do it would you, Ian, would you, would you say, like, I'm just going through what, what Twitter and the uh, California, I think it's a Californian, uh, yeah, it's state California that complained it. Yeah, yeah. So what, they, what California said is why, so to clarify, they're asking for Twitter, hold on, someone's calling me. So they're asking whether Twitter needs to review and they're saying, um, yes, yeah, so, so Twitter could actually just review it without deleting the tweet, maybe putting a disclaimer under it. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So like yeah, I, it says yeah. Sorry, Father, you, I got, you can go first. I, I, no, I was just saying. 
I got, hold on, let me just confirm something. Yeah, go do, ahead. Do we know if Twitter took action against this tweet or haven't we got that far yet? Uh, I don't, I don't think they said if they took action against it. I mean, you can probably look up the tweet there. It, if, if anything, it's probably going to still be live because right, guys, guys I'm just about to kick it off the space. The space is back. So let me kick it up. Oh, is it? Oh, is it really? Yeah, let me kick it up. Twitter. Oh, oh shoot. Files. Okay. You guys see my space above live coverage. Nice. All right, let's do this. Good timing, right? Perfect timing. I'm waiting for it to load. It's up. Let's do okay. this. Oh, you got to rest- yeah. We got to force restart your app. Let me oh, let okay. me get my mic up. All right, guys, I'm gonna leave this open for a bit more. Join the space. It's above. You see it on my account. Yep. All right, I'm I'm checking out of this. My space is on my phone, and I'm using my phone for my camera, so I can only do okay. one at a time. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. Same, yeah. I can same here. Yeah. Same here. We'll see you guys over there. All right. See you there. Cheers. Bye. I just started the space. Let's see. Is it working for you guys? Discussing the Twitter files. Why am I acting like I'm still on camera? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, it's out. Okay. So to give a brief overview of what's been going on. So uh, today's Twitter files just dropped and it dropped all at once. And it's a lot to go through. But essentially it shows, it gives an overview of how Twitter worked together with the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security to censor a number of Twitter users. They were taking direct uh, um, orders, essentially, from these government agencies, and they did so without informing the public as well. So there was no transparency, and uh, people got suspended over jokes. What was essentially jokes, uh, the FBI would send uh, Twitter a bunch of requests and say, hey, take these down. And Twitter would review these requests and in most cases would act on it. And in most cases, they were just jokes published, usually, typically by conservatives. And the only people who didn't get banned that we know of, that we can see, are uh, 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 liberals. So it's very one-sided, you know, because, hey, they agreed with uh, banning uh, conservatives. Very cool. So, but one thing to note is that um, the FBI's requests also included liberals who were telling jokes. The Twitter just decided to act on only just half of them, if that makes sense. So that's where Billy really Baldwin was spared, right? Yep, that's right. Billy Baldwin was spared. Yeah, and yeah. we saw we saw as well we saw as well that the um, the um, uh, there was a portal that was interesting. There was a portal between Twitter and 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 the FBI uh, for the FBI to send those requests. But those requests were very petty. Can you give us a, a few examples, uh, Ian, just to while we wait for everyone okay. else to to join? One of the most common examples, and this was something that would pop up again and again, was something you know as innocuous as, "Hey, don't vote on uh, uh, don't vote on on November eighth. Vote on November 9th or vote on November tenth." Uh, and 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 you know, like that would be it. Like they would say something like, "Hey, Democrats, go vote on November 9th. Conservatives, you you guys vote today." Like it's a stupid joke. It's a fucking joke. Nobody believes it, right? But that was the quality of content that they were removing for election misinformation, even though it's clearly a joke, doesn't matter who says it, doesn't matter if the liberals says it or a conservative says it, nobody takes it seriously, right? It's obviously a joke. That was the stuff that they were removing. Now, I understand if they want to remove something that was like clear disinformation, like, hey, this polling booth is closed, the machines don't work. Like that, obviously, yeah, you have to flag that because that would be misinformation that's, you know, dangerous to uh, the security of polls, right? But that was not the case in a lot of these cases. They haven't shown any examples of stuff like that. They've only shown examples of people saying dumb stuff like uh, a vote tomorrow or vote you know next week. 
don't vote today. You know, like that's clearly a joke. But this was the quality of the the stuff that was being flagged. Did you get and to it, the? It, I'm just wanted to ask if, if you got to the tweet where the FBI is specifically requesting a follower lists for flagged accounts and location info. I mean, that's insane. I've not gotten there yet. Yeah. That sounds juicy. That sounds really juicy. We're on what number three, thirty-five, or something like that so far. Oh, you, you passed. Yeah, pass. I think so. And, and before, go ahead, protocol. Yeah, you passed it. Uh, the tweet that was connected to that was, it was Twitter drop uh, number eighteen. It's in the email. The FBI's oh. field office in the email was asking for it, and, he, and you know they they phrase it, you know, give us just what you want. But this is a federal agency that can, you know, basically destroy them, saying. Give us location yep. info. Give us all the followers of these accounts. They don't just want the accounts; they want the people following the accounts. Where, where do you where do you see that protocol? It's an email. It's an email. It's eighteen. Number I'll pin it up there. That's the only thing I'll pin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. That. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna check it now. Um, yeah, so if we go one. to eighteen, I'm gonna check it now. So eighteen, I'm gonna check it. So. Um, Okay, so they requested specifically NECP is requesting the following. Uh, what's the NECP? Uh, that national. Is a national election something something. It's a it's a government committee. Uh, national election committee. PPPP. But the FBI. Right, so number one. Yeah. Okay, as uh, part of the FBI. Okay, so number one coordination between SF, which stands for San Francisco. No. Yeah, yeah. What's SF goes? Oh, yeah, San, okay. Coordination between San Francisco and Twitter to determine whether the accounts identified below have violated Twitter's terms of service and may be subject any action deemed appropriate by Twitter. Number two, the issuance of preservation letters regarding the accounts identified below in order to preserve subscriber information and content information pending the issuance of legal process. And number three, any location information associated with the accounts that Twitter will voluntarily provide to aid the FBI in assigning any follow-up DM necessary to the appropriate FBI field office. And there's a whole bunch of accounts. Everyone, if you go to tweet in the thread by Matt, Matt Taibbi, we'll, uh, we'll put it, if uh, it's pinned above by, by protocol. Number 18, you can go through the list of Twitter accounts. So they're essentially, and, and that's, Request, it's a request from Twitter, so Twitter has to offer that information. Is that correct? They don't, but but it's the if you look at the relationship that Twitter and the FBI had, the way they were interacting, everything else, you're not going to mess with a government agency that can make your life miserable. I mean, some of the names on these lists are joke accounts. You have actor Billy Baldwin. These are not. Did you? How many though. have you have you gone through all of them or not yet? Have you gone through all of them, Protocol or no? I've read all of them. This. By far, to me, other than the weekly meeting email that's going to come up eventually, this was by far was the most damning email I've seen. And can you explain to the audience why do you find it damning? I find it damning because you have a government agency basically limiting uh, the user content, not on any public safety data. These are just people posting opinions, posting news articles. Nothing about it posed any danger or threat. To, you know, this is basically uh, Matt Taibbi was on. Uh, I think it's called Rising Points the other day, and he's basically said, and I agree with, was that all the tools that the National Defense and Intelligence Agency developed on the war on terror to control and deal with information abroad has now been turned on the U.S. citizens. 
but not for public safety, for censorship and to push a narrative. Uh, if you look at most of these times when they had requests, they didn't even provide specific tweets. They just said, hey, look, we think they might be violating your terms of service. Do whatever you want to do. And then you look at them going through the accounts trying to find anything. I mean, they, they, they phrased it specifically for legal jargon. If anybody's an attorney, they're, they're trying to cover their ass. But you can see how in-depth and incestuous this relationship was. And another drop, and I'll stop talking since you guys got to go through them, that, that crossed my attention is that it's clear in these releases that they were also doing this operation in Facebook. We sort of knew this through Zuckerberg's interview with Joe Rogan. But specifically, I guess they flagged something of concern on Facebook and reached out to Twitter, and Twitter confirmed that, no, this operation or whatever you're afraid of is not going on on Twitter. So it's clear that this type of government intervention and involvement wasn't limited to Twitter, which we all knew, but we have confirmation that the FBI was doing this, where, at least with Facebook. Where, where's, the, where's the confirmation? Sorry, I, I didn't hear that. I, I have to look through it. It was in another email attachment between the FBI and Twitter. Uh, I'll look for in it. Today's, in today's... Can I, can I hey, interrupt? Hi, guys. I just want to remind people here, because so many people are still DMing me and asking me for the space. Please, please, please retweet the space. Spaces have been broken for the past 12 hours, so people are not seeing it at the top. So it does a huge service for everyone on Twitter. If you just go and quickly retweet the space from, from any one of us, or just hit the share icon and tweet it out yourself, it's super helpful to let other people know we're here. Thank how, you, Mario. How are you, so how are you Tara? How are you? I, I'm good. I'm excited, and I'm so happy that Elon, you know, heard what I what I said that Twitter files would not be the same without Spaces, and sure enough, here we are. So uh, it's just a perfect example of how you know he listens to us, and it's just amazing. I mean, I am you can I couldn't be happier right now, but I'm also. You know, this is crazy. The FBI involvement and everything that we've all been talking about, it's, it's all true. Like we've been, we've all been made out to be like these crazy people and, and gaslit so hard that I'm, I am like pinching myself. Like, am I actually awake right now? Is this the truth? Is this actually coming out? So it's wild. I, mean, I, I, I penned it up for you. It was number 24. If you look at the email chain, it's basically Twitter responding to DHS or FBI requests. Towards the bottom of it, they say specifically that essentially the FBI had been in contact with Facebook regarding some uh, things they wanted to flag. And they reached out specifically on Twitter to see if the same was going on. Twitter sent them a reply that it was not. But it was in that email that you would see that. I Which confirms that kind of the obvious. Go ahead, Catherine. Yeah, no, I have to say that as much as yes, uh, Twitter is an in, you know private company, but when the FBI comes with a request and it is it is so vague, right? They're not saying we have these very specific criminal charges that we're investigating, and therefore we need your assistance. And I worked at one point in in sort of uh, the law enforcement side of things, and you know you. That makes sense. Sometimes you do ask uh, social media companies to cooperate where you set up dummy accounts and things like that. But in this case, they are being incredibly vague in their targeting sort of such a wide assortment of accounts that didn't seem to violate the law. And that's that's the key here. They, they haven't violated, like Billy Baldwin uh, being an accountant that I would recognize. I mean, there's no legal violations. So for the FBI to sort of come, it, it, it feels a little McCarthy to me. Mm -hmm. And so um, the threat that a company like Twitter, independent of their politics, would feel when they, a major 
kind of organization like that would come to them. I do feel that that crosses a line. And again, I don't think it's about politics at all. You know, I don't, I've been thinking about this a lot and it doesn't matter whether it's like a, you know, I think, I don't know if it's conservatives only that have been targeted or not. I don't think that's so clear to me in, in what the Twitter files have shown. I think we've seen, I've seen, we've seen in today's drop that no liberals were targeted, just not to the same extent. Yeah, that, that, and I think that's um, that, that's good that that's come out. And so I think I think where the line is crossed is really that there was targeting in general, and that the FBI specifically or any government agency was involved. So I think I think. But, but Catherine, targeting. if yeah. you if you've worked for law enforcement, you know how they can couch their language to provide cover. When you look yeah. at this, over ninety percent is targeting conservative Twitter, right? Just to cover your ass, you throw in a, f- a few other accounts. And just to show how bad faith the FBI was when they sent these accounts and said, hey, look, they violated your service. In some instances, Twitter said there was no violation. So this just showed the FBI's intent to control the narrative, control free speech when it came to election integrity and security issues. Because in that email 18, there is a reply later on. And in some of the accounts, they said, listen, this was a, this was worth a lockout. This was worth a permanent ban. But for these, it's we saw no violation. So that just shows the FBI even to be forwarding this without providing any specific tweets, any information shows that this was just done to chill free speech. So so I, I beg I kind of differ on this opinion that you guys are saying that the FBI was intimidating Twitter. And I, I don't think that's the case. Major corporations, billion, multi-billion dollar corporations, they don't easily get intimidated from the FBI when they're issuing statements regarding election interference. So this is an effective re- use of the FBI's resources? Is that what you're saying? Instead of tracking down federal dealers dealing with federal I, crimes, you think that they should be using this amount of resources to censor free speech? No, I think about protocol. I think about protocol. That's not what he was saying, Cordo. I think he did. Yeah, I think what he was saying is that uh, I he just doesn't give him another argument. That even if oh, okay, was, okay. Said, so, so can, can I finish? Just let him finish. Let Brian finish. Go ahead, Brian. You're muted, bro. Brian, you're muted. Sorry, yeah, yeah, I, I got it. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, like I was saying, I don't think they're easily intimidated, especially a what, what, a forty billion dollar company like Twitter. Uh, I personally had my business contacted by the FBI. I ran internet forums and they asked me for IP addresses of specific individuals. I didn't feel intimidated at all. I didn't feel like I had to give them that information. It was a request. It wasn't a subpoena. If I turned down that, maybe they would have subpoenaed me. I don't know. But uh, I I had I didn't have the money to fight off a subpoena or anything. But these corporations. But wouldn't it be easier to cooperate than not to cooperate? Oh, I, I, absolutely. But but for, when you have a legal team on on your staff, and you can you can quickly and easily fight back if you wanted to. Th- these 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 FBI requests are related to specific incidences, election information that's being passed on maybe misinformation maybe not uh and twitter can decide for themselves it's a request it's, it's not uh, well my problem not... with them is that they're general they're not specifying instances right so they're just giving account names and they want just general information they're not saying oh, no, no, yeah, these I, are the I instances I, yeah. I i i agree like like i i think that some of the requests are ridiculous but i don't think that twitter is feeling like they're forced oh, yes, 
Ooh, I, I would yeah. I, I, yeah. I would agree, Catherine, because like the requests, if they requests are mainly targeting um, people on the right, as we've seen, and um, Twitter is more left leaning, then it would make sense. And, and Brian, I don't think that's what you're implying, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go there. I think Twitter would would then why wouldn't they comply? Because like they already have that bias, and we saw that in previous. Um, Previous file drop, Steve. You were and on they have that relationship, the working relationship with the FBI. <laughs> yeah, Plus, you can Mario, you can bank actually, that. You, you I was can bank actually going to say, favor, Mario, right? that you can you could. Sorry, just muted everyone. Um, Steve, I know you were the first to unmute, and I think Sphinx was speaking right after you. So, Steve, I'll let you just quickly uh, comment, and then we go to Sphinx. Appreciate it. I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what Brian was saying, and a point I would largely agree with him on, is. Twitter didn't have to be have to have their arm twisted to cooperate with the FBI. We already know through what we've seen through the Twitter files thus far is that there was an overwhelmingly inherent bias to the left. It is also seeming that the FBI is also shares a common has shared a common goal with Twitter 1.0 and being biased against um, folks that weren't more to the left. So the cooperation there seemed very symbiotic and, almost voluntary overall so um that i think that's was that is that generally what you're saying brian uh yeah i i agree with the point that that twitter was already uh biased towards the left there's no doubt that their employees were biased towards the left i i don't know if i agree that the fbi is biased towards the left i i think that overall i think the majority of fbi agents are more right-leaning if you were to do research on that uh so i i don't know if i'd agree with that well i would counter i would counter that maybe not necessarily in that regard but i think there's enough evidence to show that the fbi uh had a lot of um uh efforts to thwart and stifle the trump administration specifically um and uh, i i know seb uh gork has spoken to that as well the last thing i will say the last thing i'll say is a lot of the overreach of power that we had been seeing from the FBI in relation to Twitter 1.0 would not have been legally possible without the Patriot Act. Again, we are still feeling the consequences from this awful piece of legislation from 2001. We need to completely repeal it. We need to elect public officials who are willing to do it, willing to stand up to do it. This is absolute bullshit. It's nonsense. The Patriot Act has no place in American life, in my opinion. I, I want to, guys, I want to quickly, I know Sphinx, I, I want to give you the mic right after Sphinx. So I didn't forget, but quickly, we just had Name Redacted join. Um, not sure, uh, Ian, do you know Name Redacted, the account? Uh, I'm not super familiar. So he did a tweet. Yeah, so he did a tweet. Um, uh, uh, um, about 10 days ago um, talking about Twitter and all the ex-FBI and CIA agents working there in high ranks and it, it went pretty viral it got um, 21,000 likes 9,000 retweets so a uh, first name redacted thanks for joining man thank you um, I think in light of today's Twitter files dump it's even more important the one thing you know if, you, if anyone listening has not seen it go to my account it's pinned um, there are still 15 former FBI agents working at Twitter. This should be talked about even more than anything right now. So you're well, saying right I now? Yeah, that it's okay. Really quick, I was just going to say that Brian made a point of saying that you know most FBI agents, or he would say the majority, are more to the right, but that doesn't. That doesn't prove that the ones who are actually working tight knit with Twitter 
are not more left leaning, if that makes sense. Well, well Elon did say he likes the FBI overall, so he did tweet that. Well, why, I mean, I'm sorry to add going, to that. Going, it's, it's going, going, oh, guys, the before. People uh, in command. The people in I command. Wanna, who were issued I want to go back. Uh, I want to go back These to name redacted. former FBI agents that are in high ranking positions at Twitter, senior management roles. So, and there's 15 of them. Yeah, at the moment, all, after, I after, 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 all of them on my thread, all of their LinkedIn's were public. They didn't hide it. You know, some of them have scrubbed it since then, but at the time, they're all public. It's not wow. like a secret. It's, so, it's but then I want to, I want to take, um, but how many, so I have another question. How many were, were let go since, uh, Elon took over? Do you uh, know? I think just, just Jim Baker, uh, all their profiles at the time when I wrote the thread, they were all, they're all current employees. And if you want to, I mean, I didn't go into, but, like, but uh, didn't, didn't Elon, hold on, didn't Elon, um, let go of a, a big percentage of, of the employee or the staff at Twitter? There must yes, be more FBI agents among those, no? There, there could be. I mean, the 15 that I highlighted are still currently there. Um, there were probably three other profiles that were, were hidden, like they're not available. So there's probably like 18. And, that, and that's just of the ones that have a LinkedIn profile. Why do you think there's such a high number of FBI or former CIA people working at a company like this well, is there strategic well, relevance do you think or is there yeah hey Catherine, uh, we, we because we do have I'll a new tell you, hold on Sorry. i i looked at facebook and i looked at google and i'm going to write something about facebook this weekend and it's going to blow your mind it, it's even worse at facebook and and by the way all these F- X- FBI, CIA, and now Twitter just has FBI agents. Facebook has enough, dozens of CIA, NSA, and FBI, and every single person was hired after Trump was elected. Maybe that's just a coincidence. I don't know. And a lot of these people are in the trust and safety groups at these companies. So, so you're saying well, Meta has more... Yeah. So, just be before before we move on just sorry guys tom welcome to stage tom um a, a couple of quick questions sorry name redacted you're saying meta has even more ex-fbi meta has and... over 60. yes 60 and mark zuckerberg came out and said that he was being strong-armed by the fbi he did that on a joe rogan interview did you ever get a chance to watch that mario no interesting yeah mark zuckerberg well, they... came out and basically whistleblowed on the fbi and this was months ago in regard well, we, to censorship. One thing that's kind of interesting is, for example, with Meta, we know that they, there's some involvement, for example, with the, with everything that's going on in Iran, uh, removing some of the evidence of the crimes that are being committed against the people protesting, uh, the revolution there, or the protests there. Um, they're removing, there's pressure on these companies to remove that, and they've actually cooperated. So, I mean, I wonder what involvement there is in, in, in those kinds of actions. Um, so before we go to – so I see Sphinx and Protocol. Mario, can and, I make uh, one more point? Yeah, I want to go back to you. I have one more question to you, and then we'll go to Vijuan. Yeah. Good to have you. Um, so what, the, the, the question I have for you, man, you said there's over 60 at uh, Meta. Are you going to release the entire list as well? You've got a list or not yet? Yeah, I do. 
I'm gonna, yeah, my team is gonna send you my number, man. Let's connect off of uh, Twitter, um, like DM me personally. One more point I want to make too is the first Twitter files dump. Um, I forget who did it, Matt Taibbi, I think. Um, and then that was obviously interfered with by Jim Baker. So that tells you how much access he had. So how much a- there, there are still ex FBI agents working at Twitter in management roles. What access do they have? What are they doing? What were they, were they acting as intermediaries with Yul Roth and this whole thing, you know, like that needs to be explored and hopefully Elon's doing it. Can I read this last tweet by Matt Taibbi just a moment ago? Um, it says, instead of chasing child sex predators or terrorists, the FBI has agents, lots of them, analyzing and mass flagging social media posts, not as part of any criminal investigation, but as permanent and in itself surveillance operation. People should not be okay with this. Sphinx. Yeah, thank you, Mario. I just wanted to say, and it kind of relates to what just Tara just read, you know, the FBI, I agree with you, Brian, was not pressuring Twitter. Twitter was an active participant here. They were partners. This is um, this does not take any sort of culpability off of Twitter here. Um, and another thing I wanted to say is, you know, I was in the space last night with the journalists and when, when Elon came in. And Mario, you'd be very disappointed. It was not like your spaces when he comes in. They were rude. They were just a bunch of brats and they were very rude to him. And then they were surprised that he left. Okay, so what I wanted to say about that is, you know, they're making this new narrative now that, oh, now it's okay for, you know, he has a problem with people, certain people getting banned, but he bans journalists. No, that's not the problem. The problem is what he's what he has a problem with with is basically Twitter was acting as an extension of the U.S. government. We're seeing that now again, as an extension of the U.S. government via the FBI. But you expose his personal, his real-time whereabouts, that's against him. He's not doing that against a, a, a Democrat or a Republican. If it was Sean Hannity, he would have done the same thing. He would have suspended him. So this narrative that it's he's a hypocrite is completely false. So I want to first about the space you're referring to. Yeah, it was uh, pretty like you can disagree with him. I don't mind at all. I'd love to disagree with Elon. Just the, the, the founder, of the, the CEO of the company is just jumping into your space, giving you his personal time. How many times did Jack Dorsey come in and talk about a glitch on fucking spaces? It's insane. I was just listening to the All In podcast and they're saying like, how does he like uh, to be honest, Elon should not be doing this. I know we all love him doing it, but like he's. Trying to take humans to Mars. He's, he's, he's trying to fly rockets to space. No, I, I don't, I don't I want him it's to. Healthy for, it's healthy for the platform to show that. It is, has. but he does he only has, he only has 24 hours in a day. Like what? he's healthy for the what? platform, he's, but like he's got, he's the opportunity. He's got a good time manager. I wouldn't be concerned about it. Anything, not, I don't know. He tweets a lot. That. It's not even that, Mario. As someone who's hosted spaces that he's gone to, he came into a hostile space, which already tells you you should be gracious, let the guy speak. Exactly. And they start attacking him, attacking him. And then they claim, Brian Seltzer claims that the guy who was attacking him in the couple minutes he was there was the first person to interview him, which is BS because you've had him on several times. So yes. it, it just was BS. The whole No, thing it's fine. Like, but what's also worse is that he, so again, this is a space criticizing Elon and he comes in 
instead of like instead of being an echo chamber and going only to spaces that like him, he came in to speak to them. Uh, so the way they treated him is just uh, mm-hmm. it's it's just silly. It's just stupid. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. And then just to add a cherry on top of the cake. They're breaching the terms of service by joining the space with an account that was suspended. So, <laughs> so it's like it's like shit over shit over shit. Uh, but to go back to the, um, I I know that that protocol and and visual um, visual art you want to speak. Um, Tom, I'll go to you as well. I didn't see your hand up. But if you have anything to say, you can jump in at any time as always. Um, but uh, visual I'll give you the mic briefly. What do you think on what was uh, mentioned so far before we go to Tom and get his thoughts on the drop so far? Yes. Hi. Thank you so much. Um, I think it's probably already been said already, but I just wanted to reiterate one more time that, you know, um, it's with all the presence of like the FBI and CIA and everything with, with you know, within Twitter, um, the main thing that really, you know, the red flag that pops up in my head is that I think they're trying to be um, a people manager. I think they're trying to influence and make sure that only certain groups see certain things and they're trying to like really manipulate, you know, the the platform itself. And, you know, I, I'm definitely very concerned about that. And I'm glad that, you know, we're all talking about it and getting it out in the open. But, you know, that's that's definitely a concern. By the way, I respect you. I brought you up because I saw you work with uh, with or for Andrew Wang, yes. Andrew Yang. So it was great to get you on board to get, you know, different different perspectives on this and to balance out the panel. And it's just good to see a bipartisan support for uh uh, for the, the topic we're discussing. And, and just to kind of refresh it for the audience, before we continue, we go to Tom. Um, to refresh it for the audience, so far the drops, we haven't finished them yet, We're gonna get, Ian's going to continue going through them. But from what I understood, and Ian, um, correct if I get anything wrong, or if you want to add on to it, from what I understood yeah. is that the FBI is sending requests, and they're pretty silly, petty requests, for Twitter to take action on different tweets. Um, a lot of them are jokes. There's... Uh, 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 tweets by people from the right and the left but however it is leaning more towards the right both from the FBI and where Twitter is taking action um, and we saw as well in one of the emails that Protocol mentioned is that this is um, this, they're doing the same thing at Meta because Meta is mentioned at the bottom of one of the emails that's pinned above um, and lastly there was a portal between both platforms that they were using, we'll see what, uh, what more things the tweets, the thread will mention but that's what I got out of it, Ian, before we go to Tom. Ian, anything else to add about the thread? No, that's correct. You, you summed it cool. up pretty well. Oh, glad. Tom, uh, what are your thoughts so far? Uh, good evening, everyone. I, you know, I, I'm seeing more evidence of criminal activity by government officials, potentially private sector uh, individuals over Twitter. Uh, the Privacy Act, for instance, protects you from being investigated in this way by the FBI for them to be going through even social media postings without any good faith basis uh, just because they don't like the tone of your speech or or the fact that you may be getting things wrong or making jokes about elections. It's not a basis for the FBI to take action against you. Uh, what's interesting here in the FBI list was this right side broadcasting network also targeted for uh, material be uh, for for uh, a potential censorship for Twitter, and uh, it's this kind of casual approach to censorship in league with the FBI that's really quite remarkable. Uh, and uh, you know, the some will downplay this by suggesting, well, this is something we already knew. No, we didn't know this. We didn't know that the FBI regularly sent individual names over to Twitter for them to then censor. And we have confirmation this has taken place. Now, the question is, who is going to investigate this? Is the FBI going to investigate the FBI? I don't know. Uh, but if I were, if I were, again, if I were Elon Musk, 
I'd release everything. And I'd release communications with Facebook and Google uh, showing the censorship, uh, uh, collusion with the FBI and DHS and and this uh, quasi uh, front for the FBI, this uh, civic integrity organization, a name I, I don't have in front of me. Uh, so maybe someone can pull up that front group that was being used as a tool of the government also to try to get individuals censored. And this has been going on till recently. And I'd be very interested to hear what's still happening. Do they still have access to this portal for COVID and, you know, election issues, obviously, through November? And what was being done even after even after Musk took over uh, as a result of these uh, interagency or, or I should say government par- public partnerships for censorship? And uh, also in response to the whole conflagration of the over the media doxing of of Musk, uh, if I were him, I would focus on media requests for censorship as well. And we all know about the uh, censorship beat reporters that um, make a living asking big tech companies, isn't this person terrible? Why do you still have them on your platform? And trying to get them to censor. And it'd be, I think, very illustrative and enlightening uh, to highlight uh, the media efforts to get Americans censored as they're complaining about getting censored for targeting um, Musk with uh, the dangerous doxing. That's I do want now. to add, Tom, just quickly, I know other speakers want to jump in, but we do have an ex-CIA operations officer um, that is open to joining. So I'm going to send him through an invite. It would be good to have him come in. Catherine. Yeah, I mean, I completely um, agree with Tom because um, I think we focus a lot on Twitter, which is indeed a, a private company, which has – bias, which is not great. And I think it's very problematic. So do other companies. So do university campuses, um, lots of, you know, lots of companies and private institutions do. But I think the much bigger story to me um, is that government agencies are involved and specifically the FBI. And so I think to me, that is the much bigger focus and if it can happen, you know, in the case of like, let's say conservatives, it's good. And we've seen that it happens with, you know, left leaning as well. So I think to me, that is the much greater uh, focus. So even if Twitter cooperated um, and did this willingly, that's fine. I mean, it's not fine, but um, that just speaks to their bias. And that's and that's something that any that's something that can happen. But it, but it doesn't take care of the bigger problem that I think, um, has to be sort of, you know, taken care of in a much, is a much broader, bigger issue that's really a legal issue to me and something that has to be dealt with through legislation and through legal means. And, and that's something that to me is really the, the really big issue. And it is something that I think most people wouldn't have been aware of, including myself, until the Twitter files. And that is really the big shocking thing is that uh, these these communications between the FBI and uh, Twitter and other social media uh, companies were happening with these private sort of accounts. Um, so we do have uh, so just quickly no, before you go, Prodigal. Touch on one thing. Uh, yeah, just, I'll, I'll let yeah. you. I'll let you do so. Just before you do, um, first, I want to welcome Alex to the stage. But Feds for um, Medical Freedom, um, I'd love you to speak in a bit. Uh, if you can just DM me, and I'll have the team message you. Just send us some um, anything to verify your uh, previous position at the. I think it was the FBI. Would be greatly appreciated. No, at the. 
CIA, sorry. We greatly appreciate it, and I'd love to give you the mic in a bit as well. Uh, but Prodigal, you were jumping in. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we can look at this in the vacuum. I mean, we're looking at this just in regards to Twitter. People have to remember at the same time, uh, this administration was setting up a DHS disinfo board and was giving speeches, painting people who wanted election integrity and security to issues to be resolved as potential domestic terrorists. Right. So, you know, silencing these voices online and citations to credible news sources or direct evidence. At the same time, they're starting to build a federal apparatus to go against anybody who disagrees with their view is problematic. This isn't limited to big tech. Right. They were working in conjunction with corporate media. And, yeah, I think it is an issue when you have the FBI wasting this amount of resources, money, time and manpower to go after Americans free speech. Most a lot of people in the FBI are, are have law degrees. They know how to couch this so that they can have the benefit of the doubt when it gets to court. It's clear that they just sent names of accounts and said, hey, this might be violating stuff. And you literally see Twitter saying we scoured through it and looking for reasons to ban people without any actual basis uh, for the FBI's request. And yes, I, I agree. Twitter willingly went along because ideologically they're aligned. But there's a problem when big tech, big tech monopolies and the government have this incestuous relationship. and You don't know where one starts and one ends. Right. They didn't have to twist Twitter's uh, Twitter's arm. Right. But the reality of the matter is any smart businessman, too, if you don't like the person they're asking that you censor and remove their ability to speak, you just couched favors with the FBI. So if something comes down later, it's documented that you are helping the FBI and you can call in that favor later. So this is a lot more intricate than a lot of people are trying to make it out as if, oh, no, no, this is clear violations ethically. And in my opinion, the FBI breaking the law and use extra legal means to violate Americans' constitutional rights. And I'll finish it fast. Like when people said, yeah, maybe the rank and file, maybe a lot of them are conservative. I don't know. The vaccine mandate forced a lot of people out of the military and federal government who I believe probably were conservative and cared about specific values. But the reality matters. But is it's, it's, it's funny, funny timing uh, uh, yeah. protocol. As you mentioned this, we do have um, a gentleman. I don't know if I can mention your name, sir. But you worked at the CIA and you opposed the vaccine and you were pushed out for that reason? That's for you, Fed, uh, Feds for Medical yeah. Freedom. Hi, Hi I'm uh, Vice President of Feds for Med Freedom. And uh, yes, I did work with them. I no longer work there uh, because I opposed vaccine mandates. I, was, uh, I found, found other employment uh, outside the agency. So... Um, you know, hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for letting Feds for Med Freedom uh, speak here. Um, and it's, uh, it's a great platform for uh, discussing these issues. I think uh, when you're talking about what's coming out with the Twitter files, there's a lot of organizations that have been putting out FOIA requests like Feds for Med Freedom for uh, quite some time. And probably, actually, uh, Mr. Fitton, we'd love some help. Uh, We've been putting out FOIA requests. We're getting mixed results. We put out FOIA requests, I think, as early as September this year. We started putting things out asking about censorship of platforms. I think the big and thing... And just for, for, the, Twitter... for the audience, sorry. First, do you mind if I use your name or you haven't sure, called your name? Sure, it's Jim. Okay, so Jim. James. Yeah, I've got your name. So James Erdem, uh, Erdman. Um, so FOIA requests are essentially requests for information. Is that correct? That's correct. That's okay. correct. So I, I do, uh, but I do also want to ask you a question. As you as you finish your point, I want you to also tell us more about your thoughts on the influence um, that we were talked about earlier. How much influence do the FBI, from what you know, the FBI and the CIA have at Twitter or Meta? 
based on the numbers we shared earlier. 15 employees at the moment at executive positions at Twitter from the FBI and CIA, and Meta's at over 60. I think in general, um, you know, people look at uh, federal government employees who move on to the private sector and say, well, what are they doing over there? Most of them, 99% of them, are looking for a new job. They're looking to get paid just like everybody else. You know, they, they've decided well, your that... Your mic, sorry, James, your mic is rubbing on something, just uh, if you can... Uh, sure, sure. I think... Um, be great. Is this a little bit better? Much better. Okay. Uh, what I was saying was 99% of federal government employees, doesn't matter where they came from, if they're moving on to the private sector, they're moving on because, you know, they've decided that, you know, maybe they want to make more money. Maybe they want a little additional freedom. And do you think the, the, the companies hiring them, why do you think they, do you think they'll have influence still having worked at those companies? Is that a reason or are we looking too deep into this and there isn't um, too much to look No, into? no. I think you'd be naive to think that there there isn't an interest in influence. But if you're talking about somebody who's working as a systems engineer over at, at Twitter because they've got some very uh, technical related skill, they're probably brought on because they've dealt with, you know, big data questions or they've been brought on because, uh, they've, they've, they've dealt with questions of how to parse data in a way that makes it useful to the user. If you're talking about, you know, executives or board of directors, well, that's different. Um, you know, what they're looking for. Uh, is somebody who has reach. Um, many of these companies, and uh, the social media companies are probably a little bit different than, say, uh, Amazon or Google. Uh, Amazon and Google have hardware. They've got, you know, huge contracts that go out. Uh, if you're talking social media, um, you know, you, you'll have to look at each each individual that's been hired on an individual basis. Uh, some of the things, and I don't want to have this too of a too much of a shotgun blast because I've been listening for a while now. But um, you know, they talked about the voluntary involvement of social media companies. That's really what it is. I can't I can't speak to FBI. I don't know anything about exactly how that works there. But if a company, and you know, as far as private entities working with the government, you know, there's usually a financial benefit at some point. You know, with a company, in the end, a company is a company. There's a bottom line that's involved. And so, you know, if you're going to you're gonna work with somebody, you're thinking that at the end of the road, there's a pot of gold somewhere, um, if that Obviously. makes sense. No, it does. It does. And it would be good to, to have you stay with us on stage. Um, I know there's a few speakers I want to speak. Uh, but, guys, I want Ian to finish. Ian, do you mind finishing off the files? Because I know we haven't gone through all of them. Yeah, I summarized really what quick, we've read so really far. Really quick, in the background, ahead, really quick, if if uh, you, Feds for Medical Freedom, if you know anyone else who is a potential whistleblower or anyone else who is in the CIA, FBI, who could join the space, that would be amazing. Sorry about that. Nice one. Yeah, a no, really good one, Fed. Um, if you can, or James, if you could send them to me via DM and we'll verify them and invite them up, that would be great. It just the, the, the main question I have, and you kind of gave us some clarity about it already, is like what, um, having someone from the FBI work at your company, you know, my uh, previous co-host and who still works at the company, Chet, used to work for the Air Force at the intelligence and worked at the nuclear program at the U.S. And we have him in the team because he knows his shit. So there's nothing wrong with having people that used to work for the FBI, but having a lot of them at executive positions and then considering the story and the drop that we're seeing now, I think there's a lot of questions that we have that we'd love answered. So if there's anyone you can invite, just DM me on uh, 
on Twitter, I'll keep your DMs open. It would be great to have them come up on stage. Um, and also and having them to... disproportionately right-wing isn't necessarily a good thing either. Just agree, agree. That yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so James, if we but, can but, have but, uh, Mario, for different... If this is the one thing about the FBI, because in that email, they essentially phrased it as if they're going to bring charges. They said, these are preservation letters. We'll let you know later on. Uh, to my knowledge... Uh, the bulk of the people on that list that they wanted banned, none of them were ever charged. So they were, you know, imagine you're at a company and they're basically telling the FBI is telling you that we believe these accounts are violating federal law. Preserve it. Give us the telephone information, et cetera. Like the, the pressure, even if it's a left wing organization, you're not going to fight it because if it comes out later that these people did commit crimes, you don't want to be beholden in the media as defending them. So the pressure is immense. So what you're saying is that they're using that as an excuse to get them to get them suspended or get the tweets deleted? And to preserve the information, get their follower list, get their location. I mean, they asked. Oh, OK, OK. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's another. Exactly. Exactly. There's another important tweet. So I see Watch a Guru who covers a lot of this information. So there's two important things if you want to, um, you know, as you do your tweets, Watch a Guru. Two important points. Number one is in the threads and Protocol pinned both above earlier. In the threads, there is... Um, one email that mentions Meta, so it shows that a lot of this is, and we kind of make that assumption, but we didn't have any evidence to point that direction as far as I'm aware. So one email does mention Meta, and then another email mentions that the FBI was requesting a lot of um, information on those users, including location. So two interesting things that Prodigal spotted, which are really good. Um, otherwise, I'll go to Ian to continue going through it. And um, Can I just and, point and out a lot one of, quick point, Mary, uh, which is that this in kind a, of information intelligence goes around every country like britain has the mi6 being with some of the major companies in britain it happens in russia it happens with any major state so uh, so the, i but the, I, I, surprised I, i'd say i'd say in what prodigal will probably jump in and say is that not the the request for information uh, but it's the reasons they're requesting that information so it's based on very petty tweets from what we saw and i think that's why we're questioning it because yeah i think we, we all know that requesting such information um is relatively common. You'd be naive to think otherwise. Uh, but the reasons behind it is what made it um, uh, at least potentially concerning for some of us. And, and I know some of you were also discussing the whole um, Elon story with the uh, journalists, etc. So Alex, who's uh, uh, on the <laughs> and panel... It, it doesn't and help that the deputy... <laughs> you got to give me a break, man. I'll give you the mic right after, I promise. Right after Ian reads the rest of the thread. But uh, just for anyone listening, we do have... We're going to be covering that story tomorrow in a space. Alex and Catherine um, uh, are helping get journalists from both sides of the aisle. And Brian as well, who's on stage, I think. Uh, journalists from both sides of the aisle to cover... Um, to, to discuss that story in free speech uh, and where to draw the line, etc. Because I know that's been a really hot topic in the last two days. Um, so that will be a discussion for tomorrow. I'll pin the tweet above and it's on my profile as well. But Ian, I'll let you continue going through the thread. Otherwise, we'd never be able I'm to do so. I'm never going to get the opportunity to finish. Because <laughs> yeah, no, but I don't. No, it's, it's fine, Ian. We'll about. just talk over you each time. <laughs> yeah, I'll just mute you. It's fine. Um, number oh, 35. Okay, yeah, 35 FBI in one case sent over uh, so many possible violative content reports. Twitter personnel congratulated each other in Slack for the monumental undertaking of reviewing them. All right, 36. Uh, there were multiple points of entry into Twitter for government flag reports. Uh, later from Agent Chan to Roth represents, uh, re- references a teleporter platform. I think we already read that one. So, um, state government. I think we're up to. Content. What number? Yeah, we're we up at? to. 
20, I think we're up to 24. That's one I had read. So no, there's no, a letter. No, 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 no. We're, oh, yeah, we're past that. Yeah, way yeah. Higher. This is way past. Yeah, yeah. I'm going through. Yeah, 35, 36, 37. 40, 40 red. Uh, oh, okay. Here we are. 41, yeah. Uh, a video was reported by Election Integrity Project. That's the EIP at Stanford. That's a, that's a think tank, right? That's not a government agency, which was apparently the strength of information for the Center for Internet Security. CIS is a uh, government organization. So they're working together with the EIP to flag videos, video content. And uh, uh, here's the video. It says here, this is a long and legal heavy video, but essentially claims that the Pennsylvania election workers opened inner envelopes on ballots before election day and call people to correct their ballots on election day, according to the CIS, uh, which is escalated through the EIP. Uh, the video misrepresents one, uh, Pennsylvania law, two, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court decision, and three, affidavits shown in the video in the thread. The thoughts on how to handle this one, and it's a link to Tracy Beans, who is a QAnon uh, poster, right? Uh, she's one of the, uh, uh, I would say, loudest proponents of QAnon. And uh, basically, it flags the video that she posted. I don't know if she made it. Uh, no idea. Doesn't really specify. 42. If that's confusing, that's because CIS is a DHS contractor. Uh, uh, it describes itself as partners of the Cyber and Internet Security Agency, CISA, at the Department of Homeland Security. So DHS essentially has a ton of these organizations that are working under it or partnering with it. You know, And these are mostly uh, contract workers, people who work with the government. Uh, or for the government, right? They are uh, people like uh, Nina Jankovic, who was, you know, uh, as we all know, the uh, the the censorship czar for the uh, Disinformation Governance Board, which is now closed. So the EIP is one of a series of government-affiliated think tanks that mass review content. The list also includes Atlantic Councils, a digital forensics research laboratory. A lot of people ask me, is the Atlantic Council in any of these emails? Well, yes, they are. They are in this thing, right? So it's one of the several organizations that have worked with the uh, DHS on, you know, uh, information suppression, as I would call it, or in this case, uh, you know, information monitoring, right? That's how they would probably describe themselves. And others include the University of Washington Center for Informed Policy. Uh, Britain also has a number of these, like the uh, Center for, uh, 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 what is it called, uh, Digital Hate, Centering Digital Hate, that's one of them. Uh, another one is the one that uh, that Nina Jankovic now works with, it's the Center for uh, Internet uh, information or some bullshit. I don't know the name of it. Uh, so the takeaway, and this is 44, we're almost done here. What most people think of as the deep state is really a tangled collaboration of state agencies, private contractors, and sometimes state-funded NGOs, like the ones I just mentioned. They're all, many, many of them are state-funded. They take government contracts. They work with the government. Sometimes it's the U.S. government, sometimes it's the U.K. government, or Germany, or so on. Like the, one of the biggest Antifa accounts on this platform, which is still active to my knowledge, the one that docks loops of TikTok, is funded by the German government, right? Their department of, I'm not sure exactly which department, but it, it funds them, right, to enable them to do their work uh, on suppressing information. And lines are so blurred as to become meaningless. That's what Matt Taibbi says. And number 45, final one, says Twitter researchers, uh, Twitter files researchers are moving into a variety of new areas now. So watch Barry Weiss and uh, Schellenberger, that's Michael Schellenberger, for, uh, and this space for more soon. So uh, we're probably going to get more, well, not probably, we're definitely going to get more new drops. Some of them will be related to the COVID-19 disinformation. Some of them might actually branch out farther than that. We're, you know, there are files related to Brazil's uh, election tampering stuff, for instance, that was very recent, as well as Canada's suppression 
of the uh, Freedom Convoy protests. That is something that I personally requested. I think, we, we, you know, th- that's something that Elon Musk, if he's listening to the space, would do well to give to Rebel News because we are the best, uh, most capable organization of covering that because we covered the uh, uh, Freedom Convoy protests from day one, right? We are the only company, the only media news organization that followed the whole thing day one embedded within uh, the entire protest. And we managed to untangle a lot of the lies that were put out by the Trudeau regime in Canada. So, yes. That is all we have so far. Yep. Now you can continue discussing. Yeah, just one point quickly. Um, You know, someone who actually works in this space, uh, the Atlantic Council is a massive organization with a range of different interests and activities. Um, Prodigal, you can laugh all you like, but unless you are actually involved in the industry, then it's not something you're going to get enough. Yeah, Prodigal, how about you let... Guys, guys, yeah, I, know, I was I was giving the mic as well, Piotr. I was giving it to Tom because uh, I know he had his hand up. Tom, uh, you wanted to comment on the on the oh good, oh good. Tom, I thought I saw you wanted to comment on uh, uh, the last bit of the drops. You're muted, Tom. Yeah, it's important to note, as Ian noted, that uh, you've got this cutout for the Feds uh, funded. Uh, the variety of left-wing funded mechanisms uh, behind it, in addition to partnering with the government to censor Americans. And, you know, if I recall correctly, this group was behind a series of lists uh, smearing uh, Americans with, quote, putting out misinformation. I think I was number three or four on the list. And what was going on here is that the left was getting pushback from people like me, uh, and others concerned about the changes to the election systems in the run-up to 2020. And for those of you who don't know, Judicial Watch is a major group when it comes to election integrity. We're in federal court repeatedly on it. We have uh, former lawyers from the Justice Department working on our team. Uh, we've testified to Congress. Uh, there's, there's really few groups that are, have more national expertise in this area than others. And yet we start getting censored. And Judicial Watch and others start getting censored by partisans and ideologues who think that if you question the way elections are being run and the way the changes that were implemented um, uh, uh, will impact election integrity, you're to be censored. And, and in, the, in the case of the FBI, you couldn't even joke about showing up the vote for uh, showing up to quote vote on Wednesday, the day after election. Uh, so you've got a uh, a major issue going on here. And, you know, Musk was on uh, these spaces a few days ago or last week, and he talked about this portal. And there's a reference to the teleporter process, uh, which is kind of a new word for us, that the FBI and others had access to uh, to get people uh, censored. So the big question I have for at this stage is, has Twitter turned off the special access to the feds? And if we're thinking about how to deal with this, what what is it we can do quickly? Well, maybe we can get Congress to stop the federal government from asking big tech companies to censor American citizens. You know, just straight up. Does it get any easier than that in terms of, quote, big tech reform? I'm in total agreement with that. What I find kind of hilarious, I don't really care too much about the Twitter files anymore because it's a lot of confirming of what we already knew and what we su- suspected of Twitter doing. 
My big concern is what is Google and Facebook doing? And I haven't heard any politicians uh, actually try to do anything about it other than firing off a few tweets or going on Fox News or something. Because Congress should be having this conversation that we're having right now. What does this mean for our government? What does this mean for big tech? How is that relationship combined? And why aren't they doing anything to move things along? I could, I have full faith that Elon will figure out all the corruption going on within Twitter and bring it to light. But none of it really matters if Congress doesn't act on the other big tech social media platforms. That's because they don't need to control us. So they can't, they're not going to like come out and be open about any of this because this is how they control the masses. I mean, why would they reveal their own hand? Sarah, like, is no one in Congress um, talking about it? Is, are there no politicians left, right, where, whoever? Is no one? Not that I know of. Is it uh, any, any Catherine, are you implying there is, there is some Catherine you can share with us? Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't followed. I think there is. Has Jim Jordan? Guys, Jim Jordan. He can call. Yeah, I was going to take that to task. Invite them. Yeah, we should. We should. Good point. Partially. Partially, I think the lack of effort right now on their part is uh, there's a few days left of their terms, and they might not want to even open this bottle of worms until the new Congress comes in in January, but. I honestly don't think they're going to take any action because they really don't care. Their positions aren't threatened by the Twitter files. Well, well, it's even worse. Than, it it's it's even Twitter worse. Files. I don't you think have, they do it over the Twitter files. And if anything, I feel in some ways the Twitter files makes it more politicized, like to one side. So, like, I think it has to be a partisan effort. And I think um, the one issue that I have with the Twitter files, it does come across like kind of – it kind of comes across right wing and some more conservative um, to some extent, and so. But if those are the facts, makes, who cares? I agree well, with you. I mean, I'm here because of the facts. I'm not here. I mean, I'm not a conservative, so I'm not here because of anything but the facts, and I'm supporting it because of the facts. But most politicians care about perception, right? I mean, they're polish it, politicians, politicians for a reason. <laughs> 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 So, I mean, the pun writes itself. So, and so you have to care about optics. And uh, so optics play a huge role. So you have to look at these things from that point of view if you want to get things done. And I care about getting things done in practicalities. And so that's why it is important when you release these that you do this in a very particular way. And I do think that the way it was sort of released was not... Um, didn't wasn't done quite right in my view um, if you wanted to sort of uh, get everyone on board and and sort of play the PR game and get everyone sort of heated up and riled up and want to make a change and and, and kind of unite everyone um, instead you now if you support Twitter files you know you, you you're like now fr- it's like free speech is associated with the right wing automatically right like i support free well, speech that's because the scale was always being pressed down against the right side so that goes hand in hand with what exactly what was happening so obviously yeah, it's going to come but, off that way but free speech should be free speech for everybody and not I, just for one side I mean, or the these other are media organizations that that haven't covered this at, at, yeah 
Go on. They, they haven't covered this Go at ahead. All. I'll, I'll get Prodigal. Yeah, go ahead. Prodigal. They, they haven't oh, covered it at all. And, in the Barrison lawsuit, it was released that both Axios and CNN, Darby, who's suspended currently, were pressing Twitter to ban Alex Barrison, who was banned. This is the same media who didn't cover anything related to the Hunter Biden laptop story and didn't give a damn until their reporters were suspended for doxing and endangering Elon Musk kids in real time. And then they cared about free speech. So no, to look, to I, look I, at these I entities and say that they're good faith actors, they're not good faith game. actors. Neither is the FBI. I agree. And neither are the politicians who are behind Trump getting banned. And that's right and left. That's conservatives and liberals who were totally for Trump and his supporters getting censored and banned because they didn't want the reality of this situation coming out. They didn't want all of this coming out. Brian, I'll, I'll, I'll let Brian go and then Tom, of course. Brian, do you want to make your point? Yeah, yeah. So so I I, I agree with Karen, Catherine, I'm sorry, Catherine on this. Uh, the Twitter file, it does come off as slightly written from a right slant. And, and I'm not saying it's completely written from a right slant. I think there's things that are going to make people on the left say, hey, this is a little bit biased at least. But I think that brings us back full circle to what Tom is true, though. I mean, Matt Clayton is not a, a right-wing journalist. He's a left-wing it, journalist. It, it, just, just let, let me finish here. I think it brings us back to what Tom has been saying, and that is just dump everything, release everything you have. But, it, but Ian, I... I I know he's not a right-wing journalist, but he has he has been posting these posts with a right-leaning slant. Things like saying the FBI uh, could have been spending their time chasing child predators, but instead it's the truth, for Brian, and the truth no, 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 hurts no, no, sometimes. No, no. It's not well, a slant. That is just yeah, a fact. The FBI, the FBI the could FBI have been spending so many large. of their resources. Hold on, this is one area where you are not going to win an argument with me. The FBI could have and should have and should He's still be spending all of their resources, it. spending all of their, all of it, getting rid of child sexual exploitation on Twitter. So, That's so been running that, rampant so for years, and yet they didn't. They did nothing. It, Instead, well, people, they shut down our president. Like, they shut down conservatives. They shut down it, anyone it, who questioned it, the vaccines or COVID. I mean, whether it's whether it's right or left shouldn't matter at this point. What matters is people who were speaking the truth were being shut down while people who were engaging in illegal activity were allowed to run rampant and do whatever they wanted on Twitter. And the FBI working with Twitter directly and doing nothing about it just proves the point. Tara, it's even worse than that. Go ahead. Hold on. Let, uh, let's have Brian finish his point. Go ahead, Brian. Uh, yeah, you're yeah, mute, no, brother. Tara, I, I absolutely agree. Child Going after child child predators is should be one of the top things on the FBI's list. But the, the FBI top is a major, a major organization with thousands of agents across the entire country. They can put a couple agents on a, on things that, like like protecting all of elections, them, like all of the agents. No, no, but but there's there's terrorists that are trying to trying to kill our children, trying to kill us as Americans. They can't put all their agents on one specific topic. I, I mean, obviously, nice. obviously a couple isn't enough. Obviously, they didn't care enough to even put two, even put one. Brian, no, we, we don't we don't know that. We don't know that for a fact. 
you're just, you're, you're making. Uh, that's what Elon Musk said in my space that I hosted when he was being accused of firing the team of people that were in charge of ridding Twitter of child sexual exploitation. He said it's talking, hard to fire people. He, he said it's hard to that. fire people who don't exist is his exact about, response. He wasn't talking about, he wasn't talking about the FBA. He was talking about how Twitter didn't put anybody on the child sexual exploitation thing. He wasn't talking about the FBI. Just, just, I'm talking about people Twitter. who are hired by Twitter. Are these not FBI agents who are being, who are hired by no, Twitter? No, they're not. They're not. Like, they're like Jim Baker. Answer. Yeah. yeah I mean, Elon doesn't work for the FBI I, and, and the Twitter employees that are working for Twitter aren't working for the FBI. They're working for Twitter. The FBI agents, they're doing their job. And that job is to protect Americans in a variety of ways, whether it is child, child predators, whether it's terrorism, whether it's election interference, misinformation that could lead to American deaths, whether it's COVID misinformation, any kind of misinformation. But they're not doing their job, Brian. They didn't protect against any of that. That's my exact point. They allowed all of that material to run rampant on Twitter while so. shutting okay, down so people I, I who were that, speaking I the truth. You're both kind of agreeing with each other here. The issue is that the FBI no, dedicated I'm 80 not. plus people to Twitter, right? 80 plus people working on Twitter just for election misinformation. None of these 80 plus people was were interested or even tasked to cut down on child sexual exploitation. That is the issue, right? So it doesn't matter if it's 50, 10, 20, 100, you know, 2,000, doesn't matter, right? The issue is that they're just, their priorities were completely askew and real criminals were getting away with a lot of, you know, bad things, doing a lot of bad things, getting away with it because they were so focused on election misinformation and COVID misinformation and all this other quote-unquote misinformation. They were not concerned at all with actual crimes that are happening to actual children in America or anywhere else, really. Yeah, and it re as it relates Correct. to Twitter, and now we know through the Twitter files that, uh, uh, increased staffing requests were made multiple times to tackle this issue, and those requests were denied uh, by Yol Roth and Vijaya. That so, is correct. Yeah, so, that is the big uh, issue. I, I know, Tom, you've been waiting for a while as well. Well, you know, a few things. Uh, you know, first on the FBI employees working there. You know, it depends. It depends what they're doing. I mean, if they were if they were hired to. Uh, provide security or expertise in terms of dealing with intelligence agencies, you know, uh, they're hired as insurance in that regard. And sometimes it's appropriate. Sometimes it, it looks sketchy. Uh, but the mere fact that there are FBI agents there isn't the issue. It's what exactly is Twitter doing in league with the government uh, to uh, protect First Amendment or, or free speech or um, or in the case of Twitter specifically, we now know, uh, to attack it. And so, uh, it's clear that certainly the number one FBI person who was there, who really is more, more of a political operative than an FBI agent in the traditional sense, was James Baker, who was the top lawyer there, who, uh, was at least at one point actually interfering with this process of disclosure, uh, that Musk had implemented, hence his, uh, firing. Uh, the issue of the media, uh, and Congress, uh, going back to Congress first, Congress isn't going to do much on this because Republican leadership uh, is typically anti-Trump and doesn't like conservatives and doesn't like uh, the unwashed masses, criticize them on, criticizing them online. So a little bit of censorship is not much of a problem to them. And similarly, uh, the left, con the left in Congress is happy to have the censorship since they embrace it ideologically and wholeheartedly. And that goes next to the, 
to the media point. People talk about the hypocrisy of the media. The left isn't hypocritical. They don't believe in free speech for their enemies, and they will fight you to the death for free speech for themselves. And so in the case of uh, Musk, their outrage is they should be able to do whatever they want against their political enemies. And if it means putting their lives in jeopardy uh, through reporting they know is dishonest, uh, is, is unethical, uh, that, that should be done. They should be able to do that without consequence. And I don't think any sensible American left or right agrees with that in the traditional, you know, in the old fashioned liberal and conservative sense of the world word. Uh, but you've had this extremist left approach to free speech that's resulted in uh, legacy media corporations and publications uh, dangerously reporting on the specific location of Elon Musk in a way that they know or should know would place him and his family in jeopardy. Now, as someone who's been uh, regularly censored, suspended, blocked, you know, you whatever, from Twitter and other platforms, the one thing I've learned to do is to be extremely cautious in for, in in disseminating tweets or links to material that I know has resulted in moderation um, actions against other accounts. So I may agree with it and be outraged about it, but I won't I won't I, I was always careful not to push out tweets because I knew they could come after me. And these sophisticated reporters, they should have known that when they were pushing this material out uh, to uh, his specific location, given the rule that is out there and has always been out there, uh, that they were subject to being censored. And, of course, their their refusal to acknowledge that and admit it and address it directly speaks volumes. So we do have um, privacy, Ronan. I'm going to read them. Yep. An FBI agent, this is number one, an FBI agent just reached out with a key point about the gross subservience of Twitter before the FBI. Quote, a lot of companies we deal with are adversarial to us. That means they don't work with them. Like T-Mobile is totally adversarial. They love leaking things we're saying if we don't get a process right. Two, I feel like that's the default position. People used to get mad about that in the bureau, in the FBI. But they're supposed to represent their clients and their customers. Why in the hell would you expect them to make it easy on you? Do the right thing. Do it the right way. So that's here's a, that's a key point, right? Most companies, when they're working with the FBI, they're doing so very begrudgingly. They don't like working with the FBI. They wait for a warrant or they wait for a subpoena, right? They wait for a court order. Someone to tell them, hey, you have to comply with the FBI or else, right? Like that. that's the law. But in this case, Twitter was working hand in glove with the FBI. That's the big point. That's what that's what Tom is saying, right? They willingly went along with everything the FBI told them to do. And they did so willingly. They offered suggestions. They didn't do it in a way that was protective of their customers. They didn't want to protect the users of Twitter. Their, their number one priority is should be to their customers, right? To their customers, to their investors, whatever. But they're not doing that. They're, they're subservient with the FBI, right? That, that, that is next level uh, insane, that it basically makes them an arm of the government. Twitter was acting as an arm of the FBI. That's the point. Yeah, when you see Twitter saying, oh, yeah, send us preservation letters based yeah. on virtually nothing, that that's pretty extraordinary. And uh, and that's a fair point. But, you know, it you, you can't take away the Trump factor here. 
This was not like, oh, we've got election issues. We have to work with the FBI on it. They were worried Trump was going to win. And they thought that concerns raised about how the election was being run would elevate uh, the issues he cared about, encourage voters to come out and vote for him and, and allow him to win. And these FBI officials, these deep state FBI officials with the anti-Trump activists at Twitter interfered in the election. And in doing so, they were violating the civil rights of American citizens in conspiracy with each other, all to achieve the result they ultimately did achieve, which is ruining the election and compromising the election on behalf of Joe Biden. That's a lot of conspiracy, though, there. We don't have facts proving any of that. And that's why I think we need to see Well, there was polling done about the Hunter Biden laptop. And if it was actually covered by the media, how much of it would have changed the voting? Some of these polls are anywhere from 30 to 70 percent. It would have voted differently. So let's not lie and say this is something else. And for me, another issue is what people are forgetting. And Tara brings this up. Instead of chasing real crime, they're sending generalized requests to ban Americans free speech. Forget this is the FBI. This is my own money being used against me, taxpayer money, to silence my right to speak. There's a problem with this. If you don't believe there's a problem with this, then you're not objective. They had the deputy general counsel was a former FBI official. Of course, there wasn't going to be no flag. Ignoring 90 percent plus of the employees donated overwhelmingly to leftist regimes and and to leftist causes and cheered on these bans and looked for bans. The FBI and former government officials were in top tier positions, so they would never fight back. They wouldn't care. They worked arm in arm. And if you don't see an issue with this, let me tell you something. When they're done with the right, they're going to turn on you, too, on the first issue you disagree with. This is a problem for anybody who wants a functioning, honest government. And it's very problematic that people are trying to downplay what occurred. Why is the FBI donating overwhelming resources, expending taxpayer money and hours to silence people and get their tracking info and anybody who's following them? Whether we disagree on the election or not. Uh, I can tell you this. I've been along for a long time. And the last time I saw an election take that long was in 2000. But it took 30 days to recount the vote, not five states shutting down simultaneously and then taking 30 days to count the votes a single time. So this was a discussion that should have been had and has never been had. And that's why in 2022, we saw similar issues rear their head in Harris County, in Maricopa County and in Nevada. You could tell me I'm blind and I'm not seeing this, but everybody's seeing this. And you could pretend, but all you're doing is, is eliminating your own objectivity and people will see the bias in your own voice. And I'll stop there. Brian, do you want to yeah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, respond I, before we go to Alex? Yeah, sure. I, I just think that it's a lot of jumping to conclusions based on complete information. Do they, like getting, do, do, are they all the benefit of Let's have Brian response. But we're getting trickles of information from uh, from these Twitter files. We're not seeing all the communications between the FBI and Twitter. We're not seeing what exactly the FBI was looking for. Maybe these people were doing more than meets the eye. We don't know that. Could it be that they weren't? Absolutely. Could it be that they were? Absolutely. So I think like jumping to conspiracies and conclusions without having the full information is a little bit irresponsible. So Brian, just a question for you before we go to Alex. From the information we have so far, would you say there is – um, a bit too much censorship from the FBI? Would that be a, a fair assumption, a, a conclusion from your end based on the information we've seen so far? So I, I think there's too much censorship from Twitter. Absolutely that. The FBI, I 
I'm not going to say there's too much censorship from the FBI because they're not they're not forcing Twitter to censor. They're pointing out things that they think could be and do you, against and Twitter's do you, terms of service. And do you think this because we've seen things they've been I, pointed I out that are a bit. Yeah. yeah, and do you think this overkill was it? So what you're saying is overkill, not because it's intentional, because it's I think it, we had Ian or some other speaker said like the FBI didn't have a lot of intelligent people there. They just yeah. weren't good at filtering them. Is that your assumption I, instead I, of it being intentional? I I think that some of those jokes that they're saying, hey hey, you might want to look into that. I think that's ridiculous. Um, now, is it possible that these people were involved in something more high, more like worse? Is it possible and the FBI knew something that Twitter didn't and we don't? That's possible as well. But if, if that wasn't the case, I think I think it was a little bit overkill to be saying, hey, has this Billy Baldwin been charged or no? Because I, Billy Baldwin was on okay. that list. Has he been charged yet? They sent a preservation letter. They wanted to know who followed Billy Baldwin. To you, that was normal, Brian? Was that uh, something the FBI should be wasting resources on? Actor Billy Baldwin's a domestic terrorist? Are they going to use the same resources to figure out who is jumping on Elon Musk's uh, hood of the car that his child was in? I mean, that's the thing. And that's the, yeah, and I agree. If they're going to do it for one, then do it for the other, right? So I think that's the biggest issue at hand here. And we're all witnessing it real time. And we've all been a part of it. If you had your account suspended or anything, is that it's very one sided. If you step out of line, and out of, you know, the narrative and don't toe the line, you're going to get shut down, at least in the old Twitter days. Now we're allowed to speak our minds and now we're allowed to speak up and and speak out. But I mean, I think that is where we can all come together and say that's wrong. We should be allowed to speak up. We should be allowed to question things. We should be allowed to to question the narrative and not be forced to toe the line. I mean, and Prodigal made a really good point. These are the same people that our tax dollars here in the United States pay. I mean, their paycheck is cut by us, and they're using their abilities to shut us down, the same people who who pay their wages. I mean, essentially, it's a, it's a complete slap in the face. Uh, Alex, I know you've had your hand up for a while. Yeah, just a few things. So... um First of all, the, the, my takeaway from this drop is the casual nature that the Twitter employees and the FBI had with each other shows that it, there was regular communication between them um, with just saying like Twitter folks. And it was just very casual in tone. Uh, number two, to the point of the um, concerns with biased nature of these drops and not seeing everything. I think uh, so. Elon had answered my question about that before about. Uh, are we going to get to see everything? Yeah, he says we're going to get to see everything. I think they're being released in this nature just to outline and to give journalists an opportunity to highlight the key points of the files. Because, again, if he releases everything, that could be a year's worth of, of uh, files to go through. And the actual stories will get lost in the mix. Um, so I think that's why he's doing it this way, but I do believe he will release it in its entirety after. Um, but I, I believe he's disseminating it to these journalists so that they can highlight the stories. Uh, number three, to the point of FBI agents, um, focusing on this content rather than illegal content and child exploitation. Yet, 
there could be a couple agents just dedicated to election misinformation or concerns they have. The problem I have with this is that they're flagging accounts with no engagement and like two followers and five followers versus the report that came out with child exploitation content. Uh, content that was on the platform since uh, 2017 that racked up 10 million views. So you're you're telling me that there was an um, equal amount of resources given to election misinformation and child exploitation when the FBI has time to flag accounts with zero engagement and five followers, yet there's 10 million views worth of videos that have been on the, on the platform for three plus years. And you're telling you're telling me that there was it's just okay they have enough resources that they can uh, give it to election election misinformation and at the same time it would be different if they had that problem under control but if they don't have the problem of illegal content under control I don't think that satire and memes should be uh, being focused on by law enforcement so uh, the, just a few things there to add on top of that. How many like mass shooters in the last decade or so have posted on social media the day before they commit their mass shooting about doing the mass shooting? If the FBI can take down an account with like three followers posting misinformation, how come they can't target these people and get these people off of the streets? My question is, how are they finding these these accounts with three followers if they're getting zero engagement on these? Like they are looking hard. Um at, at this content, uh, at like satire content around elections, and it's one-sided. It's all it's about conservatives and everything, and that that joke about voting. You're on probably election. using keywords. Uh, it's very wanna, qu- yeah. Quickly, I just want to go to uh, Kyle Surfin. Um, I know you, you're um, um, an FBI whistleblower, so I've just sent you an invite to come up. You should find it in your DMs, um, so you can accept that. And we've got another person, ex FBI. Uh, I can't see his name. Uh, I've also sent you an invite via DM, Jason Tate, uh, so you can accept that as well and come up on stage. There, uh, there might not be so. enough spots. Uh, there is, I'll, there head, is, I'll uh, head down, Mario. I, I just want to say one thing before I go down. Uh, you know, people have to remember when we're talking about resources. Uh, before Elon took this company over, in Discovery, Twitter's head of security said that there were foreign, foreign agents working at Twitter. He knew for a fact they were CCP Chinese agents. They were Indian Asians and agents, and they were disclosing data. It didn't make the news, but another Twitter employee was recently convicted for leaking Saudi dissident information to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So when we talk about resources and where they're being focused, if you have basically foreign spies working in your company and basically uh, providing account information, to governments who want to harm them or their families in their country. Like, look at where these resources are being dedicated. Look at what the FBI is focused on at a time when fentanyl deaths. Uh, let me tell you something. For 18 to 45, the number one cause of death is not COVID. It's fentanyl overdoses, and it has been now for going on two years. That's what's killing an overwhelming majority of Americans, and that's where we should be focused on. I'm going to head down, and, you know, I wish you luck with the space, Mario. Thanks, Portugal. Hey, Feel free to come up again. Uh, sorry to, sorry to uh, cut over there, uh, Mario, but um, just to kind of, you know, jump onto that with Prodigal, that's something that's also being, you know, just missed. Yeah, Mike, Malcolm, I'll, uh, we had uh, a lot of employees. Uh, Malcolm, just thought I'd let you know the uh, your mic is really, really bad. We can't hear what you're saying. So I'm going to give the mic to Tom, and then uh, hopefully Malcolm right after your mic will be working again so we can hear you. Um, Tom, go ahead, man. Yeah, I, I would take a step further back on all of this. 
there was no reason for the FBI to be monitoring election misinformation on Twitter or any other platform other than for partisan and ideological purposes. It was all based on the big lie that the 2016 election was materially impacted by activities of Russians or others in collusions with Trump and the Republicans uh, on, in, uh, on our election. And so to make that lie seem more believable, uh, they pretended that the threat was ongoing and they needed to uh, uh, move resources and direct uh, the resources that we've now learned they directed uh, to censor American citizens. It was all part of an ideological agenda. And it, yes, it is. It, am I am I am I drawing conclusions based on the evidence out there? Yes. But I do know that there was no material impact of foreign nationals on our elections in the way the left has described it, and nothing warranting, or, uh, not that it would have warranted it anyway, the FBI spying on American citizens, gathering information on their social media accounts, and then asking a third party uh, to remove them. You know, that's a massive violation of civil rights in a way we haven't seen uh, since the days of World War One. And uh, Kyle, I appreciate you coming up on stage. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, man. Good. Thanks for accepting the invite. Uh, would love you to do a quick intro um, on your background before we ask you some questions. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a uh, indefinitely suspended FBI agent. Um, I worked in the Washington field office for five years. I spent uh, part of a year uh, working in New Mexico in Las Cruces under the Albuquerque division. I got two years of uh, counterintelligence time and three years of essentially counterterrorism time where I worked on a surveillance unit. Um, but uh, I kind of have a, a number of whistleblowers that I, I work with, and I've done some uh, theoretically congressionally protected uh, whistleblower activity. And, um, and so I've kind of gone to the public space with that since I stopped receiving my paycheck in June. I think the FBI still considers me an employee, although I do not really consider myself an FBI employee. Okay. And, and what was the reason um, that you left the FBI? Well, I, I was a, a, an objector to their COVID policy, which was uh, put out in the Executive Order 14043, I believe, in uh, September, November of last year. And at this exact same time, I also was uh, given access to this email that came in that said the FBI was tagging uh, parents at school boards under this threat tag called EDU Threats, which is essentially a hashtag to, to identify um, intelligence that, that is gained from uh, different investigations or preliminary assessments. And so I, I kind of came forward with both of those things at the same time. Um, the FBI indefinitely suspended me, theoretically based on uh, a Second Amendment protected activity that I was involved in. I was out shooting in the desert in public land, and, and they claimed that was unprofessional, which is nonsensical. So I'm, I'm kind of an interesting uh, case right now. Like I said, the FBI doesn't know what to do with me, and I kind of don't know what to do with them. And I've got a few questions because we're making a lot of assumptions here on the FBI. Um, the first question I have is, behind the scenes, are you guys well-staffed? How are the resources? Are you guys stretched thin? Because we are making, you know, we're being a bit critical on where those resources are focusing. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, the FBI has the resources to do a lot of the things they want to do, but they also have to make, so, you know, it's a zero-sum game in a lot of ways. Like, there, there is an opportunity cost when you are going to spend your time um, doing an investigation into what they're calling mis or disinformation regarding election fraud, um, you know, something else is going to have to take a hit. Those resources come from something else. We could have intelligence analysts that are doing analysis of 
um, you know, Chinese documents of, you know, Russian information coming through or, or um, operations that are being done, or we can be looking into this sort of mis and disinformation on small follower accounts. Um, and, and I've been talking about this, you know, we've got tools that are in place, things like Babel X, which is a social media exploitation uh, software. They've got things like data miner, uh, a thing called zero Fox that was brought up to my attention the other day, which is apparently pretty worthless, but it exists. And, and so, you know, th- people are going to have to spend a finite amount of time. They've got somewhere between eight and 10 hours in a day for the most part. And if they're using them on things that are not crimes and that are, um, you know, doing what I would say is invasion of the first amendment protected activities of, uh, you know, people's free speech, the FBI is explicitly forbidden from doing that. And they are also exp- explicitly from forbidden from doing that by proxy. You know, they can't walk in and ask a third party to do something that they could not do on their own. And that's where the real the real flag is for me. I looked at tweet number 26. That's a smoking gun for me. I've already brought that up to Matt Taibbi. It's like, look, you know, they can't, they can't get involved in that, that at all. And it also harkens back to something that I leaked to uh, to Project Veritas and, and uh, Harmeet Dillon published the other day um, in, what, late October, where the FBI named two election crimes that are not crimes on their election crimes cheat sheet. And that came from the um, uh, this, you know, this intelligence group that's out of... Um, where is it out of? They're out of headquarters. They're a headquarters unit. The Public Corruption Intelligence Unit. They put this cheat sheet out saying mis and disinformation are crimes, and they're not. And I think that's really important to note. By the way, for the panelists, anyone that has questions for Kyle, just feel free to put your hand up. I have so, one. So, Kyle, really from, quick. Yeah, go, go ahead, Tara. I just want to know, is, is child sexual exploitation a crime? Absolutely. And, uh, and I, you know, I think it's being overlooked in a lot of ways. Like uh, my buddy, uh, Stephen Friend, who, you know, I didn't know before any of this stuff happened. Um, but Stephen let me know that in no uncertain terms, every single FBI person, all 36,000 plus employees could spend every single day working on child trafficking, uh, child sexual exploitation, and we would still have work to do. We wouldn't get it all done. Um, they're the most busy squads at, at Washington field office. When I worked there, they did more arrests than almost anybody. You know, I think they did more arrests than the, the MS 13 and the gang squads. Um, there was an arrest or a, um, a search warrant operation happening weekly. And that is not common for federal investigations. Like these things generally take, you know, months and, and sometimes years. And these guys were doing turnaround guys and girls. I'll say we're doing turnarounds in days because it's just, there's tons of work. Catherine. Uh, yeah, Kyle, you mentioned that they were going uh, after these smaller accounts for, you know, misinformation or disinformation. What is sort of the justification that they use? What is the threat uh, that the FBI sees um, that justifies sort of going after these accounts? I can't defend it. So I, I don't know. Like some of the stuff that was tagged, even in like an Intercept article that I was commenting on, I went on a Bongino's show maybe a month ago. And, uh, you know, Dan Bongino and I were talking about how there's a, a literally a parody account that said, send us your weed stores and hoes be mad. We're like in the bio and there were 56 followers and they were flagged, you know, um, by this San Francisco field office. The work that's going on by this, uh, this ASAC, this GS15, uh, Elvis Chan, you know, I'm really interested to see if, if, uh, Taibi actually has, uh, information showing that uh, his uh, depositions were not entirely honest. I hope they were. I hope that he did his job the way he's supposed to do it. And he just had a misunderstanding of how it went about. But, you know, hopefully he didn't perjure himself because that would be incredibly incriminating. There's a lot of political animus that goes on, you know, um, at the upper echelons of the FBI. And I've heard it in no, you know, in no uh, confusing terms. It was very, very explicit to me that not only do we have one way of doing things, the FBI way of doing things, but there is a San Francisco way, which is how we deal with big tech companies. 
And that's not, that's not normal. Like nobody else has a special way of dealing with companies, but it apparently was set up through the San Francisco field office to deal with the tech companies differently than other, you know, different, uh, other legal process and other um, companies that are out there that we deal with for requesting information. Can you define this San Francisco way? Just so, so we're clear on that. What's the uh, I don't San know exactly way? what it involves. It's just a, a route and a, and a way that they, they produce legal process. I'm sure that it still probably follows generally the way I, I, I people that told me, they just said like they heard about this and they thought it was strange. You know, I don't get a hundred percent clarity on a lot of this stuff. And some of these things, like they were talking about FISA. So we weren't going to talk about FISA in an unclassified setting, but it was enough that people brought it up to me. They thought it was concerning. Uh, and I've got a couple hundred folks in the FBI, like on any given day, they're in, you know, end to end encrypted apps that we discuss these kind of things. We just don't vary into the realm of things that would be considered national security because it's dangerous for everybody. And it's illegal. <laughs> Tom. Yeah, Kyle, Tom Fitton over at Judicial Watch. I appreciate your uh, public service, um, which is probably more important now than it was when you were at the FBI, frankly. You know, one thing that Chan noted, the senior FBI agent, a special agent in San Francisco, was that these requests that we're seeing now, evidently, uh, didn't come from low-level FBI agents. They had to be approved uh, by FBI headquarters before they were sent over to Twitter. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily excuse the role of these other agents. So you have, let's say, 80 agents involved here and countless others involved in, you know, the, the current abusive investigations that are going on. You know, and some defenders of the FBI say, well, you know, it's the leadership. Well, you know, I don't know how many regular agents have to be involved in obviously shady uh, abuses of power by the federal government before we might think there's a, a compromised systemic issue at the agency. What, what's your view on that? Is, is the agency redeemable based on your experience there? Or do we need to do a, um, uh, a, a rethinking of it in the sense of, um, uh, doling out its powers and responsibilities to maybe to other agencies or new ones. Yeah, I tend towards the, the latter on, on that uh, topic. Um, I, I know that there are great people that work in the FBI. I'm friends with many of them. There's plenty of them I don't know who do outstanding work. The danger with a, an agency that looks at itself, you know, everybody here is probably looking at the FBI as a law enforcement entity. And I'm beating this drum that it really considers itself an intelligence agency first. And you don't have to look any further than the domestic in uh, domestic intelligence and operations guide, which tells us that they consider it first. It's the first thing that's listed. FBI is intelligence agency. And so when you have an intelligence agency with a law enforcement capability, you've got a lot of danger. The second thing is, is that intelligence agencies are not transparent by their nature. That is the opposite of what we see with local law enforcement and state law enforcement. They don't have that same sort of problem. They may have intelligence units, but their job is to share information you know, to people who are doing enforcement actions. So there's a lot of people that work within the FBI that are either have their head buried in the sand and are not paying attention. I've had conversations, you know, this calendar year in April, people who had never heard of Hunter Biden's laptop or anything that was going on that had, uh, you know, they just, they don't know and they don't want to know. They just want to do the work they're doing. And I don't fault them for that per se, but you're a federal agency that has federal authorities that are across the entire nation. You kind of have a responsibility to know what's going on, you know, globally. And I read left and right wing news, you know, I kind of, I have to uh, assess for bias at the same time, but I want to know what everybody is talking about because I think it's relevant. And that's not that's not common or, or necessarily, um, you know, across the all the um, the personnel in all the different offices. So the real danger is, is we, we talk about the quote unquote good men and women of the FBI. There are some, you know, the rank and file. 
there's a lot of people that got to go along to get along. And I'm not saying that they knew what they were doing at the time necessarily, but there's, you know, obvious constitutional issues at play right here. And there's, you know, there's no way that you can say that censorship or getting involved in First Amendment protected activities or the analysts that are writing, you know, documents, you know, one of the things that my group, you know, put forward was this um, militia violent extremist symbols guide, which showed the Betsy Ross flag and it showed um, the Gadsden flag and the 1835, you know, Gonzalez battle flag. And it says right on the front, you know, like, you know, these symbols do not necessarily indicate that they're a problem because they could be First Amendment protected. But here's a bunch of problems we have. Like a caveat doesn't cover it when you have the authorities and the powers that the FBI has. So I'd be I'd be keen to a bunch of different ideas. I'm actually doing kind of a, a small podcast where we're interviewing former FBI agents, people who are retired or people who have left the agency and discussed. And I want to know what they think because they all have solution ideas. These are the people that need to be at the table deciding. But as it is, the FBI's brand is very tarnished. It is it is tarnished to the point of being broken. You know, 50 percent of this country is not going to open the door and talk to them and considers them an enemy because because the FBI has named them as enemies themselves. So that's really dangerous stuff. Malcolm. Steve, Malcolm, I don't know. You you need to unmute. Go ahead, Steve. Sure. Uh, Kyle, thanks for joining us. Uh, Very fascinating stuff here. Um, So from your experiences, what do you think and what what are your instincts telling you predominantly dictates the culture of what is seems to be more and more um, of ridiculous prioritization uh, of, of, of what we're seeing here, of, of what the FBI prioritizes its uh, its energy and time. And why? And and I'll add, I'll add on to that, Kyle. Like, what, if if this is the case, if the and, and it seems like it is, th- too much attention was prioritized on things that it shouldn't have. What's the reason behind it? So I've got speculation. I, I don't have um, hard facts to back this up. This is my instinct. So you're asking for that. I'll give it to you. Um, yep. It's my belief that the FBI continues to hire less law enforcement and military background people, people who understand what that oath of office kind of involves and, and what an unlawful order might look like. And at the same time, they're hiring people with higher um, you know, college degrees and, and, and more you know, post uh, bachelor type education. We have a lot of masters and, and a lot of PhDs level people that are working in the analytical end. When you consider, uh, and this is a post 9-11 phenomenon, this is a, you know, a director Mueller and on sort of thing. When you consider um, that intelligence is just information and the only reason that it's of any value is if you have somebody that can analyze it, then you start ha- hiring a lot of analytical types. And my understanding is this happened over at the CIA as well. Um, people have told me that that was the instinct they had. So you take all these analytical types, like I said, most of them with advanced degrees, most of them with a lot more um, sort of schooling. There is a left wing bias that comes with a lot of those people based on their life experience of being in collegiate you know, environments where they, they are, in fact, just in college classes and they're getting a lot of uh, indoctrination at the same time as information. And when you bring those types of people, you change the sort of it's not really a conservative environment in the FBI, at least historically. I think it was more of like a libertarian. Uh, a lot of people, nobody really wore their politics on their sleeve. The guys that I talked to and the, and the women that have, that have spent, you know, 20 or 30 years and they're out now and they're just, they're just leaving the agency. The big switch they saw was 2015, 2016. Um, they saw that there was a, you know, kind of a, a big change. Um, and, and that's right when I walked into it. So I only knew it that way. Um, but I do think that this, this view that we should be influencing policy and that we should get involved in that sort of stuff. And I say we just as a former FBI guy who still associates with that community. Um, it's based on 
a different type of person. When the personnel change, then the, the priorities change. And, and that's when I saw things like in the Albuquerque field office, they were prioritizing enforcement of the FACE Act, which is the free access to clinic entrances. Um, and I don't have the U.S. code off the top of my head anymore, but there's a two parts to that. It says that you can't block the entrance to abortion clinics. I think we all know that that's part of the federal law. You can't do that. Um, but the second part of it is you can't block the entrance to churches and houses of worship. And I've seen zero federal cases going forward with that. But we have seen people arrested for protesting outside of abortion clinics and doing pro-life activities. That's a really weird thing to spend FBI resources that, you know, if you're doing that, you're not doing gang enforcement. You're not doing the stop of fentanyl coming off the southern border. You know, there's unlimited amounts of cases for trafficking. There's unlimited amounts of cases for federal gang interactions in RICO. There's unlimited amounts of federal fraud, which is a really, really difficult uh, work to do. And if you're going to be hiring people that have lawyers and are, that are CPAs, like that's where they should be focusing their time. And a lot of times they end up in, you know, a Chinese counterintelligence squad like I did. And it's like, what, what the heck are we doing with these people? The, the FBI doesn't allocate its resources very well. And they certainly don't care what your previous background is um, when they assign you to a squad. They just assign you because everybody is as good as any other body. And, and people don't realize that. Like that's, you know, my background was as a, as a, a medic in the military. And I had like very direct action type understanding how to do things, I would be great on a, a squad that did criminal warrants. My first thing was a non-criminal, non-espionage you know, espionage assignment looking at what we call foreign uh, Chinese counterintelligence. But that, that's kind of bizarre. But it, and it doesn't make any sense to anybody that I've talked to, but that's the standard for the Bureau. So, I hope And one, one, last, one last follow-up question really, really quick to that, Kyle. And thank you for that elaborate answer. Appreciate it. Um, in your opinion, this new, uh, tra- the new trajectory trends of the FBI's new hiring processes and the, and the people that they're hiring. Do you think this is uh, by design or do you think it is just uh, more, more overall uh, a sign of, uh, is, is there just not enough new hires or not enough new applicants out there to fill the positions that, that, that are um, trying to get positions at the FBI? So I think the Bureau is facing the same problems that the United States military faces, but it's in a different, you know, it's a different subset, but it's the same problem. Um, You know, you've got very patriotic, um, American minded. They they love this country and they want to serve this country, but they're looking at sort of the sort of woke indoctrination, the the politicization of the military, which was never really there before. Like I served with people of every different background. I served with people. What do you what do you mean by sorry, Kyle? uh, What do you mean by woke indoctrination? It's the same kind of stuff that I'm seeing, um, you know, when they're telling you that there's a gender ideology that needs to be enforced, that men and women um, can self-identify with a different gender. You know, these are fundamentally they're they're antithetical to the way that I grew up. Like men and women do not belong on the same plane when it comes to physicality. I don't care what anyone says. Like I I was in special operations training. I spent all my time like working with like the top, you know, point one percent of physical creatures. We had guys that went through the NFL combine that that couldn't pass our. Um, our assessments because you had to also swim and, and, and they would drown you and stuff like that. And there's a lot of mental hardness to it. And they did the studies like these studies are, have already been done by the military with willing participants. And they, they strata like they, there's a stratified physical performance metric to do a lot of this stuff. Like men uh, that are in special operations are like tier one, tier two is like, you know, the rest of the men. And then tier three was mostly women with a little bit of overlap in there. It, it, you know, and I'm not trying to be controversial about it. I'm just saying that like, if you've ever been hit by a man and hit by a woman, there are very few women in the world that are going to be in that same category. So I, I know Jordan Peterson talks about this at length. You guys can, you know, set, you know, suss this out. I'm not here to make that political statement, but when you get down to it, you know, uh, unit cohesion is a problem. 
people signed up to do a specific type of mission. That mission doesn't exist in the same way. If we're going to be pushing, you know, uh, the, the, the ideologies that are not meant to be part of the military, it's really not supposed to be a social experiment. You know, we, we spend a lot of time kicking people out that, that have flat feet and they have scoliosis and they, and they can't, you know, bend and touch their toes properly. And then you're going to bring in people that have, you know, issues or anxiety issues that, uh, that are just antithetical to military service, in my opinion. Uh, uh, FBI... Kyle, before, before we go to other panelists, I just want to interrupt you because I just got messages verified by the team from another whistleblower. And I want to read them out, if you don't mind, Kyle, and get you to comment on them. Um, sure. For anyone that has questions, you can put them in the comments, bottom right corner. But these were not from the audience. This is by another whistleblower. So I'm just going to read it out now. And then I know Malcolm was gonna, was had his hand up, so we'll go to Malcolm afterwards. But I'll read the first one. So it's four points. I'll read them one by one and get your comments on them. The first okay. one, the Twitter files are only a small portion of the electronic surveillance apparatus that takes place on social media or in social media platforms. Would you agree with that statement? Yes. Yes, clearly. I mean, it's, it's a snapshot. There's no doubt. Okay. Number two, lawful intercepts are real and the legal involvement that the FBI leverages to collect intelligence from the users of the platform has been around since day one of Twitter. Um, as far as day one of Twitter, I wasn't privy to that. What I can say is that I saw things that I would call abuses of the uh, the FBI's uh, authorities under 702 the, of the FISA. Um, so there's no question, and I, and I brought this up to Congress. This is nothing new to anybody that's paying attention. Um, Senator Mike Lee was well aware of this stuff too. Yeah, lawful intercepts happen. Um, unlawful use of that can happen oftentimes either with uh, poor training or a... a, a poorly defined mission set. It's really difficult to figure out how to use 702 FISA material in a lawful way other than just um, that it exists. The minute that you start trying to use it operationally uh, as, a, as an FBI agent, you're going to have trouble. So I, I would agree that that's probably true, but I don't have specifics about Twitter being uh, intercepted from day one. Okay, the third out of the four points, as a former XXX official I can say without a shadow of a doubt, there are still former, former intelligence agents that work for these companies. He's referring to the social media companies. They don't 100%. actively report, they don't actively report play by plays to their former agencies, but the relationships they have are always leveraged. As you can see with my whistleblowing event, some issues get reported more than others. So you said 100% yeah, so on that one? Yeah, hundred percent. There are absolutely. So I, I've kind of called it, and I guess somebody came up with this in 2014 because it, it shows up in internet searches. But it, there's an information industrial complex. There's no question about that. And in the same way that former military members were feeding into that, um, you know, that military industrial complex, whether it was Raytheon or General Electric or any of the type of defense contractors, and 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 part of it is because their their experience is valuable, right? They they have a knowledge set that is of use. The other piece is that they have a connection set that's of use. And, and so there's no question that the intelligence agencies, and there's a number of them, all the IC definitely feeds people into big tech um, and into um, some other places that are going to be sort of analogous to that, whether it be your Verizons or your, your T-Mobiles and stuff like that. You know, they're hiring these people because they have a skill set of value of handling information and knowing what to do with it and policing it and so on. So, yes, absolutely. And the last point is, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big point, but... There is no expectation of privacy on social media platforms. That's a pretty extreme take on everything. That's 100% accurate, though. So it's, it's yeah, easily it's searchable. Too, because Edward Snowden, I mean, he pretty much disclosed what was going on. Anyway, continue. Sorry. 
Yeah, you could you can sit there and I mean, like as an agent, if you have a target, you can go and use it. If there's a tool, and there are tools, like I like I said, that the FBI pays millions of dollars for social media exploitation tools. There's a there's an acronym for it. It's SOMEX, and there's there's people all over the you know the field and and at headquarters that do this. So whether it's broad or narrow, and the, and the question of how broad and how narrow is where the the constitutionality comes in. Um, I've given the example that if they went and, and tried to pull every you know bio that said ultra MAGA or had a Ukrainian flag in it or whatever your your take is and and tried to identify those, that's clearly going to be really dangerous stuff and probably unconstitutional. But uh, targeting people who are you know exchanging information about pipe bombs, um, you know, in Detroit for this coming weekend, that that's probably okay. I mean, you probably want that done. So no expectation of privacy. That's true. Um, if it's not end to end encrypted. Uh, you pretty much should assume that it's accessible by people and they may or may not want to share it with other people. And as far as I know, uh, Twitter messages, does anyone know, are they uh, encrypted end-to-end? No. Not yet. And what's not funny, yet. wasn't, Ian, wasn't the, the communication portal between the FBI and Twitter encrypted? That was, yes, it's teleport, Teleporter. It is 100% encrypted. So Teleporter, tele- so the... So the Teleported between the FBI and Twitter was encrypted. Okay, um, I'll go to yeah, Malcolm, yeah, yeah. but just to, to conclude for the audience, so so Kyle just mentioned, uh, just commented on the four points, and I'll read the four points very briefly. The Twitter files are only a small portion of, of the surveillance by the FBI on all social media platforms. Lawful intercepts are real, um, and they can be abused at times. And then the third one is, um, there are still many ex-FBI agents at the various social media platforms, and they do report to the agencies, just not play by play. And then the fourth one is a pretty extreme statement: is there is no expectation of privacy on social media platforms. Malcolm, really, really quick. I don't want to cut, but I just have to say something. I, just really quick, Malcolm. I'm sorry. Just how incredible it is to be sitting here real time have an ex-CIA agent on the panel, have an ex-FBI agent on the panel, real time. I mean, these are, this is incredible. This is something we never want to lose. This is exactly what we all have been fighting for to be able to do what we are doing right here, right now. So I just want to commend you all and thank you all for your bravery and speaking up and using your voices to come here and share uh, pertinent information with us. Hey, just, and I don't want to cut off either, but I want, thank you for that comment. But Kyle hit the, the nail on the head with the only being the tip of the iceberg of what is available. Um, Twitter's a gift. You know, Elon Musk gave a gift. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to show you this stuff. The truth is the hard work's going to hap- have to happen after this because Twitter, you know, it doesn't matter if you write it up left-leaning or right-leaning. The job is going to be for people to take a close look at what's being put out and then send out FOIA requests. Uh, journalists have to look at what corporate structures are being used to facilitate uh, the action that's occurring. Because uh, what you're seeing from Twitter is basically the tool. You're not seeing the user. So to get at that, it's going to take a lot of work. And uh, I'll leave it at that, and I'll jump out here and, and say, you know, from our perspective, we're focused mostly on COVID-related issues for federal government employees, but we feel that's important for every American out there, everybody across the across the globe. So I'll step out. Thanks so, for sharing uh, that. Mario, if you're talking, it, please forgive Welcome. me because I cannot hear. You know, for some odd reason, I can't hear you. 
But um, I did also have to ask Kyle, um, was it, you know, just two questions. First off, given what we know about the information sharing and the commingling between the intelligence agencies and Twitter and how they were basically acting as a subsidiary, I saw that where Twitter had a rudimentary AI, you know, I don't think Elon would classify it as anything sophisticated, but it still fell under the parameters or guidance of an AI. And so with the FBI working so closely, this AI had terms which are intentionally used to catch up right-wing or right-leaning trends and people and suppress them. So would the FBI have had access to that tool and use those keywords, search phrases, or queries, which are continuously expanding? And would they have actioned or used those in their pursuit of accounts? And also, just uh, another follow-up question to that. In regards to, say, the... In regards Mario, to say the access to, um, let's say, um, position. So I'll, I'll let you answer the questions, the question, Kyle, uh, while I fix. Malcolm, I'm going to bring you back up so then your mic is fixed and you could hear me. Uh, do you want to answer the first point, Kyle, regarding the access the FBI had to the AI tools at Twitter? Yeah, I can't speak to that individually or specifically. I, I wasn't part of a team that would have done that. That would have been most likely a headquarters group. It, it sounds like that there was a, a lot of interplay between them. You know, the FBI has their own tools. And like I mentioned, a couple of them, uh, Zero Fox is one of them. It's apparently AI driven. Um, I don't know how primitive it is because people tell me it's not super effective, but it does exist. You know, they've got tools like Babel X, which are going to be kind of a combination thereof. Um, and then there are, and Data Miner was another one of these things, Miner with its... Uh, and, you know, it ends in MR, it misses some letter. I guess that's a cleverness that people use. But there are AI tools that the Bureau can, can utilize. Um, what is really strange for me when I look at it, and I brought this up to Taibi as well, is that a lot of companies are, are loath to work with law enforcement because, one, it's a pain, and, two, they feel it's like a betrayal of their customer base or their user base. And so, you know, uh, and the one I brought up to him I knew specifically was T-Mobile is very happy to disclose legal process that served to them unless we keep it under wraps on a regular basis. Like every 90 days, we have to update it and tell them that we want to continue this, you know, this kind of gag order on what we've we've asked for. And if we fall behind on our paperwork, like they go and tell the user, hey, the FBI asked for all your stuff, whatever that thing may be. And and I actually think that's really good. Like I, I'm a... um a father and a husband first, and I'm a citizen second, like kind of the top two. An FBI agent was a dish and third. It was a job. It's a job that I loved. But we really need to consider ourselves like, what is the America that you're going to live in? And do you really want corporations bending over backwards to accommodate the federal government when they can just as easily tell them, hey, go get go get a court order? And I've never found that to be a very frustrating thing. Like, we're supposed to do things in the right way. That's what you should expect from your federal law enforcement. Very dangerous to think that they would, you know, positively collude with them and, and positively sort of bend over backwards to give it. And so that master slash canine relationship that Taibi was was mentioning, one, it looks like that's true. Two, it's really troubling to me. And it's not the first time I heard that. Like, there's been meetings with Reddit and some of the other groups that have a lot of people's public information and it's not publicly, you know, it's publicly available. They have no expectation of privacy, but the FBI cannot be enforcing terms of service for a private company. That's craziness. And, and it, it appears that they were. Uh, Tom? It, it's important. You know, let, let me be blunt. The FBI can't be redeemed. Uh, it is uh, structurally, uh, inconsi- you know, that they consider themselves... Uh, above the law in how they manage the powers entrusted to them by the American people. Uh, similarly, the Justice Department can't be trusted as well. And so, you know, that's the challenge we have. 
And for any whistleblower, Judicial Watch has been representing whistleblowers for decades, including folks from the FBI. Yeah, let me let me be, and I'm sure this comports with Kyle's experience. If if you know whistleblower A came to Judicial Watch from an agency, I'm, of course I'm no lawyer, but I've got a little practical experience in how this how this goes. The decision a whistleblower has to make is: Do I keep on working in the agency or do I leave? Because once they decide to do the right thing, they're out. Their their career is destroyed. Uh, it's made impossible for them to continue to work there. So everyone who's there has made a compromise. I don't suggest it's an immoral compromise, but a compromise to continue working at an agency that they know is morally deficient and uh, constitutionally at odds uh, with the American people. Uh, so that's the challenge we have. And we're seeing evidence of this in the FBI's files here. This is petty, juvenile work by agents who are happy to be – can you think of an easier job than to be looking at people's tweets and tattling on them to uh, Twitter? Talk about uh-huh. a loser, a loser approach. And, uh, you know, and, and I'll just end with this. You, uh, one of one of my favorite FBI guys, former FBI guys, used to tell me the, and this is probably something everyone's heard somewhat for a fashion or another, is that you've got big cases, big problems. Small cases, small problems. No cases, no problems. And in the case of this election misinformation, there wasn't a big case. It was a small case, and there was actually no case, practically speaking, since they were just making it up as they went along. What what a what a uh, what a uh, indictment of the FBI these files are. I'll go, Kyle. As you respond, Kyle, and then I'll give it to Brian. Um, Kyle, um, as you respond, I'd love you to also tell us once you respond. Um, I want you to focus on the positives of the FBI as well, because I know that there's a lot of great points to be critical about, but I want to try to get it balanced out as well on um, you know the the work they're doing and, and what they're doing to improve on those, uh, if anything, really, on those concerns that we're we're voicing. Well, what I wanted to kind of it's a point correction, it's a semantics, but I think it's relevant. When we use the, uh, a lot of people are using the term FBI agents. There's only, you know, 13,600 under 14,000 FBI agents of the 36,000 employees. So the majority, the majority of um, FBI employees, and I'll use that word very specifically, are not agents. Most of them are analytical personnel or professional support. And a lot of the work that you're seeing these back and forths do not have to take place between agents and, uh, you know, and these companies and, and specifically Twitter in this case, it can be analytical types, which is going to be your intelligence analysts. It's going to be um, our squad operations specialist, which is an intel position. There are people called MAPAs, which is a management and program analyst. So all of these these people may be touching data and forwarding things along. And, uh, you know, analysts do a lot of the work and they're doing a lot of. Um, you know, kind of the, the, the legwork when it comes to these contacts. And I also find them to be more left leaning. That's just a, just a general piece of being, I think, educated at the level that a lot of them are. So that's just worth noting as a semantic point. Um, the second thing is, is yeah, there's tons of great work going on. You're never going to hear about it because it's not inflammatory, but that doesn't mean that the FBI can be saved. And I think those two things can be true at once. The FBI can currently right now today be doing very good work for like by really good people. They're stopping 
you know, threats that some of them are quietly interrupting terrorism, although I think they're more likely like creating terrorism. That's kind of a, an FBI move. And it's something that I've been quoted by saying is like the demand for it right now. Uh, it outstrips the supply. So we're happy to do these sort of setup jobs. Sorry, um, can you and, and, sorry, sorry, demand for what exactly? Well, the demand for domestic terrorism, I believe, uh, outstrips the supply. Um, you know, I've talked to Trevor, Trevor Aronson, and, and we probably don't agree on a lot of things politically, but he and I both understand that what the FBI was doing in the international terrorism space, which was these kind of put up jobs and low IQ, low information types that were getting offered all these, you know, terrible opportunities to commit a crime that they thought was a good idea. Um, we're doing that to domestic terrorists as well. Like we're happy to fund it. My, my general rule, and this is funny, you could just put this out to everybody. We got what, 14,000 people listening. If somebody meets you and you've never met them before, and they want to co-sign or agree with all of your worst ideas, like whatever your terrible ideas are, um, and and they agree with them. And not only that, but they have the money and the ability to help you make it happen for like exactly as much money as you have. Like you want a suppressed Glock 19 handgun and you got 618 bucks in the bank and they want $600. Like that's not how much it costs. So like that's what the FBI does. We do these put up jobs where we're willing to, you know, enable people who would never otherwise have the ability to execute a plan. And then, of course, they never did because the FBI stops them right away. So that's, you know what that's we the call people? We call them glowies. Yes. People do that at glowies. Yes, they I'm glow. you up. Yep. They're, and they fat post, too. That's, what they're doing is fat posting. They put a piece of bait out there, you know. You have some, like, uh, some girl, and uh, she's going to say all the nice things that, you know, all these trad males, these incels uh want to hear you know they want to hear a woman say that oh yeah women belong in the kitchen so guess what you know she's going to echo every single thing that they you know every little dumb point that they make and then put them up to some 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 bullshit and then arrest them like two months later fun <laughs> i i would say that it's unlikely that fbi agents are doing that or doing what we'd call online undercovers that's not really a move that would make a lot of sense but getting um sources signed up that do things because not all source work is going to be explicitly managed is is a real possibility and and you know we we probably agree on some of the things here one of my favorite memes is a picture of two guys in suits they're both wearing um cartoon masks one of them is a guy and one of them is like a you know like a i don't know emo girl and it's a, it's like somewhere on the internet right now you know uh, an fbi agent is trying to convince a cia agent to do like to do a terrorism and it's like omg do a terrorism and 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 it makes me crack up like i like that's totally plausible I don't know that it's actually happening, but the idea that the thought experiment that we are constantly doing this thing and, and kind of trolling the Internet to find it, it tells us, one, how safe a country we live in, which is incredibly safe for the number of people we have. And then also, you know, we, we've lost the focus on international terrorism in such ways because we started looking at, you know, I think the the mission creep happened that we were looking at the Al Qaeda. We were looking at the, you know, the ISIS types and the Al Shabaabs or whatever else, Islamic terrorism. And then we started looking at homegrown violent extremists. For those of you that follow that kind of thing, like HVE is the gateway. That's the people that are domestically born, but foreign inspired. And then once you're looking at domestic terrorism, that is, uh, even if it's foreign inspired, well, you might as well look at all domestic terrorism. And that's kind of where the FBI and DHS and some of these other agencies have gone. That's the danger, because where do you turn that off? Like, they're all looking for a mission. They're all looking to make their it's mission. Their money yeah. 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 So I'll go quickly. So first, Ian, I've sent you a DM about a special guest that I'm trying to bring them in. So just check my WhatsApp. In the meantime, uh, I'm going right. to go to Brian, Malcolm, and then Harrison. And then after that, Kyle, I want to kind of really end it by, by getting your final thoughts on, uh, you know, what, what else we can expect from Twitter files and, 
And how, how, how much worse is it? Because you mentioned in one of the things, the other whistleblower mentioned, and you confirmed, is that this is barely the tip of the iceberg. So we'll touch on that at the end. And I see Mr. Gorka also uh, put his hand up, so I'm going to bring up Sebastian. Uh, Brian, I know you tried to unmute earlier, so I'll give you the mic when I interrupted you. Yeah. Malcolm's been trying to speak for a while as well. Yeah, so I've got Brian and then right after Malcolm, because I know Malcolm had issues before. Um, hopefully he can yeah, hear me no, now. No, Brian, no. go ahead and we'll go Malcolm. I, I appreciate everybody's uh, – I, I, I think it is a concern that the way Twitter is banning individuals, especially conservatives. But I, I also want to remind people that the FBI's aren't the bad guys. There's thousands of FBI agents out there protecting this country every day. And whether it's child predators or terrorism or a number of other things, I, I, I think that – they easily get bad names, and it would be nice to have an FBI agent, a non-disgruntled FBI agent on the show and, and let them weigh in as well. Because I, I, I think that over the course of the last three or four years, the FBI has taken a lot of heat, and those agents who are working tirelessly to protect this country, I don't think they get appreciated enough. Uh, so I, I think it's our responsibility not jump to conspiracy theories Find the facts, listen to the facts, and get all the information before really jumping on something. Brian, are you implying that Kyle is disgruntled? I'm just curious. I I, I wouldn't say Kyle's disgruntled. I I think he left the FBI on terms that I I don't think he's him or the FBI are happy about. So, I mean, I guess you could say that he might have biases like we all have biases. Uh, Kyle, maybe you want to respond quickly to that one uh, before we move on to the next question. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm probably friends with more FBI agents than any of you all. And uh, I think there are a lot of them really great. So I have no beef with uh, saying that. I think that's 100% true. And even the people that are great agents. Can you hear me? Just a minute, Sebastian. Yeah, uh, so, so we'll go, I mean, we'll go, we'll, uh, I think, and I, I tried to balance it out as well. I think, Brian, you made a really good point. I'm glad you did. True. Uh, Sebastian's just facing technical issues. Um, and I think I tried to balance that out as well, uh, uh, Brian. By the answers, I, th- I feel like he's been pretty objective, uh, but it's a valid point to mention. Uh, sorry, Tara, your, your, your mic is crazy. Um, all right, so, so Kyle, I'm going to go to Tara, we can't hear at all. Your mic, your mic is, uh, sorry? Kyle, Kyle was in the middle of responding. Oh shit! I can't hear him. Kyle, was he talking and I interrupted? Uh, uh, Sebastian. Yes. So go. Can you finish what you were saying, Kyle? I still can't hear. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can you fix it? Even even FBI agents who are are doing good work and are great people. And there's no question that they exist. Like I, like I said, I have probably more friends in the FBI than any of you all. The the odds are pretty high. And and I respect them and I respect what they do. If we got together and have a beer, all we do is talk about what's wrong with the FBI. That's the most common thing that two. FBI agents, or if you got five together, then you're going to be fighting to get your word in because everybody knows what's wrong with it internally. And and that's not to say that they're not pleased with the things that they're involved in. It's just the greater organization as a, you know, as a kind of an entity, it's, it's unruly and it's not the individual great work. So you can have two things be true at once. The FBI can be very, very, you know, sort of corrupted and, and broken in a lot of ways and still be, you know, just being so kept corrupt. on the, the right track barely by good people. So that's all I would say. Uh, Malcolm, I know you've been trying to speak for a while. Yeah, uh, it seems uh, everybody's getting bit uh, uh, technical bug. Uh, uh, yeah, and your mic, your mic is a bit. Uh, there's a lot of background noise. I'm not sure if you can make your mic a bit clearer. I tried to say it earlier, but I guess you couldn't hear me. If you have, 
All right. The best minutes to unplug your Bluetooth. Also, Mario, when you leave your mic open, there's a lot of back feed coming from your mic. Ah, okay. Okay, I'll, fi- I'll try to fix I'll that now. Fix that now. All right, go ahead, right, go ahead, Michael. Take number two. Can you hear me all right, first off? No, bro, it's no, a lot worse. So we'll, we'll so go to we'll Tom, Malcolm, and then you're right, we'll, you're right after, I promise, uh, as soon as you fix your mic. Uh, Tom, I'll let you go, and then we'll go to Malcolm, and then we'll kind of end it with Harrison. Well, I was going to make some closing remarks. I don't know if you, if you were at that stage yet. So Yeah, I'll maybe I'll, I'll, let, I'll, give you the final, yeah, I'll give you the final remarks after Harrison and Malcolm ask their questions. Okay, Malcolm, I'll, is your mic I'll, good? You think that? I'll, I'll Perfect. wait. Thanks. Hey, thanks. Thanks a lot, Tom. Malcolm, how's your mic now? All right. I'm going to give it one more try. I, I uh, turned the Bluetooth off. It's good. It's good now, bro. It's, it's good now. now. It's good Man, now. I'm telling you, we all getting hit by the technical bug today. First, I uh, gave it to Gorka and whatnot. It's more contagious than COVID. But um, honestly, you know, I think it's a little unfair what Brian is saying, you know, about disgruntled or non-disgruntled. Because in the business world, we have something where it's like, if you really want to get the truest view of a company, get somebody that's on the way out or that's left the company. Because they can usually look at it with full perspective and sober eyes. So I like what Kyle says because he's seen the good, he's seen the bad, but he's not disillusioned, but he's also not looking at it with rose-colored glasses trying to say, oh, this is okay, you know, the FBI is perfect, you know, and I just got to stick with it. So I think Kyle's accounts, number one, are extremely reliable. Number two, what I would just like to go ahead and look at is where, you know, when the FBI is basically prioritizing who to bust, we see every now and again, that there were situations where they would, you know, publicize some of the accomplishments that they had. And so my mind goes back to the CSE, the child sexual exploitation materials. And why on earth, if they were in such regular communications with Twitter, and I know, Kyle, you might not have specific knowledge of this, but if they're in direct contact and they like to, you know, go after, say, things that are going to get them some good press, why would they not at least bust one of these minor CSC rings or, you know, distribution operations on Twitter, because, you know, I think it's bipartisan that we all think child sexual exploitation is bad, or at least I used to think. So why wouldn't they do that if they're communicating regularly and we know that Twitter can see our DMs and Twitter routinely had knowledge of accounts doing this? So um, my response to that, first of all, I, I don't have any special information about what Twitter was Every doing on their end. Me, I, and, and I, I think that's really <laughs> where the question the question has to be, right? It's it's what was Twitter's ability? What why were they shielding people if they were? Um, why was it so successful? It sounds like it's been more successful. I will tell you this: the people in the FBI that work on what we call violent crimes against children or VCAC, they are among the most passionate and uh, maybe like almost zealots for that type of work because you can't be part of it and, and just be, it's not a, an everyday job for them. It's a passion. It's a drive. These people like put in their heart and soul into it. Everybody I know that's ever worked it every time you get it, it's about as the most righteous work that you can do in the FBI, but it's not necessarily the most valuable or the most promotable. And so those are, that's a culture problem for the Bureau. I think, um, you know, everybody I know that's worked it and, and I'm friends with a number of folks. One of my buddies, my Quantico roommate spent eight years as an analyst um, at the lithicum facility, which does nothing but, you know, dark web analysis and trying to hunt these things down. They are wildly passionate about doing it. And, you know, that 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 is one of the great things the FBI could do. It should have been the thing that they spent all their time doing. And in my opinion, instead of doing like the January 6th, you know, I'd love to see the 9-11 uh, type exercise 
executed on child sexual predators because I'm a father. I got, you know, three kids under the age of six years old. So like those people are evil to me and I would put everything I have into it. You'd, you'd never send me home, but that's not well, the way the FBI works. And I'd, I'd love to know why Twitter didn't do it. That's really the real question for me. Mario, quick point. Please do. So I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit pissed off here because, uh, you know, I'm kind of fed up with, with listening to people like Krasenstein who've never worked with the FBI, never worked in the FBI, let, let's listen to the, the, the people like Kyle who worked in there, served in the military, had the balls to become a whistleblower, or, or people like myself who've literally, before I went to the White House, trained thousands of agents, SOSs, and intelligence analysts who actually know the entity of which we are speaking. We're not sitting on the inside reading posts on Axios about this organization. And I want to quote what Kyle said on my radio show last week. There is a phrase inside the FBI. Why is the shield the agents carry so small? Because it is small. In comparison to state and local uh, law enforcement, it is a small Leo badge. And, and Kyle, what, what is the explanation? What, what did you say on my show? I think it's one of those apocryphal stories, but they always said that the badge is so small so that you can't hide behind it. Right. Um, so listen, you- listen to what Kyle just said. The badge is so small because you can't hide behind it, because you're the most powerful law enforcement agency, not in America, but in the world. And what have we witnessed in just the last few years? Let's be clear. Why do we have Kyle Serafim? Why do we have two dozen whistleblowers? Because the FBI has become a political arm of one party, the FISA warrants. Do you know James Baker was the FISA guru at the DOJ? He's the guy that signed off on the secret warrants to, to spy on U.S. citizens because they worked for the Trump campaign. We've got 24 FBI agents with loaded M4 rifles busting down the door of a pro-life preacher as his seven children are screaming, why are you taking my daddy on a misdemeanor assault charge that was dismissed out of a local court four months previously? We've got the FBI using its tools with big tech to cancel people's accounts because they're what? Conservatives? Not because they're peddling child porn, not because they're working for Al-Shabaab or AQIP, but because they're pro-Trump. Let's be serious. The problem is politicized law enforcement and not a couple of bad apples. I told you the story three weeks ago from the Holy Land, seven weeks in the Trump administration. I've requested three FBI agents detailed to me who I had trained previously. And I was told off the record by a senior person, Seb, you're not getting those detailees to the West Wing because the seventh floor of the Hoover building looks at, at this administration and this president as the enemy. That way lies perdition. When you have, you know, an actress like Gina Carano have the balls to say on Instagram, hey, you know what? The death camps, Auschwitz, didn't start overnight. It began with the dehumanization of the other, of your neighbor. That's what we have in America today. So let's get serious. The big issue, and and Carl can talk to this, is that after 9-11, Bush told Mueller that you are no longer a law enforcement agency. He said it at Camp David. You are now an intelligence agency. That's why the email addresses of every FBI agent ends in what? Kyle, tell them what two letters the FBI email system ends with. 
Yeah, sure. It's, I mean, it's at IC for intelligencecommunity.fbi.gov. They've made Bingo. it easier. So they, they, they reclassify that. But that's the first lesson I got at Quantico. They were like, you're part of the intelligence community now. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, that's I don't remember signing up to do that. Like, you know, there's something very silly about walking around D.C. when every single surveillance report, this is just what I saw with my eyes walking around on the street and I write it down and suddenly it gets stamped with the with a secret classification, secret and no foreign. Um, so I used to joke with people and tell people I was a secret agent for the FBI, not a special agent, because everything I wrote said secret on it. And that's kind of crazy. And I didn't do anything that was related to crime. The minute if I if, it, if somebody even alleged that my subjects were involved in a federal crime, somebody else took it. So there's entire swaths of the FBI that are not involved in criminal activity at all, as in investigating criminal activity. They're 100 percent focused on information for its own sake and for the sake of maybe turning it into a more operational you know, uh, intelligence gathering. That's that's not what a lot of people think. And if you don't know that, then then now you do like you got to. You have to understand that that is a fundamental difference. And if, it happened, the, like you say, at, if the more. agency becomes an intelligence arm, the temperament is to fall into Leventi Berrier's description, also apocryphal of the KGB. Show me the man I, and I will show you the crime. A law enforcement agency is meant to investigate crimes that have occurred or are about to occur. They're not supposed to collect intelligence about future crimes or potential crimes or crimes my political adversary may commit. And that's what the FBI has sadly become. Sorry, for the but record, you, you don't know if you don't know if they've done that, though. You don't know what uh, uh, they were what investigating. The, what the hell are you doing? Are you shitting me? Are you shitting me with Mike Flynn? What did they do with... Uh, uh, I want to go quickly, sorry, if you don't mind. Uh, Brian, Brian and Sebastian, just two seconds. So, so I want to just introduce Congressman Thomas. Congressman, appreciate you coming on stage. Okay, is my mic on? It is. It is. is that your, you've been on Spaces yep, before? Is that, your first, is that your first time? This will be the first time I've ever spoken well, on it's a, it, it, it's, it's, it's well, Spaces. It's the first time for many, including Sebastian next to you. I'm not sure about Tom as well. So I uh, appreciate you being here. Well, let, let me just say, you hear enough hot air from politicians all the time. So I just want to let you know I'm here to listen. And uh, the FBI was created by Congress. The FBI is funded by Congress. If there's any oversight that will happen on the FBI, DOJ, ATF, it will come from the Judiciary Committee. And that's the committee that I'll be serving on for the next two years. Awesome. So I'm, I'm here to listen to you all. Um, I think maybe some of some of you saw where I put Merrick Garland on the spot and I made him watch a couple minutes awesome, of yeah. Ray Epps. I saw it. <laughs> uh, this is this is their worst nightmare that I I will be able to confront them for the next two years with the truth, and we will have people uh, from the highest levels in front of our committee, and there is no mute on my microphone for five minutes, and they are. Um, they're going to be called to answer our questions. So if you all have questions, please engage me on Twitter. I'll, I'll be here in your spaces when I can. I found the Twitter files deeply disturbing. I've read them all, every one painfully, sometimes waiting 10 minutes for the next one um, with the rest of you. And uh, I'll end it there and just say, if you have ideas, please send them to me and my, my DMs are open. I appreciate being here, Congressman. I, I do have, if you don't mind, ask you one question because I know you said you prefer to be Absolutely. to be listening. But I, I'd love your your take on the files so far. I know you said they're deeply disturbing. We did hear Kyle 
saying that that Kyle and one other whistleblower. So the other whistleblower said that this is barely the tip of the iceberg, and Kyle confirmed that point. Um, would love your take on it. Well, I I, uh, I know it's it's sort of a cliche now on Twitter, but in a closed door meeting, I told the rest of the Judiciary Committee that Elon has bought a crime scene, and um, they seem to agree with me. And um, what we need to do. Listen, the Twitter files are actually a roadmap for the subpoenas and the requests for information and the and the interviews that we need to do in Congress. So I really appreciate what Elon and the reporters who are covering this have been able to put out there. But now it's up to the Judiciary Committee to look at where we need to go. They've called in the coordinates now, and um, we are able to compel the FBI to give us the other side of the story. So I think that's the most important part of the Twitter files. And are you seeing bipartisan support um, be behind free speech on social media or is, is there still resistance or not people, not, you know, other, other senators not giving it enough importance? Well, let me say um, I'm friends with Ro Khanna and I uh, was glad to see him show up in there. And I was glad to see that Elon Musk gave him a good shout out. He and I have, uh, tried to intervene on the congressional war powers and also on freedom of speech. And so um, there, I think there will be bipartisan opportunities. The reality, though, is that the House of Representatives is kind of mob rule. And when you're in the minority, you are nothing. And when you're in the majority, um, then you do all the work for the, for the body. So um, the Democrats are going to get really bipartisan on January 3rd now that we're the, in the majority. And one other really question quick, I have um, for you. Go ahead, Can I just ask a really quick question of uh, Rep. Thomas? Uh, I just wanted to let you know that your DMs are actually not open, so unless you follow people, oh. they cannot DM you. Okay. Uh, but I was going to re make a recommendation that maybe you start a thread where uh, people can list questions, if it's easier that way, under that thread, and then you can kind of see what's brought to the top based on what people like. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I didn't know what the term meant. My DMs are open. I, do I follow you, Tara? You you do not, so, so I cannot message you. Okay. But I think I will, if you I'll, make, I'll fix that can, right yeah, now. You, and 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 you Perfect. can also make go into settings and then open up your DMs in settings. I think Tara was trying to say as well. So anyone could DM oh, you, yeah. but you'll you'll probably need someone from your team uh, to help you manage the, the DMs. Another question for you: What got us to this level? This level of influence by the FBI in in the various social media platforms and this level of bias at Twitter and and likely on other social media platforms by based on what we're seeing so far? Well, what got us here was complete and total lack of oversight. I mean, the, uh, until Jim Jordan became the ranking member on judiciary, basically all the chairman and the ranking member were chosen to tow the, the, the establishment line in Washington, D.C. And um, rather than call out particular Republican chairman, I'll just say they're pretty much all bad, just all, all of the Republican chairman before Jim Jordan and everyone that served on the um, Intel Committee. And I, I cannot believe and I and I don't mean to say anything bad about him, but why would Trump pick Devin Nunes, the guy who was in charge of all the programs that were used to spy on Trump? Why would he pick him to be the CEO of Truth Social? Like, this is the thing I can't understand. Um, he's the guy who rubber stamped the deep state. So uh, I've just got to say, I'll close that. I'll tie that up by saying that 
I do believe that um, Jim Jordan is one of the most honest people in Washington, D.C., and it's their first opportunity to get any real oversight over these organizations that have three letters. Ian? Uh, are, you re- are you really saying, uh, Congressman, that the man who got to the bottom of the Russia hoax is part of the deep state? You're saying that about Devin Nunes? I can't believe you just said that. He's, he's re- Sebastian, he's reauthorized every program that was used to spy on Trump. And we have multiple debates. I've been in Congress for 10 years. Multiple debates with that man where he he was the guy responsible for making sure all the money flowed to all of the spy programs and all the three-letter organizations. So, so who, who, who did more to uncover uh, the fake Russia collusion than Devin Nunes? I, I mean, seriously, the, the, the guy who actually uncovered the illegal leaks, the unmaskings. There's nobody else except Devin. Well, I can't believe you said that. Well, well, maybe he's done something redeemable, but I was in the skiff um, with all the folks in the pre-impeachment. Remember they put the, I think it was the Intel Committee and our Oversight Committee um, in the skiff, and I was down there with Jim Jordan, and I think it, I, I think it was Devin Nunes, but the, the other chairman was so reluctant to do anything that was basically Jim Jordan. Uh, the, the, had, the, the, the same Jim Jordan hasn't said anything about the J6 prisoners for two years. That Jim Jordan? Come on, Brian. Well, but, you know, we had Lieutenant Colonel Vindeman there, and uh, I don't know. I, I, Maybe he's done something redeeming. They all do something redeeming every now and then. Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell all do something redeeming, but... <laughs> Even putting Devin in the same sentence as Mitch McConnell and and, and Lindsay's a bad. Oh God! There's yeah. one, the one one person one man. person who put his balls on the line to uncover yeah, no. Russian collusion, yeah. and it was Devin Nunes and Cash Patel. Come on, you know that. Well, give him give him credit for that. I'll not take any of that away from him. But he called Justin Amash Al Qaeda's best friend in Congress when Justin Amash tried to do something about FISA, the FISA programs, the two fifteen and the seven hundred two. This is uh, this is Tom Fitton, uh, Congressman Massey. Um, a question for you on on Trump's presentation last. Uh, I guess it was yesterday. Uh, not the NFTs, which uh, seemed to work out well for him, but the uh, the free speech reforms he was suggesting uh, from uh, that he would instill or implement if he were elected again. What struck me about a lot of it, some of which you know seem pretty good to me, is that we don't have to wait for him to be in office for something to be done if Congress wanted to get it done. Uh, did you see anything there that uh, you know Congress should be pursuing in terms of uh, dealing with this? Some of the frustrating thing, whether it be Jim Jordan or anyone else in in the Republican Congress, and I know that the exceptions are there always, uh, is the lack of leadership on the Twitter files, on the abuse of Trump, uh, on the suppression of tens of millions of Americans who are concerned about elections. And it seems to me Trump has given a roadmap for Congress, a Republican House, to do something about it in the next year. Have, have, have you, did you take a look at that directly? I, What's your general thinking about what should be done on this censorship issue from from your perspective, which tends to be a bit more iconoclastic than other Republicans, I admit, but uh, you, you think carefully about it. Well, I mean, my big disappointment was, it, and I advocated for this very heavily in the last few days 
the Trump administration was that Julian Assange wasn't pardoned and Ross Ulbricht's uh, sentence wasn't commuted and that, uh, you know, that those things didn't happen. I did not see Trump's latest thing. Um, so I can't specifically speak to that. But if you, if you had some other question, I'd answer it. Okay. So I got a well, question. he was essentially calling for banning on government from, uh, you know, communicating, you know, censoring Americans. Amen. Uh, de- Amen. Defunding this disinformation activity that we've been complaining about. It's been exposed, you know, that, that type of restriction on government activity. You know, one thing we've learned is that the government's got to be censored. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. And, and amen. And by, by the way, Tom, hats off to your organization. It, you basically uh, are usually in front of the oversight committee when I was on the oversight committee, because you guys have a path to uh, through the courts to getting those documents through FOIA. And um, they just stonewall us in the House. We have to be able to cut their funding there. That's the only thing that will compel them to come before our committee and to and to give us the documents that we need. Otherwise, you'll get them uh, quicker than we can get them. But we could get them in in three hours if we would tell them with a credible threat of cutting their funding. So that's what we've got. To you, think, you think there's going to be a change in approach in terms of documents for the next Congress? Or I mean, is there going to be two years of or two years of complaining about the documents you're not getting. <laughs> you'll get them before us, Tom, if we're not willing to cut the funding. <laughs> That's so, an auger well. I have a other question. So you know, Twitter, or rather Elon Musk, has provided you with a roadmap on how to engage with, uh, you know, with the Feds, and and there's a there's a huge paper trail, right? So you mentioned that you're going to FOIA all these people, and uh, you know, I mean, obviously you can just talk to the FBI and get those files from their end. Uh, are, do you have any intention of uh, going after companies like uh, you know Meta? and Facebook and, and all these other companies that have, you know, worked with uh, the FBI and the DHS hand in glove more so than Twitter has, or maybe as much, as much as, as it has. Do you think this, uh, all these files help? Well, listen, uh, Ian, it's great to hear your voice. I've seen your face for hey. six years and never heard your <laughs> voice. Uh, but it, it's great to hear from you. Uh, look, the, the uh, oversight committee used to be called OGR oversight, and government reform and the Democrats changed it to OR committee, the oversight and reform committee to imply that we would go after private companies or that they would go after private companies. It'll be interesting to see when we get in the majority, if we change it back to OGR from OR, uh, I am more of, uh, you know, I'm on this side of it. I'm in Congress. Uh, I think we should focus on, stopping the government from compelling private companies from doing things. Um, if we can get to it from our end, instead of trying to uh, compel companies to testify, I'm always uncomfortable when we, you know, we call these CEOs in and, and put them on the map when in fact it's the government that's using the force of the gun to get them to do these things. So, uh, you know, yes, we, but to your specific question, the other companies, yeah, you're right. My gosh. If this is going on at Twitter, it's absolutely going on everywhere else, but it's also being directed from the government to all of those other companies. So I would start with the uh, and we can't do FOIAs in Congress. That's what Tom Fitton does. We we uh, we should have more power. Sadly, if we don't, if we're not willing to cut their funding, but we should. 
and we should go after all of the communications from FBI, DOJ to Meta, Facebook, uh, Google, whatever. Thank you. Thanks. That answers my question. Thank you. Tom? Tom, you've got your hand up? I don't. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, any other questions, uh, Kyle? Oh, yeah, you, you've had your hand up for a while, Kyle. Uh, by the way, just yeah. before you ask your call, uh, Thomas, just really appreciate your time uh, on the space. I know you, you've got limited time. Uh, Kyle, no. the mic is yours. <laughs> so go the ahead. First go. Thing, the, the first go thing ahead, they tell you when you get elected is don't do your own social media, and that's the first rule I ignored. So uh, <laughs> you've, you, 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 I'm glad you ignored it. In, indeed. Me hey, too. Congressman, I, I've got a, a request, uh, something for you guys to consider on the, uh, the Judiciary Committee, and I wish you guys would kind of take it to heart and see if it's something you can do. When you bring people like Chris Ray, Director Chris Ray, or you bring in the Attorney General, they have an, a literal army of people behind them that are willing to go do anything that they ask when it comes to information in real time. And so the answer, you know, I'm not familiar with that situation, which is what is very commonly seen. That's what I see when I watch these hearings. You know, Director Ray will, will weasel out, and I'll use that word very specifically. He, he runs away from answering difficult questions and then answers something on the same topic that someone that's maybe more ideological aligned with him right afterwards. If you can put him to the spot and have him send one of the dozens of minions, they've got a whole group of people standing behind him there that'll go get that information. They can bring it to him in real time, and, uh, and he can wait. You know, he works for us, the people, and I would love to see him put on the spot and, and told to go and gather that information right now. Not we'll send you a letter, not we'll look it up and let you know later, not we'll you know wonder if the if our lawyers will approve us giving it to you. Like right now, because he can do that and he has the ability to do that. And there are dozens of people in the FBI that would jump at the opportunity to bring in the director exactly who wants in that moment. So I'd love to see you guys put him to the fire like that and have him yeah. do his job in real oversight, if that's possible. Oh, that's a great idea. And I've, I've wondered what kind of comebacks I could have to those sort of... Uh, well, it's not our policy to provide that. If you, if you go back and watch when I asked Merrick Garland about how many pe- uh, assets or agents of the federal government were present on January 6th, he says it's not our policy to comment on ongoing investigations. And I said, I'm not talking about a specific investigation. So the, the question is, what do you say when they get to the end of that? I think the next time I'm going to say it, when they say it's our policy not to comment, I'll say it's my policy to introduce articles of impeachment or it's my policy to cut your funding before you get back to the office uh, right? if you don't answer well, and, this question. And, Congressman, with all due respect, too, those policies are developed by who? Because they're developed by the AG and the FBI director. So I have to fly on an FBI jet by policy. That's one decision of his away from no longer being a policy. And it's the same situation about commenting on active investigations. Those policies are they, they are at the pleasure of, of the attorney general and or the FBI director. They're internal policies. Those are not laws or rules that have to be followed. They can change them with the stroke of a pen. So I would encourage them to make better policies for transparency for the American people because I want to see it on all ends. Like, I don't want anybody. I don't want anybody getting uh, getting away with uh, with this kind of you know cover up. Oh, that, that, and that's a great point. Uh, but also the oversight power of Congress is also above all of those policies. And they Correct. and they need to be told that. But when you're in the minority, which we have been for four years, you can't really make that stick. When you're in the majority, if you're if Kevin McCarthy and, and Jim Jordan are willing to make that stick, we can make that stick. Uh, Congressman, I'm, uh, do you have time for two last questions? Absolutely. 
I appreciate it. Harrison Wonderful. and Steve. Steve, Steve, you can have the mic first. Ian, do you have more questions as well? Uh, Congressman, um, first... Not at the moment. So Steve can go first. Uh, Steve, perfect. Uh, thank you. Congressman, firstly, thank you for spending time with us uh, this evening. And secondly, uh, I, I want to commend you for making a statement of support uh, for Julian Assange. That's a, a cause uh, very important to me and many others here. Um, my question is, uh, would what is your thoughts on the revision of Section 230 to drastically curtail uh, big tech platforms' um, power to restrict uh, lawful speech? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, Section 230, and I'm not passing the buck. I'm just telling you this. Section 230, it turns out, is under the uh, oversight or in the jurisdiction of the Energy and Commerce Committee, not the Judiciary Committee. But we, we do have jurisdiction over the Bill of Rights, which includes the, the First Amendment, and also the courts and, and a lot of other things. So we could claim some jurisdiction there. I'm torn on this. I'm still listening. Uh, uh, in the Judiciary Committee, we have the Antitrust Subcommittee. I begged not to be on that. It's complicated mm-hmm. law, and I don't like the notion of government going in and telling private businesses what to do. Uh, so I'm not on the antitrust committee uh, subcommittee, but um, I think Section 230 was intended to protect uh, the the internet companies, the social media companies, if they allowed free speech, not to protect them when they curtail free speech. And so I had a robust debate about this with some people at uh, Matt Kibbe's Christmas party in Washington D.C. a couple days ago. He's the uh, f- former CEO of FreedomWorks, and he's got his own thing, Free the People, but a, a robust group of, of uh, free thinkers there. And so, you know, if you have ideas, let me know. I don't have all the answers. That's actually why I was lurking on your um, space here was to get some more answers. So you tell me what the answer is, Steve. <laughs> I've, I'm not quite sure at this time. I, I mean, uh, fortunately, I mean, hopefully, uh, once you guys retain a majority again, uh, you guys can s- start really moving forward on getting a, uh, kind of a digital free speech bill of rights together <laughs> for us of some sort. Um, you know, uh, one last question, Congressman, why do you think in your opinion, we saw so uh, little results, uh, from the GOP in regards to protecting citizens, free speech, as it relates to big tech, when you guys were in power and in charge of both chambers uh, during the first half of uh, uh, Trump's tenure? Oh, well, (laughs) it's a complicated question and probably not enough time here to give it, but uh, the, the chairman of the committees were, were selected for compliance and, and, and uh, for sympathy with the groups that they were supposed to regulate we have uh, fellows that come over and serve in Congress from FBI, from the military. They serve on the various committees. I, I think that's backwards. I think we should send some fellows over to the executive branch from the, from the legislative branch to help them out. Uh, but, you know, you, you know about this revolving door between K Street and, and the legislative branch. What you may be not as familiar about is this revolving door between the executive branch and the legislative branch and they have their tentacles in and who whoever are the chairman are often selected for compliance 
and uh, for willingness to uh, perpetuate the programs that are already in place in the executive branch. Thomas? A quick question, uh, Congressman Massey. What's your, what's your thinking on the speaker's race? Where, what's your thinking? Who's to be? Who should be speaker? And what do you think will happen with the race? Well, I didn't know the space con- contained that as part of its uh, agenda. Um, <laughs> I, I might not have logged on. Um, let me let me give you all a little well, bit. Of history. You don't. You can you can take the fifth. Well, let me give you all a little bit of history. I was a part of all three coups to take out John Boehner. Uh, the second coup I architected with Jim Bridenstine. We needed 29 votes. We got 24. But uh, uh, Mario Cuomo died in New York, so 10 Democrats went to his funeral, and it meant we needed 34 that day. And, it, and we might have succeeded in 2015, January, if not for Mario Cuomo's funeral. Um, then uh, Mark Meadows and I teamed up. We wrote a ma- motion to vacate, and uh, that was successful. It was it, I was uh, adamant that we introduce it the day before August recess so that it would metastasize over August recess. And, in fact, it did, and it succeeded. And John Boehner left within a, a month of the August recess. Uh, the saddest day I've ever had in Congress, well, by the way, after we got – John Boehner out of the way, it was going to be that Kevin McCarthy was the uh, was going to ascend. And I campaigned against him for a few weeks. And the day he was supposed to be confirmed, he he stepped out of the race because he didn't have the votes. And so the saddest day of my life in Congress and the 10 years that I've spent is when the Freedom Caucus voted for Paul Ryan. All of the work that I put in to trying to disrupt everything, they voted for Paul Ryan. And uh, by the way, they're my best friends on the Freedom Caucus. And a lot of people who are on the Freedom Caucus right now aren't the same people who were there and voted for Paul Ryan. But then when Trump won his election six, eight weeks after Paul Ryan had thrown him under the bus, uh, 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 I don't know how involved Trump was in this, but Mike Pence came to Congress and told us to vote for Paul Ryan, that Trump wanted Paul Ryan to be the speaker while he was the president. I was the only Republican who would not vote for Paul Ryan in in um, twenty. Let's see, that would have been January third, twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen, yeah, yeah. Go back and look at the tapes. Again, very disappointing to me. So at this point, I am not a part. I tell the media this: I'm not a part of any organized or disorganized effort to keep Kevin McCarthy from becoming speaker because a lot of the people involved in those that effort. Now, I know a lot of them are earnest, but a lot of them uh, are cutting deals, trying to get better positions on committees, whatever. Not all of them. There are some who are very earnestly intend to get a different speaker. But what I've decided is the biggest mistake people make when they come to Congress is giving their voting card to the speaker. So if you plan to give your voting card to the speaker, that vote on January 3rd is going to be very important. For me, it's not as important. We've got a slim majority, and nobody owns my voting card other than the 750,000 people I represent in Kentucky. So for me, it's not as big of a deal. I do uh, applaud the efforts of those who are pushing back to get rule changes. We do need rule changes to disperse the power in the House. Uh, 
so that's that's my take on it. Maybe we're hoping for a more clear answer. We'll go to Harrison for the final question, and then I've got one uh, last comment for you, uh, Congressman. But Harrison, I know you've had your hand up for a while. Hey, Thomas. It's good to finally talk to you over spaces. Here's my question. So it always seems like we see members of Congress get up on camera, yell at CEOs or intelligence agency officials. <laughs> Realistically, what's the best case scenario and what are the punitive damages that you would like to see done against these groups that have harmed the American people? Mm. Well, um, okay, there's something I'm circulating in Congress right now, and it's catching on. It's called the Massey Plan. Uh, and, but let me motivate that before I go into it. The, the only real leverage we have in a split government is that the House of Representatives is constitutionally originates the spending bills. And so we have to, the, the only uh, cudgel we have is to cut their spending. And um, the problem is when you do a giant omnibus, you can't, you can't get 218 people who have the spine to stare down a shutdown. And so what I've proposed is to take shutdown off the table, that on the first day that we get uh, the majority, or maybe the second day, let's let all the speaker uh, drama unfold, and whoever becomes speaker, let's say on January 4th, we pass a continuing resolution that funds the government at 95%. Okay, I hate continuing resolutions. I've never voted for one that's become law. and But that continuing resolution wouldn't kick in until October 1st. So now we have nine months to pass 12 separate bills. And this is where our, our power is, Harrison. We pass 12 separate bills. We fund the roads. We pay the soldiers. We open the national parks. We pay for NASA. And then on September 30th, my weaker colleagues are won't be in a position where they either have to vote for a shutdown or vote for a, a big crap sandwich we call the omnibus. They'll be in a position where we funded, we've got a backstop that funds everything at 95%. So on October 1st, CNN, they would have to put a countdown clock that says 24 hours until the government is funded or until the IRS is funded at 95%. I think my weaker colleagues can weather that storm. And by the way, that, so I know this is all inside baseball, and I hate that like it's so technical, but that's the battle we have. we got to get to the funding. The only way you do the funding is through separate bills, and the only way you can do separate bills is to put this backstop in so that the Republicans don't get blamed for a shutdown. So, Congressman, I want to end it with a very a broad question, a question I always ask a lot of our panelists. You know, the country is, is extremely polarized and, and it doesn't seem to be improving. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Is that and as openly as possible? Is that even solvable or is that just human nature, cognitive bias at its worst? Or is there something systematic that's causing this that we could improve on over the next decade or so? Mm, well, I could I let me first confirm what you've said. It is it has gotten more polarized in Congress. I do believe I've been there 10 years. It's getting harder for me to work across the aisle. For instance, the Democrats refuse to uh, co-sponsor any bills of any of the 140 or 50 that voted not to certify the elections. They just like outright refuse to do it. And all the uh, PAC organizations refused to fund any Republicans who had voted for that. So it, 
it has become more polarized. Let me let me tell you, like globally, the big picture for me. I think there are, there are three scenarios. Let's just say they're all equally likely. The outcomes. One is that the most positive outcome is we somehow are able to turn this around in Congress. We we get our crap together and we uh, we we start tackling the national debt and we start. Uh, doing everything that needs to be done to keep our country solvent. That I give that, uh, let's just randomly assign a one-third probability to that. The other one-third probability is that uh, we everything goes to hell in a handbasket. All this money we printed catches up with us. It collapses quicker than the Fed can raise or lower interest rates on any given month and, and um, the people rioting in the streets. And then I actually prefer that second scenario. Let's give that a one-third probability. I actually prefer that to the third scenario. The third scenario is we slowly, slowly over time devolve into like this socialist communist scenario where because we devolve so slowly, nobody can remember the way it could have been. And we just, we, we all live with a lower standard of living. And um, we go into the like the idiocracy, <laughs> if you've seen the movie. And I'm I'm terrified of the third outcome. I prefer the second outcome, which is collapse, where then we can do something about it. To the third outcome, and and I'm working for the first outcome, where we try to fix it. Congressman, really appreciate your time. Um, I the team should have sent you my number via DM, so you're welcome to message me anytime you want to come into come into the space. And if there's ever a space where I think it would be good for you to jump in, I'll just send you a message. Otherwise, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mario, for letting me um, interrupt your your space. I will uh, I will also follow Tara so that she can DM me. My DMs will not be open. I will uh, try to follow all of you who are on there. I think I do follow most of you now. Uh, and, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. I'm just here to listen. And if you see me, on this, uh, in, in one of these spaces, don't feel compelled to let me speak. Just let me listen. Thank you very much. And, and please, uh, please, uh, Congressman, please come on my national show because I'd like you to back up what you said about Devin. Okay. Yeah. Sure. We'll just go, Sebastian, just go to C-SPAN and watch our debates over the last 10 years. No, 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 and no, I'm sure no, no. I, I, I need you to do it in front of 3 million people, but I'll reach out to your comms. I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's done some very good things there. Well, I, I just texted him and he said he he always got on with you. He doesn't understand why you just trashed him in front ask, of fourteen thousand people. No, so ask him. Ask him if he ever called uh, Justin Amash Al Qaeda's best friend for simply trying to reform the FISA program. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure that's a reason to to trash him as as a member of the deep state. But we'll we'll continue this another time. Well, he's rubber stamped all of it. Thank you very much. Mario, Thank are you, you getting ready to end this space, or are you Thank planning you on time. keeping it going? No, I'm enjoying this. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I, 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 for, for the re- for the record, can I just say, for the record, as somebody who DM'd me, who's on this call right now, uh, we would know nothing, nothing about the Russian collusion hoax and the illegal unmasking if it weren't for Devin Nunes. So Massey is way out of line, and we'll see if he can back it up on my show. But for the record, that was way out of line. 
and it would be great to get Mr. Nunes on this space if you're if you're able to get him, Sebastian. I'm happy for, to text him discussion. now. I'll text. I'll text him now. Actually, it would be perfect wonderful. if he jumps in now. Thomas, if, if Mr. <laughs> actually, Thomas, would you, would you, Congressman, would you agree if Nunes is able to come onto the space, would you agree to have a discussion here on the space or is that putting you on the spot too much? No, I think I would. I'd like to know why he called my friend Justin Amash, Al-Qaeda's best friend. Oh, well, I think this is, will make for a great discussion. Uh, Sebastian, okay. if you could get we him, that would be great. Could, I, would, I would also, uh, if I could, I would like to invite Justin Amash on the space. Absolutely. Be great. Please do. Uh, please yeah. do. So the way you could invite him, what's his uh, – uh, Ian, do you want to invite him send him an invite to the handle? Uh, I, I can see. I've got, his, I've got his cell number. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. So, so now we – Yeah, yeah. we got to get him up here first. Yeah, we yeah. might no, as well invite Donald in. Trump too while we're at it. <laughs> what's, uh, <laughs> um, Ian, what's the handle, Ian? Do you want to read it out to me and I'll send an invite via DM? Uh, I think Tara might, might I, have it. I can uh, send him an invite as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, can, you can do it. Perfect. Uh, con- Congressman Massey, if it's if it's okay if I can ask you a question. We've actually, uh, we've met several times. Uh, we've worked with... Nick, you've cut out, I think. Yes, he has. Uh, oh, yeah, Nick, your mic. I think you got a call or something. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, so uh, we, we, we've worked with each other several times, so... Um, uh, it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you on here as well. Um, I, I joined a little late, so I, I may have missed this, but do you believe that Congress is is going to take any action on cryptocurrencies? Because I, I know that that's been floated for a while. We know that the Fed hates cryptocurrencies. I mean, is there any sort of uh, – do you feel like there's actually going to be a push for that? Um, I would like to invite my other congressional friend Warren Davidson on here to discuss yes, cryptocurrency. By all means, uh, Thomas, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get us to do a record space again, beating Elon's uh, spaces. <laughs> <at home. laughs> that would be a great discussion. But by, by the way, I'm talking Someone to you, Starlink. <laughs> I'm on you're, Starlink. You're talking. You're, uh, you're talking to who? Sorry, Thomas. I'm using Starlink. Oh, okay, <laughs> there you go. Uh, Sebastian, how'd you go uh, with Nunes? I'm texting him right now. I'm texting him right now. The only issue I see is the uh, as the CEO of uh, Truth Social, he might have issues coming on a Twitter space. But if somebody, oh shit, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to send I him forgot. the link. But uh, there may be an issue there. <laughs> That'd be interesting. I think that's the same reason be, why be, we haven't. Why Donald Trump hasn't come back to Twitter? Is that is that correct, Seb? Can you comment on that? Uh, all, all I've heard is that, um, and I cannot confirm this, that some of the funders for uh, the the uh, Trump Media Group may have stipulated some kind of non compete for a few months. So the idea that you know he builds a whole new competitor to Twitter means he can't just jump back on Twitter if if his 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 account is unlocked. I, I recommended. Uh, on my show, that he should just allow his staff to use his Twitter account to uh, obviate the non-compete. We'll we'll see if that happens. Mm. And Sebastian, but, if you I, could tell Mr. Nunes, like the the benefit of jumping on is he can talk about Truth Social to to tens or hundreds yeah, of thousands yeah, of people that are yeah, listening yeah, to this. Just, just, just send me. And I want to be clear. Link, text text me the link, and I'll send it right to him. And I would like to be clear. I take I cre- take great pains in not attacking the character or the motivations of any member of Congress, you can't even go find me uh, denigrating AOC. Uh, 
I just don't do it with the exception. Well, well you pretty, you pretty much you, you threw him under the bus right now. I mean, you just basically said he's a rubber stamp for the IC. That's denigrating somebody who's former chairman of the, of the intelligence committee. That it doesn't get much worse than that. I'm sorry, Thomas. Yep. Well, how many how many of the programs got defunded while he was the chairman? Yeah, I, I don't want to get in a pissing contest with you. We wouldn't know I'm not, anything about I'm not Russia, pissing Russian with collusion. you. No, no, we nope. wouldn't know anything about Russian collusion or unmasking if it wasn't for him coming over to the White House when we were there, coming into <coughs> ask if and finding out what the Obama administration did. I am sorry, that is not hyperbole. We would know nothing without Devin Nunes and Cash Patel. That's just a statement of fact. I'm very thankful to him for that. So, by the way, Sebastian, I'm going to send uh, a Devin now uh, an invite. So if he checks his DMs, he'll see a DM from me with an invite. He, do, he, doesn't, use, he doesn't use his Twitter account. I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm texting him. I'm texting him on if his he, if he makes, Yeah, if he makes an exception, that would be pretty historical. And we'll make sure it's um, there's a return, for uh, an ROI for his time here. I think he can see the ROI. Um, okay, I've just sent him through the invite now. Perfect, it's gone through. Kyle, what are your thoughts? Uh, Kyle and Tom, what are your thoughts on the discussion so far? You know, um, first of all, a lot of folks probably don't understand the complicated nature of the way the House operates and the insight on the leadership fight and the Speaker of the House uh, that uh, Congressman Massey gave us. Uh, the... Uh, and so, you know, there's internal politics in the Republican Party that, uh, you know, are, are easily characterized, characterized or, or, you know, or belittled, you know, by both, you know, conservatives and liberals. And it's and, you know, it's always more complicated. And um, in terms of the way the congressional committees operate, and I'm sure Massey would agree with me on this, uh, Congressman. It's their their chief role is to raise money for the members on the on the committee. Now, to the degree there's oversight, it's incidental and accidental. I mean, some of the more you know, some of the committees like armed services and such, obviously, you know, they've got significant responsibilities in terms of oversight and sometimes perform them admirably. But typically, they're you know, members are there to raise money on the committees. And the committees are a vehicle for raising money for members of both parties. And so those members that reject that uh, are almost always at a disadvantage vis-a-vis -vis leadership and um, are punished as a result. Now, my view on uh, Nunes is that he was not the typical leadership chairman. Uh, he was uh, independent-minded. Uh, you know, the debate about which um, authorities should be approved you know, it was something I think that people of good good faith can differ on. Uh, but there can be no doubt that it was to his professional detriment and over the objections of the leadership of the House uh, that Nunes helped expose uh, the corruption, uh, the worst government corruption scandal in American history, uh, the illicit targeting and abuse of President Trump. And uh, so, uh, you know, whether you support Section 702 or whatever, or, or the FISA warrant process, uh, you know, to me, it's kind of a different matter, you know, that becomes a policy debate as opposed to this core issue about how a republic is going to function. And Nunes was on the right side of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the reasons he's in the private sector 
is because he was in the right side of it. So that's that's my thinking about that debate. And, you know, and also, you know, I talked a little bit about Trump's agenda for uh, reforming free speech. And one says, well, you know, Congress isn't going to do anything. Well, they're certainly not going to do anything if they don't hear from people. So I would suggest that you don't have to support Trump. And I don't I don't say this because I support or oppose his candidacy. But look to see what he said about reform, what he wants to do when he comes into office. See if you agree with that and call your members of the House, 202-224-3121, same number for the Senate, and ask them, why, why aren't you doing anything on this? And secondly, I would also, this is kind of a conclusion here, you know, Elon Musk, is like, his life is on the line. The Biden administration has specifically targeted him. They said his speech is, quote, dangerous. He's been criticized for criticizing a government official. The Federal Trade Commission has targeted his company with harassment. Uh, And he's getting zero support from Congress. And I understand why one side of Congress isn't doing it. The lack of Republican support is unbelievable. And my view is, if you support what Elon Musk is doing, and I don't agree with all of his policies, and that's not the issue. The issue is, can someone like him take on and expose government and corporate corruption without being retaliated against in illegal and illicit ways by the government, the media, and his competitors? And what's going to be done to protect him from that retaliation? And if people are concerned about what's happening in Elon Musk... They should be, A, telling their friends and family about what's going on, B, telling their members of Congress what they expect them to do in terms of protecting him and making it an issue. Because if it's not an issue for the voters and people who are calling the offices, uh, otherwise the members are going to avoid the issue as best as they're able for the reasons I discussed earlier. Thanks. uh, Congressman, you are a... um a member of the, correct me if I'm wrong, the subcommittee on intellectual property and the internet. Uh, is there anything that you believe that you guys would be able to do now that you are going to gain the majority uh, to protect people like Elon? Um, I don't know how we would do that within that committee. Uh, but if you have suggestions, I'm all ears. By the way, Congressman, I've invited... Uh... Uh, Congressman Amash. So, uh, did he reply to you? Oh, I'm sorry. I I'll text him right now. I didn't. I okay. Text. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, I've just sent him an invite, <laughs> and I know that that Sebastian is messaging uh, Devin, who I've sent an invite to as well. So we'll see if they're free to jump in. That'll be uh, that'll be pretty good. So I, w- I want I want to ask you more questions just to give you more time to 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 message uh, Justin. Um, Kyle, what are your thoughts on the discussion so far? And I know you've given us a lot of insights on the Twitter files. So while Sebastian is inviting Devin and uh, and Thomas is inviting uh, Congressman Justin, I would love to get your thoughts on the discussion so far. Sure. Um, you know, I follow politics because I lived in D.C. for five years and you don't really have a choice not to. Um, that's the topic of conversations. That's what everybody is about. Um, but I'm an inherently, I'd say, non-political person. I, I'm kind of a libertarian at heart. I believe in everybody's you know, freedoms, and I would defend people that I don't agree with. I would defend their ability to say it and talk about it, and I would love to discuss it. And I've had my mind changed on occasion, and I uh, oftentimes do not because I, I tend to have pretty good reasons for my, my beliefs. But um, you know, I'm not a Republican, and, and I'm not a Democrat. And so 
the idea that uh, that people have kind of gotten behind the intelligence community and said that it is you know supposed to be a weapon for one side or another is really atrocious. That's really the danger that I see. Um, it's it's something that that concerns me very deeply because these these are incredibly powerful tools, and they should be the tools that ensure freedom and the ability to speak and the ability to have all the civil liberties that we have that are guaranteed by our Bill of Rights but are granted by God and and not by our government. You know, they, they pre-exist government according to the way the founders wrote it. So those kind of things are really important to me. And, you know, I, I've, I've found myself siding oftentimes with the ACLU when, when they want to side and say, you know, should Nazis have free speech? Yes, they should. Um, and then we should talk right over them and let them know how foolish they are and that their ideas are ridiculous. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's we've we've moved into a political sphere, and we're we're talking about some things that I think so often we do, and it's a, a kind of a tit for tat back and forth between you know people who have um, generally. When I was growing up, we all kind of agreed on the same eighty percent, which was that we had the same enemy. It was a Cold War time. We all kind of knew what the troubles were, and the political positions were the arguments about the best way to fix it. They were policy decisions. Now they're moral issues. And it's whether or not you're a good or a bad person. And that's how you, I, I think you end up with the death threats that we see to, to people like Elon Musk, because he's, he's picked a side that really should be an American side, which is that everybody has a chance to speak, that everybody has the ability to stand up and, and have a position and defend it on its merits. And if it doesn't win out in the marketplace of ideas, then it, you know, it's roundly defeated. I think I'm, that's okay too. But, um, you know, I'm a hundred percent behind this thing. I, I wasn't ever on social media. I'm really private. I didn't, you're not going to go out there and be able to find some tweets of mine from 10 years ago or anything to that effect. And I didn't have a Facebook or, you know, I remember having a MySpace. That was kind of fun, but we're kind of in this world where, where everybody's going to take this political position. I, I'd love to get back to just being Americans on the same team. Uh, maybe that's really naive. Um, but at 40 years old, that's my dream for my children to enter that world. And who knows if it's possible, but you know, if, if people like Elon Musk are being threatened, I know a handful of uh, FBI agents that are out of work right now that have some pretty capable skill sets and background in military and law enforcement. And he could certainly snap us up as security guys. I, I don't think I would let anybody jump on the, the hood of his child. So, you know, open offer out there if, if, he, if he ends up listening. But but moreover, it just I just want to support that American position, which used to be right down the middle. Um, it's it's kind of sad where we are. I was going to ask one more question. I was just messaging um, a, a few. We, we might have a surprise panelist jumping in, so uh, I'll be uh, let, I'll be behind Mario. the scenes. But, but Ian, Mar yeah, go ahead, uh, Congressman. Uh, yeah, uh, Justin Amash is at dinner with his family, so he cannot join us. <laughs> uh, okay, it's it a good one. So, how about this, uh, Congressman? If you're open for it, when uh, Congressman Amash is able to join, we'd love to have you both on stage. Um, get a special episode for you guys. Um, and we just bring other panelists to ask you questions um, and uh, get it well organized in advance. Is that something nope. you're open for? No, oh, absolutely. And, and uh, uh, he said if this goes on for a while, he might be able to get on later. But he's at dinner with his parents. How long, how long does he? How, how long does he need? How long does he need? Because oh, a lot I, of people, people are people are going crazy in the comments and DMs that they're loving <laughs> this discussion. So well, if we can get. Let's do another one and let's give let's give uh, Devin Nunes. I did not mean to malign him at all or to downplay his contribution uh, to uncovering the Russian, you know, the fake Russian collusion delusion. Uh, I just I I mean, I think it is worth noting that he was the chairman and that he reauthorized all the programs that were used for that. And 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 to some degree, you could say that I'm part of the problem, right? Either I've been here 10 years. I'm either uh, part of the problem or I've failed to fix it. 
So I'm open to the same criticism. Well, there's a lack of seriousness when, when you're in front of 14,000 people and you're saying, oh, I, I don't remember. Was it him in the skiff or was it somebody else? I mean, when you're making accusations of that level, it's kind of like uh, I, either you've got the receipts or you don't have the receipts. Hey, with all due respect, Sebastian, you've been making acquisitions towards the FBI based on... Acquisitions? Do you mean night. accusations? Accusations. acquisitions? Sorry, I misspoke. Uh, Thomas, um, so I've just messaged the team. Um, we've sent you my details, Thomas, to, to Congressman, to get that uh, space organized. Yeah, we'd um, love to have you on. Great. And, fantastic. And, and uh, I agree. I agree. And Sebastian, uh, if Nunes is able to come on, do a one-off space, He's... one-off appearance, it would be... Uh, what, what right, he, said, he, said, he said the following to me. Hang on. Um, all right. He said, I'm not going back on Twitter but Amash I found to be a very dishonest person. Uh, I've sent him in response the link in case his team wants to jump on. So that's where we are right now as, you know, as the head of Truth Social. I, I kind of understand that. Okay, does, does Truth Social have an audio, like rooms like this, like spaces? No, no not yet. No, not yet. Not yet. Okay. No, okay. it's kind oh, okay. of it seems... bare bones. Oh, okay, okay. Cool. Well, well, Sebastian, I appreciate you for trying. Congressman, you've given us a lot of your time. Really grateful. Um, the team sent you my details so we can communicate uh, either on, on WhatsApp, Telegram, email, or Twitter, whatever you prefer. And we can get that space organized. Otherwise, again, really appreciate giving us yeah. all this time. I appreciate you all for letting me speak. I just came on here to lurk. Thanks, Thomas. Appreciate you, Congressman. Have a wonderful day. Ian, man, that was, a, that was an incredible discussion. Tom, Ian, what do you guys Absolutely. think? I mean, can I can I say something really quick? Yeah, yeah, Lee, yeah of course, Tara, of course, yeah. always. I, know I don't get called on, so I kind of have to just butt in when I want to. But I wanted to mention <laughs> okay. Eliza Blue, who came up. Uh, she was removed and dropped back down. But I just want to say a huge shout out to you, Eliza, for all the work you've done, which has been more work than it looks like the FBI has done in stopping. The child sexual exploitation that's been running rampant on Twitter. So hats off to you, Eliza. Round of applause to you, Eliza. Yeah, I've, I've, I've invited. So by the way, Tara, I invited Eliza as soon as I saw her for the one reason to discuss with Kyle the concerns because I know she was yeah. very vocal about this issue. Conversation. Yes, yeah. So, that so, needs to so, yeah. So Eliza, the reason I sent you that invite initially um, before you dropped out is um, I don't know if you saw that Kyle jumped in earlier. Um, who was talking about, you know, we were asking him a lot of questions, especially Tara, about where the FBI's resources were being allocated. And, and before I give the mic to Eliza, Kyle, maybe if she hasn't heard it already, and just for the audience, what was your answer to that, to that point regarding how much, uh, how many resources are being allocated to, um, child exploitation? Cause you made a few, few interesting points that will be worth, uh, discussing. Well, so the FBI has a, a project that's called Innocent Images, and there's an analytical component to it. Um, there is a uh, an entire unit that's out of Lithicum, Maryland, that, that exclusively focuses on uh, violent crimes against children, which is mostly child pornography, um, and you know does deep and dark web exploitation and things like that. And I don't want to get too deep into what they do, but th there are certainly resources within the Bureau. But when it comes to the actual case agent side, generally speaking, um, you know, I've never seen more than one on any given field office. So you've got maybe 56 field offices. So a squad, uh, and then one-off cases that are, that are thrown out to the different resident agencies, which are the satellite, um, offices outside of each of the main field offices. So there's a, you know, there's a contingent of people. I mean, it's a staple of FBI work. There's no question about that. And it's getting done. Um, 
But my point would be is that if we assigned every single FBI agent to doing that, including the people that are at headquarters doing management type stuff, there would still be more work to do. Um, and, and I don't think we would ever run out of it because the, the depth of evil that exists in this world is, is um, it, it's quite profound. And so, you know, we could spend every waking hour and the FBI. Is it glitching for me, Tara, or is it for Kyle? It's glitching. Yeah, Kyle, it's, you're back now. You're back now. Eliza, did you hear? I know it glitched at the end. Did you hear the answer? Yeah, I did hear the answer, and Kyle's completely correct. And I did want to speak about. Thank you so much for having me on, by the way. And hello, everybody. My name's Eliza. I'm a survivor. Hey, Eliza. I, I just want to apologize to you. The other day, I, I kind of flipped out at you. That was really unbecoming. It's okay, Ian. <laughs> I think we squashed it enough, <laughs> and I appreciate you apologizing. Uh, so, um, yeah, my name is Eliza. I'm a survivor advocate for those affected by human trafficking, and I'm also a survivor of human trafficking. And um, Kyle is completely correct with what he just said about the FBI not being able to tackle this issue at scale. It's beyond the pale, the numbers. I also want to speak about something else that Kyle said earlier. You know, the protection of Elon Musk right now, we really need to think back and think about what's happening to Julian Assange. We do not want to see a Julian Assange 2.0 happen to Elon Musk. Um, he deserves our protection for uh, what he is willing to fight for right now, which is, uh, just as we were speaking about earlier, our, our inalienable human rights to uh, have this information to speak freely. Um, when it comes to the information that was exposed today uh, through the Twitter files, I cannot say that I'm surprised. I'm personally no fan of the FBI that knowingly knew about Jeffrey Epstein for 11 years and did nothing that's currently being sued by the, survivor, by the survivors of Larry Nassar. This is the FBI. This is the FBI that innocent American citizens are forced under a threat of violence to fund. While yet, while they are uh, pushing to censor words of innocent American citizens, the words, the thoughts, the ideas, the, the non-illegal words of innocent American citizens, they are letting child sexual abuse and exploitation material flourish on an American tech platform like Twitter. So I'm really not very happy, as you can see. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's really difficult for me because I see time and time again American, innocent American citizens being forced to fund this nonsense and this depravity, you know? So if, if there's any FBI agents in the room that have their heart in the right place, thank you. But please be a hero, quit your job and become a whistleblower. We need you. The American people need you and the survivors sexually exploited on Twitter need you. They need you to do the right thing and speak up. And that's honestly about all I have to say. I've really been enjoying listening to the conversation tonight. And um, I know there's a lot of people in here that have supported me, especially as the hit pieces have been rolling in. I appreciate you. I love you. And I think with that, I'll probably just chill and listen, unless you folks have a question for me. How, how did the discussion with Elon go? Can you give us like a two-minute summary? Which, which discussion? Well, wasn't there a Twitter Spaces with you guys a few days ago about child exploitation? Sure. It was great. It was an honor and a and a privilege because he had well first we had the head of working on child safety ella Irwin, speaking in an extremely transparent way i think one thing that's really important about that conversation is that there were no questions pre-scripted and i asked ahead of time if there was anything that was off limits and there was nothing that was off limits 
Um, so that went really well with Ella Irwin. So kudos to her. She did an amazing job. I was so impressed. And then, of course, with Elon, um, once again, just solidifying his commitment to making the removal of child sexual exploitation the number one priority. And, and I think what's amazing about this experience for me is that the proof has been in the pudding. Uh, Twitter Safety has put out what they've been working on and uh, the improvements made there. And then uh, Andrea Strappa as well also spoke about the improvements that have been made under uh, Twitter 2.0. So I think it went really well. Um, I'm loving uh, Elon Musk's leadership, especially around this area, because I've been screaming about this issue for years and getting nowhere. Uh, uh, Eliza, uh, thank you for what you do, by the way. Um, I, I'm just curious, what do you think that the issue was before? Why were they so, um, uh, why were you stonewalled, you know, uh, people like you? Uh, I, I mean, it seems like based on what we know now, they did absolutely nothing. They, they they put up a wall and ignored all of the um, uh, CSE that was on the platform. Yeah, that's not factual. Um, so Twitter did, by law, have to remove some child sexual abuse material and child sexual exploitation material, and their numbers do speak to that. So that's why I always say at scale when I'm speaking about this issue, because I did, in fact, remove some child sexual abuse material. Um, you know, so that's, they just couldn't, they they refused to remove it at scale. As far as why I was stonewalled or other folks like myself out here fighting this specific issue, um, this is a multifaceted, nuanced uh, answer. I mean, you could see what they were focused on. They were focused on the censorship of words, thoughts, and ideas. Where Twitter really messed up is that they did a cost-benefit analysis, and I can say this with confidence without even knowing for it fully for a fact, Twitter did a cost-benefit analysis on the lives of minor survivors and decided that survivors would not band together and sue. They knew that survivors, these minor survivors from around the globe, would not try to receive justice. And they just thought, you know, that they could skirt by. And, you know, after the John Doe 1 and John Doe 2 case, you would have thought, a smart person would have thought that a sense of urgency and making this a priority would have been something that a platform would have done. done. But instead, um, they just didn't make the changes that they needed to. So um, they could have innovated around this issue at any time. And truthfully, what they really did was put innocent citizens' digital privacy rights on the chopping block and on the line um, by not by refusing to address this issue at scale. They left it open for uh, governments and nefarious entities, but specifically more or less governments from around the globe to step in and violate innocent citizens' digital privacy rights like the Patriot Act 2.0 is kind of what we what we were looking at and what we currently are looking at if the United if the uh, EU and specifically right now Australia gets their way. So it it's no joke. This is high stakes game um and I wasn't down to play play it. Uh I kept fighting for these minor survivors even when it, I, it felt like there was no hope and uh I'm really grateful. I'm really really grateful that I never stopped. Kyle, I wanted to go to you, Kyle. Your thoughts on Eliza's concern and why you think not enough was done. I know you talked about the FBI's limited resources, but I think Eliza had some critical points to make about you know, the real – like how much did the FBI really care about this problem? And then your thoughts about Twitter's lack of care uh, on some, such a serious matter. Did you have any thoughts on this, Kyle? Kyle, you're muted. Uh, I'll DM Kyle. Tom? 
Uh, Eliza, Tom Fitton over at Judicial Watch. Uh, I can't say I followed the issue as closely as I probably should have because uh, it's just too unpleasant. And I think that's the challenge you have, as you know more than any of us do. Uh, I want to highlight what the point you made about protecting Elon Musk. If the left gets his way, um, in the least, he will be jailed. You have federal officials leaking to the Washington Post or New York Times the other day saying that his free speech reforms will cause violence. And we know what the left's analysis of that is. You must be prosecuted if you say something that causes violence, meaning make political statements that they don't like. Uh, so these these are not idle issues here. These are real threats. And obviously, we're seeing something much more dire with the attack on his family uh, this week that the left is uh, is pretending is not important Um as they, uh, the left media is pretending is not important as they further and participate in it. Uh, but the other issue is, uh, with respect to your issue, it's kind of more of the same, is that we've had this, rem- it, shows, it shows you the depravity of the big media, that we've had the head of a major corporation admit that the corporation prioritized, as you highlight, censorship to the detriment of protecting minors from sexual exploitation. And, you know, typically that would be an astonishing moment or move. But, of course, you know, he's made other admissions as the head of the corporation with respect to election interference and things like that, and the media is ignored. But it shows you how politicized things are that even when he confirms that kids were abused as a result of the prior misconduct of Twitter management, a major corporation, uh, the media refuses to cover it because – they're more interested in suppressing our speech and making it harder for Americans to exercise their free speech rights. It's And if kids get in the way, so be it. What a nightmare we're in. These are the same, these are the same depraved individuals that will cheer on blood-soaked war criminals. Children mean nothing to them. So what are we really talking about here? We've seen time and time again that their human life is of no consequence to them and children's lives are of no consequence to them. So would it come as a surprise that the corporate media is willing to, to sweep minor sexually abused victims under the rug? It doesn't come as a surprise to me, but I've known the game. I've seen the game. I've seen it play out a million times. And to make it 10 times worse, they decide, the corporate press decided to attack me as a survivor uh, for serving Elon in this way to the best of my ability. You know, I mean, it's really, really sick. And it's really depraved. And I think it speaks volumes. I truly do. It was one thing for them to ignore the issue while I was screaming out here for so long. You know, it was one thing. But now for them to flip it and act like nothing's happening, like nothing's changing is really, really sick. You know, but I I expected all this. So I've been prepared for it. And you know what? We do need to. I, I think you're right. We need to support Elon Musk in this moment. I We can't see another Julian Assange in our lifetime. Julian Assange should be free. And uh, all he wanted was to, uh, he wanted to publish things that, uh, that the world, you know, that the ruling class might not have wanted us to see, but we deserve to see. We fund the United States government. We fund these governments as innocent citizens of the world. You know what I mean? They work for us. So that's, that's where I think things get twisted. And I, I refuse to let 
uh, Elon Musk go down in, in a burning flames over wanting to give innocent citizens free speech. Sick. Can I just, just a Got unmute. Hello, can I just one one quick, yeah, yeah. you know, fact fact check here. There is one massive difference between Julian Assange and uh, Elon Musk. Okay, can, can we just remember what Elon Musk's philosophy was for WikiLeaks? His philosophy is there should be nothing classified ever. That's insanity. And if you want to ask a professional like Kyle Serafin whether that's a good idea. We shouldn't confuse these two people. Elon Musk have never said that. Okay, the idea that we fund the FBI and the CIA doesn't mean there should be no classified documents in the world. And that's what he built WikiLeaks on. Complete leaking of everything. That way lies insanity. As somebody who worked in the administration, we do overclassify, I'll give you that. But he built his whole philosophy on no classification. And that is, ask Kyle if that's a good idea. I actually agree with Sebastian uh, on this one. Well, I didn't say anything it's, it's about not, I didn't say anything about th about issues being declassified. In fact, I specifically asked WikiLeaks and I specifically asked uh, Twitter 2.0 to uh, retract anything that would uh, put minor survivors or survivors of human trafficking at risk. I've done this multiple times with both WikiLeaks and with Twitter 2.0. So it's not like I'm. Yes, you have. Yeah. It's not like I'm saying. No, no, but, but, you, but, but, but Julian you know Assange every, has, every, has a philosophy. Uh, every journalist worth their salt has come out and stood up for Julian Assange. So this is not, this is non negotiable. Everybody knows what's happening to Julian Assange. Look, I, I'm, not, I'm not a journalist. I, I, I... Any journalist, journalist, any journalist or any citizen that believes in a free press and free speech and whistleblower protection and anything of that nature has come out and spoke out about Julian well, Assange. Well, I, I, so I, I don't care. I don't care. And I, and I don't count myself with those people. The idea that you build a platform that there should be nothing classified and everything should be leaked is anarchy. Anarchy. Well, I will don't say do, that, uh, if you don't do the crime, then you don't then you don't need to have it be exposed. What, I, what are you talking to... about? So the nuclear launch codes for America should be unclassified. What are you talking about? I fund these people. As far as I'm concerned, nothing should be a secret to me. That's how I feel. I fund these. Well, people. well, then, well, then there's no, then there's nothing safe. Then, then the Russians can can corrupt us, and the because Chinese still can corrupt have... us. Foreign countries yeah. would still have secrets, yeah. and America wouldn't. That's and the we issue with WikiLeaks. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, I know you had your hand up, and I, I was trying to get the mic earlier. Yeah, perfect that timing. Said that I, I wanted to chat about if it's possible, and Eliza, I, I'll kind of do it in order. Um, just real quickly, you mentioned that um, you know you have a lot of animosity right now, or a lot of distaste for what the FBI has done, and I think that's totally reasonable. There's a dangerous culture and a really a nasty culture within the FBI of uh, of sexual impropriety, and I don't know if that's what leads to to the sort of negative ability to handle child pornography cases and the and the small push i've got uh steve friend who's sitting over in my in my text messages right now and his statement was that violent crimes against children vcac as we call it is unpleasant work so the fbi doesn't force it um it's much easier to have people go after gangs you can make people go after drugs you can go after fake terrorism cases but even the public doesn't really want to know that child pornography and these types of things exist and so as an FBI agent, it's very easy for you to uh, to pop out, pop, pop smoke, and eject yourself from the VCAC program and that kind of investigation. Pretty much at any moment, you can self self identify and quit, but you can't do that for January sixth. So that's a real serious priority problem. 
And as I said, I have this strong feeling because I know of a number, like a significant number of executive management people, this is the senior executive service, involved in strong sexual impropriety. I'm not talking about children. I'm just talking about that they are compromised when it comes to their sexual decisions about the people they work with. And that is incredibly dangerous. That is a group of people that are willing to be morally compromised when they have sworn to not do that. And so their ability to look over uh, child pornography as a significant problem or make it the primary focus of the FBI, which we could do, you know, it's in it's within their purview and they choose not to do it. So I think that your 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 frustration well, with them is very well placed. I, I do want to say something for the record. So even though I have my own thoughts and feelings on the FBI and the United States government, uh, I do abide by the law with everything that I do as far as my advocacy. So I think sometimes that could get a little confusing for folks. I like to clear that up um, because the FBI is what we have. I do things the right way. I do things above board legally, lawfully. I do everything the right way. But as a private citizen, I like to speak my mind. You know, um, I, I, I understand why folks don't want to look at this issue. I understand why uh, individuals who work for the FBI would want to look at this issue. That lets abusers continue to get away with these issues. We can no longer as a society continue to look away. That's one of the reasons why I've been so uh, happy with the Elon Musk leadership. He saw the problem. He was told about the problem and he decided not to look away. And I think that speaks volumes. Yes. Yeah. Hey, totally Eliza, uh, I just want to say, like, thank you for doing what you do. You do the hard work, the work that most of us, right? I And I'm even speaking for myself here, right? Uh, most of us don't want to do it because it's painful, right? It's It's hard to do what you do. So thank you. Honestly, truly, thank you. You don't have to thank me. I, I love these survivors so much. And if somebody hadn't done it for me, you know, I did a space the other night with the survivors, with the two survivors that saved my life. If somebody hadn't come to hell to get me and pick me up from the bottom and love on me when I was unlovable. And I'm sure folks listening right now can tell I'm on fire tonight. Normally I'm bubbly, happy, uh, yeah, in you a are. good mood, but I'm mad. I'm really mad. I'm mad at, I am mad at the FBI and I'm not going to mince words about that. You know what I mean? And, and dust around it. Like I'm not saying what I'm saying. I want to be very clear. I'm mad right now, but as far as doing it, you know, um, there are certain times where I can't do it. I got to kind of check out, you know, go touch grass, try to enjoy my life, go hang out with my grandma and do, you know, put on some music, talk to my best friend. Uh, but then I got to clock back in. Cause that's what my, that's what my advocates did for me. So that's what I'm trying to do for other survivors out there is just not look away and give these abusers any extra time. Abusers don't take a day off. Abusers are working 365 days a year, you know, 24 seven. So as far as I'm concerned, I gotta, I have to work 10 times harder than these abusers. So that's where my mind frame's at. Carl, I know you you were trying to, to add a few additional points earlier before I go to Tom. Did you have anything else to add? Uh, Ian, Kyle can't hear me. There's the glitch, so let me bring him down. Oh, uh, Kyle, uh, you, if you want to add any additional points, I don't think you can hear Mario. Uh, oh, I, I did not. Um, but what yeah. I will say is that I, I would say that uh, that Seth and Eliza having the disagreement there, um, they may be just talking right past each other and, and probably have some agreement and some common ground in between these things. And uh, and the reason I say that is is there clearly has to be government secrets that are that are off limits to everybody, even though we all own them. 
But I do think the default position should be sunlight, should be, you know, the, the purpose of the Freedom of Information Act was that, the you know, the people own that information. So I hate that the, the government's p- default position is hiding things and, and they do it mostly to cover their own asses, which is what we've all seen. But overclassification is a real thing. And at the same time, like we are not allowed to go after journalists for, um, you know, there's Supreme Court decisions that have already said, I think it was uh, um, w- related to The New York Times in the 70s, that if they publish classified material, then they're covered. So and I don't think the DOJ should be mincing words about what is and what is not a journalist when somebody is pretty clearly involved in journalism. They've done that with Project Veritas. So, uh, you know, we can all kind of agree on a common ground in this thing that there need to be some secrets that a, a lot of people will not be able to see because they can't handle them. There's a lot of people that make terrible choices in this country. And yet, you know, there's also a, a requirement that we respect our own rule of law and that we actually go by the you know the decisions that the courts have made about what that information, once it's public, what can be done with it. Sebastian, Tom? Yeah, you know, the challenge, you know, to echo some of these points, the, the challenge with Assange is, you know, the, the laws against the release of classified information, there's, there's no exemption in the media for it. Um, and, you know, what happened at that time, it was a different day and age than now. But you had a group of folks who had moral objections to the conduct of American foreign policy at this time. You had what was called was, uh, you know, that version of it was Bush derangement syndrome. And, you know, rather than principled skepticism using the tools available to you under the law to object to it, uh, they broke the rules and violated um, very, you know, and put at risk. You know, the material that the, the folks who have been put at risk aren't necessarily those who have been disclosed as a result of the public disclosures. But the material that foreign governments are likely still sitting on and been able to use to do no God knows what else. And uh, so, you know, the Assange story is, I think, Eliza, much more complicated than you're highlighting. Um, it was a case of folks who thought the law didn't apply to them because of the, mor- the, the, the moral nature of their cause. And, you know, that way, it, it, anarchy is a nice way of putting it. That way lies the end of the republic. I mean, here we have the uh, uh, efforts to prosecute American citizens and the targeting of American citizens uh, by our federal agencies, not based on the rule of law, but based on politics. And, you know, that is a threat to our republic. And and an activist deciding to leak classified information, however, you know, right, they may be technically that there's too much classified information is similarly dangerous to the rule of law that fundamentally just protects us all, not just, you know, not just those of us here in Washington, D.C. who are powerful. uh, But as we see with the FBI gang that went after uh, Twitter users, a lot of those folks, we don't know. They're small accounts. And, you know, so the abuses that they were really out to get Trump over, you know, that they were willing to do to get Trump. Isn't it interesting? The splash damage to everyday citizens in the 2020 election and subsequently. So those are those are kind of my thoughts. You know, I'm not I'm not going to yell at you, Eliza, for, you know, thinking Assange should get out or whatever. But, you know, it's it's um, you know, I, I think um, the Justice Department uh, should be treated with significant skepticism. It doesn't mean necessarily all of its targets should be given uh, a pass. Thanks. I, yes. I, I, I think that 
the Assange story is so complicated that those on the right and the left both agree and disagree with whether he should be freed or released or whatnot. So I, I, I think you're right, Tom. There's always, there's always, you know, a possibility that we're talking past each other. But, but let's be clear here: there, there's a reason that the classification system exists, and it's not for political purposes. It's to protect Americans. It is abused. It has grown to a bloated state today. But the idea, and he hasn't, he has not recanted on this to this day. Julian Assange says nobody should have classified information. That's insanity, and that goes to his narcissistic personality. It's like you know the, the levels of analysis you need for Snowden. Okay, Snowden, great whistleblower. A, he's not a whistleblower. He didn't use the whistleblower protections. And B, where did where did Snowden go with his you know twenty eight terabytes of, of of classified information? He didn't go to Switzerland. He he didn't go to Vanuatu. He went to China to communist China. And then to Moscow, okay? So there's always a, an extra level of analysis you have to look at. So let's, let's not confuse, you know, idealism uh, and political distortion of the national security environment with people who are actually undermining your security and my security and taking, you know, terabytes worth of classified data from the NSA to communist China and Vladimir Putin. That's not going to help anyone in this call. I wanted to, to um, kind of end the discussion with a quick question for you, Sebastian, if you don't mind. A completely different uh, point that I yeah. wanted to ask. Uh, today, I was, I was uh, pretty surprised to see Trump's uh, NFT collection drop. Um, I don't know if you've looked into it. You had uh, checked it out. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I, opened, I opened my show with it yesterday. What, what, do you, what do you think? You think it's, it, it, actually, I, I, won't, I won't give you my thoughts. would love to get your thoughts first. So it, it dropped as I was opening my, my radio show yesterday. And um, at the same time, people missed the seven-minute video that he published that everybody on this call, if you care about the First Amendment, you need to watch the seven-minute video that the president published on what his First Amendment platform would be in a second Trump administration, how he would make it illegal for DHS, for the FBI to coordinate with Palo Alto, with social media, on the censorship of Americans. He would make it a very, very serious crime beyond what it already is. So my, my problem was that, 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 you know, this NFT stuff, which is completely Trumpian, and it's a good way to make money, and it turns out that he, he sold out all the NFTs in 24 hours. Literally, as we were on this call, the front office of Mar-a-Lago sent me a, 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 a story from Newsmax saying, hey, did you know that the president sold out all his NFTs? That's great. But, but I was incensed. And the second I saw the story, I was furious yesterday. And I contacted Mar-a-Lago and I said, who the hell launched the NFT campaign on the same day as his first substantive policy statement since he announced he's running five weeks ago? And I get a response from the comms team saying, oh, it's one of his business partners. Well, I don't care if it's Mother Teresa come back from the dead. The, 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 the thing that isn't coordinated and you drop it on the same day is one of his most important policy statements since he left the White House. So, you know, again, today I did another monologue and you guys can you know, go to my podcast on Spotify or sevgorka.com. It's just nine minutes long. You can listen to my opening monologue. Uh, for those who care about the Republic and who want America first back, those who want to train the deep state, the FBI, DHS, DNI, 
got to have a berserker like President Trump back in the White House, but he needs a team of serious men and women around him. He needs a, you know, a killer uh, chief of staff, somebody like Cash Patel right now, and he doesn't have it. You know, I've been down to Mar-a-Lago recently. He's got a lot of young people running around him, a lot of, you know, pretty people. Uh, he doesn't have heavy hitters, and, and that's going to be a problem. But the good news is we've, we've got two years until the election, but he's got to start surrounding himself with serious people who know how to get stuff done, if you know what I mean. So uh, re- regarding the, the Trump NFTs, uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this or not, but this was actually not anything that was, uh, it was, it was done through a company that licensed Donald Trump's name. It doesn't benefit Donald Trump. I mean, it's not him selling them. It's not the campaign selling. The campaign doesn't benefit at all. It's simply a licensing deal that another company made with Donald Trump and or the Trump organization. Well, the campaign would definitely benefit. Trump is obviously going to be getting some of that money to use for his campaign. Also, another note, he, 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 he didn't license price his image as well free. since launching. Uh, he, he didn't license his image for free, I guarantee you that. So he's not making a single penny from that? Then why is he doing it? Shouldn't he be no, trying I said, to campaign? I said he didn't. I said, I guarantee you, he didn't license his image for free. I oh, okay, yes. You. Oh, no, yeah, no, it there's no way that he did it for free. So I know he's making money on it, but it's just a lot of people, it seems to be like a like a, 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 a misunderstanding that a lot of people think that this was either the campaign, uh, especially the campaign, putting this it's out. It's unrelated to not, the campaign. It's completely unrelated to the campaign. Yeah, it's his own, correct. like, he doesn't even own the NFT business that's doing it. So they're using his likeness and using him to promote a bunch of stuff, right, uh, along with, like, the dinners and things like that. But... Uh, they must have paid him like maybe a couple of million dollars or something, right? For that, so he gets cut in on the deal essentially. Um, personally, it doesn't sit well with me, right? I don't, I don't like that, especially like I think that it undermines his campaign overall because it kind of shows a lot of people that he's not serious as a president. Like he's, it gives the impression, right? I, I don't know if this is true, but like it gives me the impression that you know, like this should yes. have been something that was done before he announced the campaign you know there's something that you do in between uh presidencies or something you know like right now it just detracts from his actual message which was that you know eight minute video which is absolutely worth watching but so many people missed that because it dropped on the same day and everybody was just talking about the nfts it's like what the hell it's awful by the way do you does anyone know where uh stella assange is she's in london isn't she does anyone know julian assange's wife yes She's in London, yes? Yes. yes. Okay, she's a bit early for her. Um, so I'm going to have her jump in uh, the space. We'll do a special where we bring her in because I think it's definitely a discussion worth having. Um, and, uh, oh, and I'm Harrison, informed by a pretty knowledgeable NFT guy. You know, He's one of the big ones on OpenSea that uh, there's not a chance he got more than a few hundred thousand dollars it seems to him and someone said someone said is that, someone said he got someone said, said i read somebody got four million out of it or that's uh, no no cut. that's not him that's the 4.5 million is how much they made in total but even then it's uh it they may not have made uh recouped a cost from the mint right like minting nfts cost money it's not free right you can't just mint something so yeah uh it, it may be a matter of him trying to stay hip and it's it wasn't good timing Definitely not. I mean, right now, of course, they made some money off of it, no, no doubt. But maybe not the best timing. Well, because we know it's not the best timing. Yeah, it was. It was minted on the Polygon blockchain, and NF, NFT INT was a company behind it. 
who knows what they paid him for his likeness. I, I mean, I think a couple hundred thousand, maybe maybe five hundred thousand would be something that would probably be normal. And then, yeah. of course, there's the the ten uh, percent secondary sale. So anything that resells, who knows if he gets like, any cut of that or not? We don't know. Well, uh, I, so I, ahead, I posted a, I, I posted a free NFT of me below. Anyone who uses it, send a contribution to Judicial Watch. <laughs> okay, I didn't know whether to laugh no. or not. I was, I was, I didn't know how to react. I'm like, I, I, okay, okay, I didn't know. I didn't want to get be out of line and oh, laugh. Wait, it's, uh, it's supposed, it's supposed to, it's 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 uh, both a threat and a joke. Is that is that how it works? Is it gonna is it gonna is it gonna is each NFT is gonna have your beautiful face and different costumes yeah, exactly. on it as well? And each go. one each one with with different in superpowers. A, in a very tight shirt, that's his thing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> very that's right. And then Sebastian will have yeah. his own NFT where you can just travel to no, I get a walk with him for ten minutes by with a lake. Red red tie Sebastian, that's just great stuff. <laughs> Uh, so guys, I, I know we've, we went way over time and we started this doing this, um, this, uh, this show on, uh, Twitter live, uh, spaces glitch and then tw- spaces worked and here we are. I think it was a great discussion. You know, Tom, Sebastian, uh, Congressman, um, Thomas, uh, you know, really enjoyed it. We are going to have a space most likely tomorrow. We have journalists coming on. It's pinned on my, in my, on my profile. We have journalists coming on to, to debate. The, the whole Elon Musk suspending a few journalists and the whole free speech uh, debate with the Twitter files as well. So it's going to be tomorrow. And on Sunday, we're going to have, we're trying to get Dr. Fauci, and it's going to take a while, but we have other great doctors coming in on Sunday to debate uh, COVID because I know that the uh, Fauci files are next in the Twitter file saga. Um, otherwise, I think that was it. Uh, Ian, Tara, Tom, Sebastian, any, any final words? Did you get Malone? Did you connect with Malone and McCullough? Uh, let me. I'll check with the team. They just went to bed now. Uh, I'm gonna check uh, with the team and, and let you know. But they probably have because I know you connected me, so I probably have. It's probably in progress to get a time booked. Yeah, I appreciate I the introduction. Would, I think it would be important for Twitter users and other folks in the positions of influence to demand information from uh, the media companies that help Dox uh, Musk. What what was their justification for pointing for to that real time personal location data of him and his family? What what is their position on that? Is that their policy? And please explain why that should be allowed and sanctioned uh, in um, in in their in what they call journalism. Uh, they've been they they we're in a, we're in a massive propaganda effort right now to destroy Musk. And it, and it now officially involves harming him and his family in dangerous ways. And if we're concerned about that, anyone listening and, and my, my, uh, my associates and colleagues and friends here uh, should really push back on, on the media dishonesty here. I, I We've invited that Collins. Sorry, go ahead. Was, uh, I, I believe Ben Collins was suspended, right, uh, from NBC. Is that correct? Because of the uh, because of this exact issue, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, 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 because uh, he, he was suspended because of his in, in, inappropriate commentary and attacks on Musk. Mm-hmm. That weren't necessarily about this, but because he was a crazed anti-Marxist, uh, anti-Musk activist. So I guess NBC can censor you for criticizing Musk. That's the only evidence I have of anyone being censored for criticizing Musk. It's NBC News. Well said. Well said. 
and I'm surprised NBC News did that. But one good thing is to see Mario, your spaces are getting as many views as some cable news shows. So there's definitely a potential future where Twitter spaces kind of takes away a huge share of mainstream media attention. And I that'd hope be awesome. so. I hope so. You know, that would be like, sick. That would be sick. Yeah. I mean, look, look, but podcasts like, get, you know, like Joe Rogan's podcast gets how many million downloads every single time, you know, he puts one out. It's like 5 million minimum. So, yeah, spaces are going to be the next big thing, you know, and we're here on the ground floor. And it's thanks to Elon that we're able to do this. And in the future, hopefully, there's going to be like an archive of spaces because right now it's hard to look for spaces, right? you got to set up a website or whatever, you know, maybe a Squarespace thing. But in the future, yeah, I would love to see, you know, there's a lot of stuff that Elon can do for for this platform, uh, you know, for content creators like ourselves. So let's look forward to it, you know, and, and support him all the way because, man. Like, I'm excited. I'm excited for this platform. I, that's like the first time I felt this way about Twitter because Twitter for the longest time was just stagnant. Nothing happened with it. You know, it's just dead. Now there's too much happening. <laughs> Not keeping <laughs> up anymore. Uh, you know, the, the, the night, yeah, I was just, uh, like in one day, you've got from, from the whole doxing issue to, to the ban of the accounts to suddenly a space created with people, the banned accounts being able to join. And then that space crashing after Elon being disrespected on there. And then all of space is crashing for hours. And then we, we do a live for the drop because the drop kicks in. And then afterwards, spaces is back. We do a space. We have a congressman jump in. We have a great discussion. And here we are. That's 24 hours number on one space, uh, Elon's guys. Twitter. We've had the number one space <laughs> for the past, what, six hours now? So congratulations, everyone. If you're participating I, I, I in this, part of history. I sincerely believe that Mario, Ian, and Tara, you guys deserve a ton of credit for the growth of spaces in general. So definitely. I'm not good. I'm not good at taking compliments, man. I get, I get, I, I, I just don't like it. <laughs> so I'll go with Tara and Ian. They're, they're, they're killing it. Um, so I want to, I want to applaud both of yeah. them and uh, all the other speakers. You know, Tom has been jumping in every space. Sebastian has been jumping in a few of them. Brian's been jumping in a lot of them. Eliza has been doing a lot on spaces. But the cool thing about spaces is how impromptu it is. Like you just – when there's breaking news, like when SBF was arrested or there was that missile to Poland, yeah, whenever there's something breaking. A, a hell of a job with his spaces too, you know. Like kudos to those guys. They're fantastic. Mm, agree, agree, agree. And I like hey, – kudos to you, Ian, because you wake me up whenever there's breaking news. <laughs> so yeah. I don't that, sleep, that, right? Yeah, I sleep like <laughs> two times a day. So I see something happening. I'm like, Mario, get up. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I was literally today, no joke, before I end the space, I was just today, um, I was, I was just th- talking to my partner and I'm like, hey, today we're gonna finally sleep early and wake up early. And we're literally, and this is not the first time it happened, like probably the third time in the last few days. And I'm literally about to go to bed at like 1am, which I'm like finally fixing my sleeping pattern. And then Ian's like, Mario, the drops are there. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, but spaces is not working, so we're safe. And I tell my team, yeah, there's the drops, but we can't do spaces because it's not working for iPhones for most people. And they're like, Mario, just do a Twitter live. We know how to do it. And I'm like, fuck. We do a Twitter live because they found a way to do it. (laughs) And then I'm like, okay, it should be be short because not many people – Twitter live doesn't get that many people. It doesn't get the same reach. So it should be short. We had less people than we usually do than we have now. And I'm like, we're chill. chill." Halfway through, we're we're me, Ian, Steve, and and, uh, Brian. We're we're covering the the, – oh, Ed Krasenstein. And we're covering the the drop – and then spaces works. I'm like, that's it. My day, my sleeping pattern is gonna continue being screwed. And here we are. But it's um, you I, know, it's I, such, I just it's don't such know a. How you guys have lives. I, I you know. Who I said? Who said we have? Man, 
You can't you can't speculate oh, like this, sorry. Sebastian. Who said I have a life? Okay, I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> Make many assumptions. Yeah, I don't have a life. It's true. But it's it's also yeah. crazy. This like we, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy as well. Like we don't I have a business to run. Or I thought I think I do. <laughs> I don't know what happened to it. Um, but I, I like as well how we spend so much time with each time other. Management. I'm really good at time management. Yeah. Yeah, bro, I, got, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm driving the car and I'm picking up my daughter. My daughter gets in. What are you doing on spaces? <laughs> I don't blame. I don't blame her. I don't blame her. I don't. I don't blame her, Tom. I don't blame her. In a few days, she'll be joining the spaces and listening. Um, now, anyway, guys, I really appreciate it, and hopefully, one day we can all meet together, uh, uh, you know, over a drink and talk about the good old days uh, when we used to have. You know, a few hundred thousand listeners per space, and we'll be talking about it when we have 10 million listeners per space. You never know. But otherwise, really appreciate it, guys. I'll see you all tomorrow for all the audience. Really appreciate you all. As always, follow all the panelists. They do great spaces themselves. And on my profile, the, the next space tomorrow space is pinned there. It has question marks on what it is, but I'll tell you now, it's going to be a debate between journalists about the, um, about censorship, Elon Musk, and recent events, including the Twitter files drop. And we're going to have journalists on both sides of the aisle. So it would be a difficult debate to, to, to host, but one worth worth having. Appreciate you all. Thank you so much, Tom, Tara. Tara, any final words? You're, you're always the best at ending the space. Uh, Tara seems off her phone. I think she fell asleep. Love you all. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank really you. appreciate Thank it. You, Brian, Thank Nick. You. Thank Bye, you. guys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Tom. See you, man. Bye-bye. See you, man.